Welcome to the Armani Talks podcast. I'm your host, Armani Talks. In this podcast, I'm helping you level up your communication skills every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. If this is your first time on the channel, welcome aboard. Every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I'm dropping new tips, tricks, and strategies on topics such as public speaking, social skills, creative writing, and much more. Join the tribe by hitting the subscribe button right on below. Stay updated for the latest content. Today, we are back for Unapologetic Truths, episode 12 with Life Math Money. Welcome back. Hey, Arman. How are you doing today? Doing great. Man, this is our last episode of 2021. Yeah, the year just whizzed by, didn't it? It did go by. And for those of you guys listening from YouTube, go on and drop that like right on below because this series has been an unexpected surprise for 2021. And it's been very informative and educational for me. What's something that you've learned from the Unapologetic Truth series? Yeah, please leave us a comment and do tell us what you've learned and what your best takeaways were. So Arman, how was 2021 for you? It's been a very unique year for me, Harsh. Uh, this is one of the most prolific years for me. I've had the chance to uh, do a lot of publishing this year. And it's been publishing on my YouTube channels, publishing on my blogs, Twitter. And I published a few books that's been sold all around the world. So it's been a very, very productive year for me. I've just been trying to build the momentum. I've been getting more data as to what's not working, what is working. And do my best to double down on what is working. So it's been a productive year, and I'm getting ready for 2022 as we speak. How about yourself? That's great to hear. So 2021 was one of the most productive years of my life. In fact, I did so much this year. I think I accomplished more than 2019 and 20 combined. <laughs> it was just wow. way, way more productive than anything else, mostly because of the lockdown and. Also because I was busy doing things instead of just making money, which was the situation with 2020. So in 2020, the lockdown was like a great boom for anyone selling things on the internet. And I just got busy trying to cash out on it. So I was just, you know, focusing on work, but not doing other things. And on 2021, I, I was more, my focus was more diversified, I would say. So this year I wrote about... 44 articles i did if you count this podcast i would say i've done about 65 podcasts and i've done about 18 computer science courses this year i also built teachyourselfcrypto.com from scratch and we've it's we've like we're done with like 60 70 percent of it and it's already out the four modules are bitcoin ethereum decentralized finance and intermediate topics like you know, DAOs, tokens, and things like that. So that took up a ton of time to make. And physically, I went from squatting 80 kg to 110 kg. My deadlift went up a lot. My bench went up. I did have a couple of injuries, including one where I couldn't do anything for three months because I twisted my arm. And I mean, I twisted my wrist. So I, I was like out of the gym for three months. So, But otherwise, it was a very productive year. I'm very, very happy with this year. Are you someone who 
creates these goals in the beginning of the year or are you someone who creates it throughout the year every year what i do is and i this is like i've been doing this for many years now at the end of the year i review the year in four aspects okay the first aspect is health what changed in my health did it, did my health get better what my did my sc- lifting numbers go up did i lose weight did my what did my body fat change the other is my education which is with computer science how much have i completed this year and before computer science it was my chartered accountancy education so what did i accomplish this year how what did i learn what books did i read and even outside computer science so the, the third one is business so how is business doing how much money am i making is my business growing or stagnating what changed this year what moves did i make the fourth one is um with life math money that i do uh that is you know how was my twitter account doing how what platforms i'm moving on and you know everything related to lmm goes in this bucket and lately i've also been doing a fifth one and the fifth one is education outside of say computer science so which books did i read so what normal books i read did i read a lot of blog articles what other things i'm doing so i make like a a comprehensive report of my year every year and i also plan what i want to accomplish next year and there's a saying that no plan ever survives first contact with the enemy <laughs> so no no plan ever survives but i do make a plan of what i want to accomplish this year and then i will stick it on my wall where i can look at it all the time so currently oh. i have on my wall a sheet with a hundred numbers and out of which i've crossed out 44 of them so i finished 44 articles even though my plan was for 100 and that's because mm-hmm. i in the middle of the year i decided to make teachyourselfcrypto.com which took up a ton of time so it had i had to cut other goals a bit short and i also have like a bunch of computer science courses that i finished this year that were planned and some i added extra and some i removed so what happened was initially i planned i will finish xyz courses but then i later realized that i need a bunch of prerequisites to even get to that course so i did the prerequisites and the course will be done next year so i plan everything but my plans have to change and adapt to the situation yeah that's what i was going to say um mike tyson have you ever heard of him he's a boxer with the face yeah, tattoo he, he has this famous quote which says everyone has a plan until get, they get hit in the face something like that and mm. it basically just says that you know despite having a plan you also need to be able to adjust as well that's why in my book level up mentality i bring up a concept called a general goals as well where there's two sides to a human there's the intellectual side and then there's the emotional side and sometimes the way that we're taught a uh, goal setting is like hey you know you got to be specific uh, in order to be terrific you got to be specific that's a quote i've heard a lot of times it works But, like in my case that quote applies to me when yeah, i'm specific absolutely. i get more done yeah so like specific being specific works but then another f- phase is what i call general goals which is something that appeals to your emotional side and it helps you bulldoze through analysis paralysis where let's say someone is trying to blog for the first time ever at first they may want to get too specific they may be like well what keyword research tool do i need what uh 
writing platform do I need? What you know, they're going to ask a lot of specific questions, but a general goal is saying something like blog. And when you say blog, now it's like something in your heart feels it and you get pulled into action. So one thing that I've realized throughout my journey is that uh, there's that room for being specific and every now and then it's strategic to be general in some areas of your life as well, where you're capable of bypassing that analysis paralysis. Do you have any of these groups that hold you accountable or do you like to work solo? So this is something that started this year. So before, say, sometime around August, I had never had any accountability groups or any. I was basically working solo. But ever since August, I a business partner of mine had a great idea where he wanted to do an accountability group and he couldn't find someone who was at the level to do it with him. So we decided to do it together. And I find it to be very useful, mostly as a way to, you know, for example, if you had a day where you didn't do much, let's say that you did not accomplish enough, then you feel a bit embarrassed to post on the group that you didn't accomplish that much today. Like you only have like one entry and it's like a 20 minute task. So having an accountability group kind of has that social factor where you will do more just so that you aren't embarrassed later. Mm-hmm. So I do have an accountability group and I did find it to be very useful. And Usually, I, for example, I just recently I finished a 5 a.m. waking up challenge and I was posting pictures of my watch at 5 a.m. in the morning on Twitter and Instagram. So that's like a public accountability group in a way, you know, because you can't fail, you, you can't fail this challenge because then you look like an <laughs> idiot on the Internet. You post, so, a, you post a picture of your watch at like 8.30 p.m. 5, <laughs> 5, like, 5 p.m. Oh, 5 a.m. Oh, no, no, I'm just saying like... Because if you post it any time after 5 a.m., then people could publicly see, ah, dang, Harsh didn't meet the challenge this time. So Yeah, exactly. So it keeps you accountable. So I think an accountability group is very valuable. What about yourself, Arman? Do you have an accountability group? So I had one since I started from the very beginning. But in the beginning, uh, in 2018, it was more so a chance to just bounce ideas off different people. But recently, I actually joined one which is highly targeted. And this is a group where we have to write 1,000 words a day. And the other people in the group are prolific themselves. So every day we're writing 1,000 words done. And even though it's a very small habit, it's one of these habits that add up over time. Because if you're writing 1,000 words a day, who knows how much you could publish throughout the year. So, 365,000 words at best. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, well, that I'm talking in terms of like books, I know, I'm, in terms I'm joking, of blog I'm posts. Joking. Yeah, you got like the exact number. And what I've noticed about that is, you know, it kind of makes you feel embarrassed if you say, oh man, I haven't written in like two, three days because there's that accountability factor involved. And what I like is that it's a very small group. I like these small groups because when it's too big, from my personal experience, I noticed that people start to whine more. They're like, oh, I couldn't do this. And other people are like, oh, yeah, yeah it's all good, blah, blah, blah. But when it's mm. a small group, it's more self-enforcing. It's like we're all keeping each other accountable. Is your accountability group big or small? Two people. Two other people or you and one other guy? Me and one other person. 
Oh, okay. So it's an accountability buddy. Yeah, you could say that. Um, so lately I've also had, so I have two accountability groups for two different types of things. So one is for business types things and one is for like more personal type things. And there were different people. But yeah, in both cases, it's just one person. And in some ways, I don't know about you, but this podcast series is sort of like an accountability uh, buddy as well. Well, it's it's one of those things, you know, for example, most people who make content on the internet, they are not consistent about it. So they show up once every six months and then they just disappear forever. So people will go strong for six months, okay? They will make like great content and then they will just get bored or something will come up in their life or they, they, they realize that this is harder work than they thought and then they will just disappear. And I think... This podcast, we've been doing it for over a year now. It's just good consistency. I think that, especially for you, because you are the one coordinating everything and, you know, putting in the work and I'm just, you know, showing up and speaking. It shows that you are very dedicated to your work. Thanks, man. Because there are some moving variables behind the scenes that's involved. Uh, Like a guy that creates the thumbnails, the guy that edits it, and... The whole part in terms of creating the timestamps, that's creative work. So you can't outsource that too much because others can't necessarily spot when we're changing conversations. So it's been fun, though, because one thing I've noticed is that these are sort of like assets in the long run. I recall you probably sent me a DM from one guy who apparently like binged a bunch of our episodes, or I probably got the DM, and he said, bro... I literally just went through four of the Unapologetic Truth series like in my long uh, plane ride or car trip. And I decided that I'm going to buy two products from each one of you guys to see what you're about. Now, mind you, we did these episodes a long time back. So it's sort of like assets that's working for us even after we're done recording it. So when I started to frame it like that, it just made uh, me more dedicated to this process. You know, podcasting itself is very diff- very different from, say, Twitter or Instagram. And I'll tell you why. what I mean by that. If you take Twitter, if you post a tweet, 10 hours from now, no one cares. Everyone's forgotten about it and they've moved on. And that tweet, say, two months from now, no one is going to see it. The same thing applies to Instagram. You post something, but it has a shelf life and then it just dies. But with things like blog articles and YouTube, these are more like evergreen in in a way. It's because YouTube and Google are search engines. So when people are looking up something, even if you wrote your article three years ago, it's still going to show up on YouTube. It's still, sorry, it's still going to show up on Google and people are going to go to read your article. Likewise, on your YouTube feed, people are looking for something and then even if you made the video, say, five years ago, people are new people are still finding it. But Instagram and Twitter are not search engines. So something shows up in the feed and then it just dies. And this is yes. something that people don't realize, especially people who don't do content creation for, say, over a long time. They don't realize this. They think it's all the same, but there are different types of content and it takes different types of skills to make them and they last for different amounts of time 
and they are like completely different businesses. So someone who is very good at SEO and Google and someone who is very good at Twitter are in two completely different businesses with completely different skill sets. Absolutely. And have you heard of the con- uh, concept called content stacking or media stacking? No, please tell me. So nowadays, uh, Ben Settle, who's a pretty big copywriting guy, he's been bringing up this concept called media stacking a lot, where you need to find a way for your content to create this web, where they shouldn't all be completely separate from one another. And to just give you an example, for my tweets, I kind of understand that when I write a tweet, it has a quick little shelf life like you were mentioning. But what I notice from tweets is that some will pop off. And from the one that pops off, I could create a YouTube video regarding the matter to create something more in depth. And from that, that YouTube video, I could include that particular idea in a chapter of a certain book. So as you can tell, these different content are starting to web together. So I think nowadays, for people who are creating content of some sort in the internet, they got to find a way to create this little web where if everything is completely a standalone island, then you're kind of creating a risky infrastructure. I did notice one of your tweets recently where you were talking about the importance of diversifying and that tweet popped off. Uh, Did you want to break it down in this episode? Yeah, I don't remember the exact tweet, but it was something along the lines of you need to diversify a social media presence and build audiences across all of them. Otherwise, what would happen is that if you're on just one platform, say you're just on Twitter and then Twitter decides to suspend you, then you're screwed. Then you're like, boof, gone. And so is what you're doing, your all of your ideology, every, all the work you've created and your entire business is just gone. So after you grow a small amount, let, let's say that you hit 10K on Twitter, then it's time to also explore other platforms just to diversify your SM band risk. So I, my, my suggestion is for content creators to be, after they are like, after they have a reasonable audience on one platform, because firstly, when you're starting, you need to focus on one, but then you should expand. You should also be on YouTube. You should also be on Instagram. You should also be on Facebook. You should also be on Minds. You should also be on Gab. You should also be. You should also have an email list, your own website, and any other place that exists as well. For example, Tumblr or whatever. You know, if it's like if it matches your niche, TikTok, wherever. Just be everywhere, everywhere, because this gives you protection from being banned. Firstly, and secondly, it exposes you to new audiences. So, for example, Twitter has a user base, a monthly active user base of about 350 million people, of which I would say 300 million speak English. So, realistically, you have a maximum audience size of 300 million. But if you also go to other platforms, you have like different people there who will find you using their algorithm. So... To be on different platforms is just a no-brainer, if you ask me. It's just that you are going to get so many more people from so many different walks of life and you will minimize your band risk. It's just do it as soon as possible. What do you say to those people who are like, well, you know, I want to go to other platforms, but I don't have ideas like that. So what do you say to those people? 
I just reuse my content. So what I do is, and I totally get that, okay, it's impossible to make content constantly for all platforms. It's just not possible. So what you need to do is you need to learn to reuse. So what happens for my content? I only make content for Twitter, let's say, that I have a software which auto-posts it to Instagram. I have a software which auto-posts it to Reddit, to Facebook, to Telegram, and to Minds. And by the way, all of this is covered in my Twitter guides. Someone is looking for it. Like if you want like actual guidance step by step, you can go check out The Art of Twitter. That is my Twitter guide. And that will teach you everything from scratch. And like it's a lot of people have made money with it. So cutting that short. So this is how I make content for six platforms just by making content for Twitter. It just auto posted by software everywhere. And the other thing I create content for is my articles and my articles will are also sent out as emails. So I have content for emails, which are my articles. And these articles are also converted into YouTube videos and podcasts. I just narrated them. So I have YouTube videos and plot and podcasts. So just by writing articles and making tweets, I am on 10 different places. So Literally you're, doing a lot of, you're doing a lot of media stacking as well. Yeah, maybe. I, I was not familiar with this term. I just call it diversification. Yeah, I, I didn't know it was a phrase till recently. Uh, have you heard of Ben Settle? He's an email marketer. And in one of my burner IDs, I am subscribed to his list. I just don't read them. Yeah, he writes on his list every day. And I've noticed he's been bringing up this concept a lot more. And I was like, huh. I've been doing this, but I didn't know there was like this formal definition for it. Which takes me to another question, Harsh, where, yes, you can... Um, I think you know, you're on many platforms, aren't you? Sorry to cut you off. Uh, yeah, I'm actually on many platforms. It looks like I'm doing a lot, but I'm actually not doing that much. I only do two things, which is either writing or speaking. And from there, it's more about just putting it into different information technology. So I think it's really about the way that someone frames something, where if someone is like, oh no, I don't know where to get started. Should I do YouTube, blog, podcast, tweets, uh, Tumblr? You know, right then, there's a lot of analysis paralysis that's possibly happening. It's much smarter to first off ask, do you want to write or do you want to speak? And from there, you could keep adding on. Where for my journey, I started off speaking. You know, I did a lot of speeches with Toastmasters. And then I transitioned to writing and speaking through Twitter. And then I hopped back into speaking by bringing in a podcast. Then I hopped back into writing by adding a blog. And then I hopped back into speaking by adding YouTube. So from the external world, it looks like I'm doing a lot. But from my world, I'm just hopping from speaking to writing, speaking to writing. So people who are listening to this, I recommend you work on those two core skill sets. Learn how to write and learn how to speak. So you make the same, you make different content for all platforms, basically. Yes. And this is actually uh, something that I don't recommend for everyone. It's something that, you know, I've been trained to do. Where in Toastmasters, I competed for, you know, table topics competitions. So I understand the art of, you know, creating ideas. I actually even have a creative writing journal called Idea Machine, which is available in some Amazon marketplaces. 
and it teaches you how to create ideas on autopilot. Uh, but I recommend that if you're actually trying to build this into a skill set. And for me personally, I don't reuse the content too much, even though I do know it'll be efficient. I just kind of keep on uh, practicing the idea machine concept, which mm. is a top. That... Sorry, go I could ahead. explain. I could explain it more in detail what the idea machine concept is, uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I'm trying to uh, create new ideas a lot. That's interesting. I find it very interesting that you say you learned that from Toastmasters because I was. So I did tell you, right? I went to a Toastmasters once and they gave me a ribbon and then they, I never went again. And yes, I was watching a lot of these videos on Toastmasters, um, you know, their competitions on YouTube. And, and this is just my opinion on the subject, but I think Toastmasters speeches are completely devoid of content. It's just all presentation and no content. So Where here's the thing. There's like w no information on what they're saying. They're just they're just saying something and they're doing and it's it kind of feels a little like you know, they're doing theater. They're not doing a speech because they're moving about so much and they're essentially acting and it's it's just too polished. I don't know how else to put it. Just too polished. For example, if you take like a more authentic speech, like People do, mm, and they have filler words in their speech. But the Toastmasters speeches, they are just not just devoid of content, but also they just, they're just too polished and it feels very fake. I don't know what it is about it. Well, okay, so here's how I'll answer that. Personally, for me, I do see exactly what you're talking about, where certain people are kind of putting on this act a lot. And after you're done listening to the speech, you're like, all right. I mean, I was kind of put through this roller coaster, but I don't think I really learned anything, which is something I completely get. Yeah, I but was watching thing... those winners on, you know, they have these annual competitions and I see something in you, but, you know, like there was nothing in the speech. Yeah. And I think it really depends on any platform where let's say some people come to Twitter for the first time. They're going to see a lot of these people nowadays who are like doing the algorithm stuff. Remember we were talking about that like two episodes ago? Somewhat. I don't really, I, I can't recall to be honest. Can you refresh my memory? Yeah, where there's like certain people who have like these algorithms that create their tweets for them. Oh, right. Yeah, we were talking about GPT-3. Yeah, so if people are coming to like Twitter for the first time, they're going to be like, Oh, come on, man. These aren't like uh, substance, but then they'll see an account like you. No, but I'm not talking about random people on Toastmasters. I'm talking about the people who won these competitions. Like you would expect their speeches to be the best work. And if that is their best work, then there is a long way to go, in my opinion. And I'm not an expert here, so maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I can see your perspective on that. I think it really depends on the club. Because a few of the people that, you know, I've interacted with, um, I've seen a lot of speeches that'll like shift my perspective on life. And it's the same thing with TED Talks, where I think like in 2018, a lot of people were hating on TED Talks. They were like, oh man, like these talks suck. Like these aren't They do suck. Talks. A lot of them suck. Like, there's nothing... I don't think so. 
I did watch I, I don't some think. of them, but there was no information. It was like a lot of presentation, but not enough value. So for forty minutes of my time, I would expect more from it. But go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted but, but, you. But but te- but TED talks aren't that long though. They're like eighteen eighteen minutes normally. Yeah, whatever you know, like whatever time you're investing, they just share like the TED talk could have been a tweet. See, I think that's where me and you are differing. Where I don't, I think content is subjective. Where when someone's like, "Oh, that this content sucks," someone else may be like, "Bro, this content is life changing." Yeah, of course. Where in terms of our podcast, someone may be listening to this and be like, "Man, these are just two idiots talking for three plus hours. What's the value in this?" While there's another group who's going to be like, "Whoa, these are two people talking for three plus hours." I see a lot of value in this. So I don't think it's fair to be like, oh, this content is not valuable because what happens is you're probably just perceiving it from your lens where from someone else's lens, they'll be like, okay, um, this isn't just theater. This is a story that's being unfolded. It's not just, hey, I'm over here trying to give you like a how-to lesson on life. I'm trying to teach you in terms of metaphors in terms of analogies to spark inspiration where if you're like super left brained you're probably going to be like no 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 i need like the data the analytics all of that stuff where toastmasters isn't necessarily just trying to do that for an audience member they're trying to help you perceive life in a different way same thing with ted talks where it's too much content to just be like all of it is not invalid or all of it is not valuable. You have to be able to go through the speeches and ev- evaluate each content from its own lens. Hmm. And and this kind of, and this kind of ties back to what I was saying in terms of the Twitter thing, where there's nowadays a large group of uh, Twitter accounts that just kind of post platitudes and call it a day. So if people are coming to our side of Twitter for the first time, they're going to be like, Oh, all these guys just post platitudes. That's what they all do. <laughs> yeah, that's but, true. I, I see what you're trying to tell me. I agree with you there. But, but what that's I'm not, saying but, is that, but, yeah, but, that doesn't invalidate Twitter. Where, like, where guys like your, yourself, myself, and a bunch of other accounts, they're giving you specific knowledge that's targeted. So you got to evaluate it account by account, speech by speech. No, I get what you're trying to say. I agree with you there. I think that, you know, anything that's successful eventually attracts a lot of people who are just trying to game the system. I will say this, Harsh. There was this one speech, and I actually have a video called uh, Pros and Cons of Toastmasters. So I'm not someone who's like, oh, yeah, like this is the best thing since sliced bread. I understand the cons as well. And one of the cons I said was, You know, there was this one time I was giving a speech and I thought I was on the verge of winning the speech. And then the woman that gave the presentation after, uh, she was sloppy. She wasn't, in my opinion, giving the best talk, but it was an emotional talk where she starts crying at the end, like something about her and her grandpa, like the relationship. Mm -hmm. As soon as she was crying, that was enough for her to win the entire like thing. I was like, man, that's bullshit, bro. It's because she just cried at the end and it just made people uh, sway their opinions. So I get exactly what you're saying, where uh, sometimes the speech is a little theatrical. 
So I, it's not like I'm like, oh, no, I don't see oh, what no. Perth is saying at all. I get you. I haven't, I'm not an expert in Toastmasters. I only went once. And I, what I mean to say is what I've seen on YouTube. Okay, If you Google YouTube, if you go to YouTube and you look for like the winning Toastmasters speeches, I just, like, you know, there was this girl who was making fists and, you know, boxing. And that's not a public speech. Like you, for example, if you're a politician, you're not going to start acting like you're boxing. And it just seems like too perfect, too polished. And there, in my opinion, at least, I feel like I wasted 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever it was watching it because I just did not get as much information as I would like. Even with TEDx, you know, I would be I would be very happy to buy a book that had, say, that was like a summary of all TEDx speeches. Like, here is what X author had to say point-wise. Here is what he contributed. Like, here is his knowledge. And I bet, like, the 20-minute speech would be, like, a one-pager. So maybe just, you know, <laughs> like, it's made for people who are, like, eating lunch and for them to watch. So it's, like, somewhat of infotainment in a way. I can't see what you're saying, where some uh, TED Talks, I'm like, huh, like, what the heck? But other ones, I'm like, whoa, this actually, this was a gem. This one shifted my mindset. Oh, and I which think was your favorite one? It. Okay, I actually posted this on Twitter, I think in 2018. Uh, let me just pull it up real quick. The one I, I only liked one TEDx so far, and that was about posture. Oh, yeah, I know exactly which one you're talking about. So I recommend people who are listening to this to check out. And this is an underrated one, by the way. This is what I mean. You got to like look for it. It's called The Language of Being Human by Poet Ali. And this isn't something that you're going to get like facts, data, charts, all of that from. You're mm -hmm. actually going to perceive language in a completely different way. And a lot of people who watch this immediately start crying. If you read through the comments, people are like, man, I haven't cried in 15 years. And this is the first time I started crying. And I honestly think it comes down to how someone weighs value. Because let's apply all this to books. Where how many times have we read a book and we're like, ah, oh, man, bro, this was junk, right? Plenty of times. Yeah. But, you know, you got to search for the book. And I think it's the same thing with TED Talks where you got to search for it. Let me actually pull up one more. I, you have anything to say on that while I pull it up? Oh, not particularly. I think I, I know what you're, what you're trying to say. I agree with you there. Another one that I recommend checking out is called Your Personality and Your Brain. And it's by Scott, and I can't pronounce his last name. I think it's Schweffel. And this is another great TED Talks that helps you understand that people are different. So something that you're perceiving as rude may be completely natural for the other person. So by watching this TED Talk, I was able to not personalize things that I would once personalize. And I think for me personally, a lot of people, when they like come near me or used to come near me, uh, if you watch the TED Talk, I'm red, uh, where he basically puts your personality into a color. I'm red, like a guy that's like trying to get the work done, like be on time, all this. And some people may find that a little abrasive. So when I would show this video to other people, immediately they're like, oh, okay, you're red. Now it makes sense why you <laughs> act the way you do. And I think you may be a red too, um, but you should check it out um, and see Maybe. which color you are.
yeah what are the other options what are the other colors uh okay so i i got to go through this um let me see okay so there's four colors cool blue fiery red earth green and sunshine yellow so cool blue is cautious precise deliberate they question a lot and they're formal fiery red is demanding determined strong-willed purposeful and i think i've softened up from fiery red uh, since i last watched this video earth green is caring encouraging sharing a patient and relaxed and sunshine yellow is sociable dynamic uh, enthusiastic and persuasive and i think nowadays like the way that i perceive it i think people have a blend of these colors rather than just being one color did any of them stick out to you i would say that i'm all of them gotcha so you're like a blend of all yeah these are not necessarily opposing values it depends on the situation because if you are say in an emergency then you are more i would say more proactive more aggressive and when you're doing something like a hobby then you are more relaxed and you don't really care for example i play table tennis with my friends i don't care about winning i just don't like it's just something that i don't care about enough so it depends on the situation mm-hmm. you know you have always felt that a lot of these things you know these personality tests they are they are not inaccurate per se but they do not capture the fact that it's about being the right thing at the right time and eventually you will realize that even though you may feel you are a certain way when a different situation presents itself you will change mhm so i think these personality personality tests what they do is that they have this element of self fulfilling prophecy type you know like a label you've given yourself for example have you ever heard someone say i don't go out i'm an introvert yes and, i have you know it's just that someone called them an introvert or they read it on the internet or maybe they took some personality test and the personality test said the personality test said that they are an introvert so now they don't go out enough because they feel they're introverted so they're using it as a justification come excuse come a comfort zone thing so it's a self fulfilling prophecy like why are you introverted because you never go out why do you never go out because you're an introvert so i think these tests and these colors and all of these things they reduce the person's um variability and flexibility because they make them believe that they are a certain way when really we are more of a range bound creature that we we, we can change absolutely i think it's best if people consider themselves ambiverted which is a range of being introverted and extroverted and i have a video breaking down how a person can view themselves as ambivert and i personally agree with you harsh where i don't think it's smart to put these tests on yourself too much however i think it's smart to put this test on other people every now and then where agree it's it's not fair probably but they have this self-fulfilling prophecy going on in their mind 
And like a couple of years back, you know, I was at this one. Uh, I was a best man for one of my good friends. And he I had, think I saw the video on YouTube. Oh, did you? The, the which best video? man's the, speech. Okay. You, okay. I have one for my brother and the one for my good friend. So you probably did see it. So that particular speech, there were like a bunch of different best men. And normally people have two to three, but this guy was popping. He had like 13 best men. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one of them was the guy that was that like leading everything. He planned the trip to Las Vegas, booked uh, the hotel, uh, did everything. And you would think that this guy was, oh man, like you're an extrovert. I could tell. But as I was talking to him during our trip, he's like, oh, no, man, like this kind of stuff is completely out of my comfort zone. I'm actually an introvert. And he identified as that. So he did everything right in the uh, like the best man trip. But on the actual wedding day, like this is the time that you show up because this is the big event. On the wedding day, I recall he was trying to leave early before he even gave his uh, speech. I'm like, yo, bro, why are you trying to leave early for? This is the actual wedding day. And that's when he was just like, man, uh, bro, you won't believe it, man. Thus far, I've been being someone that I'm not for too long. I'm actually an introvert, man. I'm an introvert. And mentally, he felt he was an introvert so much that he couldn't push forward anymore. He felt like he had to recharge. And I'm like, dog, bro, like, what are you doing? Like, just finish off strong. But that's when I realized that sometimes, even though these personality tests aren't applicable to you, other people have been sold the narrative and they're pretty much dancing to it for a prolonged period of time. Hmm. So it's like a predict, you know, you can predict their actions with this. I get you. Are you I think an, agree. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Well, you're like, I know you, uh, we're talking about the ambiverted concept, but would you say you lean more towards introverted or extroverted? I lean very heavily towards extroversion. So I ha I have also taken these personality tests online, like the big five. And my extroversion is like 97, 95%. It's like through the roof. When people are initially coming in contact with Live Math Money Brand, do they have like certain assumptions about you? People tend to assume I'm someone who is extremely introverted and someone who is not fun because they, they assume I'm very productive, but they have this, you know, when, how does someone, when you say someone is very productive, they tend to assume this person must be someone who doesn't leave his house enough. Like, you know, he's like always working and like a workaholic and that is not how I am. I'm more fun loving and I do go out and I am not someone who believes in living a boring life. So I think there is a disconnect there for sure. But that is simply because my LMM is pretty much a text-only brand in the sense that all my articles are text, all my tweets are text. And like, unless someone watches that podcast, they were, they are not, it's a natural assumption to make this person must be heavily introverted and pretty much an extremely hardworking but a boring individual. And nowadays you have the 
audio feature with Unapologetic Truth. So people do see a different side to you. Yeah, people do see that. I think a lot of people did comment that in our previous sessions as well. What, that like you're different than they imagined? Yeah, they, they, people tend to imagine someone in their 60s and they imagine someone <laughs> who's like grumpy and old and, you know, like someone who's more of a, you know, you take like an angry grandpa in a way like that. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. How much what of about, a role? How much ahead. of a role? How much of a role do you think your profile picture has to do with that? Because it's a pretty serious face of what's his name, Chankaya, Janakia, Chanakya. Janakia. I think it does play a role, but I would say the biggest factor is that my content is text. And my content is about being serious, being productive. And that is like a big portion of me. So being serious, you since I typically only talk about, you know, getting things done, how to be more productive, how can you become stronger and, you know, things that help you rise, self-improvement, people tend to color that everywhere and they assume that, okay, this is what this person is about and he does nothing else, which is not true. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if you, if Arman, you start making content about, say, you just make content about public speaking, then people will never know the engineering side of you. They will never know any other side of you. It's kind of like that, except lately I've been producing content about everything. So that problem is fixing itself, especially now that I'm doing YouTube as well, because people can hear me talk. Mm-hmm. I see exactly what you're saying. And, you know, you know how you're bringing up the text feature? Mm-hmm. I think another part is um, the image feature, where if you look at our first three, first three or four episodes of Unapologetic Truths, both of us are have that serious face. So immediately, it kind of gives that context like, ah, oh, dang, these people are about to talk about some serious stuff. We do talk about serious stuff, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we do. But nowadays, if you notice from our pictures, one of us is smiling, who's me? And the other person has that serious face. So when I look at it from afar, I see kind of like a yin and a yang, like a different mm. dynamic. Uh, did you notice that or am I just noticing this? I did not notice Any- that. Anyways, it's like, it, it's actually funny because it's polar opposite where one is smiling, one is not smiling and it creates that yin yang feature. But nowadays, like when I enter the podcast, it kind of gives me a different feeling inside. So I think people who are discovering these podcasts nowadays aren't just expecting only serious topics. They're exper- they're expecting more of a different experience where that just goes on to show that the visual processing centers of the brain does play a big role in terms of perception. And this is something that I've noticed personally. I agree with you. I think, you know, moreover, more than just the visual, it's that when you know only, for example, if you meet someone once, you will pick up, say, some cues about them, and then you will assume that this is how they always are, and then you will fill in those cues into the rest of their personality. So it's like that, you know, you don't, you know, like a certain side of someone, or let's say that, if if you take for example a 
a writer and this writer is writing about medical okay like they're a doctor and they're writing about health if you if they're only writing about health and you have never met them you hear heard them talk you will assume this person is someone who is like completely obsessed with health and does nothing else but mm-hmm. when you say actually meet them you might find out they might have a family and you know they might be like pretty cool people oh yeah i was actually watching this interview recently with uh, trey songs have you ever heard of him no he's a singer and it was hilarious because he's a singer that talks a lot about sex in his songs and at this point in his life i think he's like 37 38 and he hasn't settled down and a part of him is jaded because a lot of the women that he encounters are just thinking he's only down to smash he doesn't want a serious <laughs> relationship and it was hilarious because the hosts were like would you say that your songs kind of give that image that you're only into sex you don't want a long-term relationship and he's like that's exactly the case people judge me and my entire personality based off of these little 3 to 5 minute songs that I'm creating and people think all I do every day is just have sex from morning to night <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, is affecting his personal life because that's the main content of his songs we don't understand hmm. him as a person i think in our case for people like us or at least in my case my content is a huge part of me so you're not being too inaccurate by judging me by my content it's just that there is more to the story mhm is there certain other parts that you plan to include down the line that you haven't included thus far strategically not yet per se i think i think you know outside of the text and the image thing if i did video content then it would be like 99% of me because then you will be able to see me move how i interact and things like that but other than that i think i'm still pretty out there i do say what i want to say and i do share what i'm doing so that's pretty much i would say it's fairly accurate at this point absolutely there are things i do not talk about on twitter which are like more personal and private but yeah that's something that i don't intend to do anyway Yeah, I think when you are speaking too much about the personal stuff, I think it's a double-edged sword where sometimes it'll help, but other times it's not too good because a lot of the people in the internet, you don't really know. So you don't want to bring too much attention on yourself. That's my personal philosophy where I don't see myself doing like these daily vlogs or anything. I have a certain formula that I like and I like to double down on that particular formula. I think for me personally I like being a private person. I don't want my life to be on the internet for everyone to see all the time, you know. So I'm happy to share what I learned from my life, but I don't I don't see myself making vlogs and like basically becoming a celebrity. That that has a negative that has lots of negatives to it. Mhm. I was actually on this podcast recently with Essential Craftsman and it's a great podcast and they asked me like throughout the interview uh like what benefits does someone have in terms of 
giving up a little bit of their private life. And I said, well, there may be some benefits, but the Armani Talks brand talks more about how to you know, share your message without bringing too much attention to your private life because not everyone wants to be a celebrity. A lot of people just want to you know, share their ideas in a way where they can give value to other people, have a small group of people, or organically, this small group gets bigger, but they don't want like some damn paparazzi following them around and stuff. And I believe this is what new media is capable of, where for you, for example, like you can go outside and hundreds of people are not harassing you. Where like a guy like Shah Rukh Khan, he goes outside, there's a camera being shoved in his face. Where I think that's one of the gifts of our generation. We can build a, we can build our ideas in a way where it doesn't have to factor in fame. I definitely agree with that. You know, it's just more private, safer. It's better. You can do more things. You don't have to worry about who's watching, and you get to fail without you know having like the embarrassment be everywhere and you can succeed without it being publicized everywhere and it's just lots of advantages to being private i would say that see when you're like not someone who's sharing the personal life and people are still following you that goes to show that they're following you for their ideas they're intelligent people and that your ideas are valuable for them but when pe- when you are someone who is just all personality like at at the extreme example, you will have girls on Instagram who are just essentially putting pictures of themselves in half naked clothing. So and people will follow them. So people are not following them because of their intellect or ideas or anything. They're just following them because of pleasure and they just want to see them nude. So the the more anon you are, and you still have a following, that goes to show that your ideas are good and that people want to learn from you. And the more presentation and showy you are and people are following you, that is more closer to entertainment. And because if you take if if you if you take things like TikTok, Instagram, you have like 19-year-old girls essentially just posting like pictures with deep cleavages and they have like a hundred thousand followers. And that's just entertainment. Like their followers are just for entertainment. Doesn't validate anything about them. It doesn't show, doesn't tell us anything except that this person is hot. Do you know what I mean? When you mm-hmm. are someone who's not doing that, when you're not like posting pictures of yourself all the time in your day, and you're actually just posting content and your ideas, then you know that your ideas are actually great and people are there for you. You're essentially doing good work and not just entertainment. So would you say that like throughout your experience, you've noticed a big difference from building an audience on Instagram versus Twitter? They are completely different platforms with completely different types of audiences. So Twitter has a smarter audience. Twitter, relatively smarter, I should say. And Twitter, since it's completely text-based, if your ideas are great and you're adding value to people's lives, then you will gain a following. But on Instagram, it is less so the case. On Instagram, it's more about what is the coolest picture you can post. And I don't do that. My my Instagram is completely automated. It's a screenshot of Twitter. But, but I mean, Instagram in general is just people posting 
images of themselves or their food or their tits or their ass or their car or whatever and then you have like a much lower iq audience who likes that type of stuff and they're like following them but it's just too materialistic i would say or i would say that there is an audience for entertainment stuff and there is an audience for information stuff and instagram is much more on the entertainment side and their audience like the people who use instagram are far lower in iq than say the people who use twitter mhm and that that i can give you like lots of examples okay so i remember i said a tweet that starting a website costs 50 dollars and that you don't have to like have a lot of money to start a website and people on twitter just understood what i meant and they were like sharing like the websites they've built etc on instagram it was the comments like then why is wikipedia asking for money and <laughs> you know instagram is just much lower in iq like just it is how it is you know i think have you seen that elon musk podcast to elon musk podcast with joe rogan um yes i have he talks about the closer it is to your limbic system the more it will grow mhm so for example twitter is text only but instagram is image youtube is video so youtube has the biggest audience because it's engaging more of the limbic system i see what you're saying so i would say that the highest iq audience is on your blog they're reading articles and they have the concentration and attention span to read an entire article the second highest iq audience would be i would say still a text based platform like your email newsletter and you know your twitter then lower than that would be instagram which is image and there's a huge gap between instagram and twitter instagram iq is very low Where do you and put podcasts in the mix? Long form podcasts. It depends on the topic of the podcast. So podcasts are like a different story. So you could have podcasts that are more about complex topics, and that will have like a higher level audience. So it depends. Like podcasts, it really depends. I mean, like I'm talking in general terms here, and not like our specific work. I mean, like mm-hmm. on in, you talking about like in, social media content. Yeah, social media content. Like blogging and bloggers have like the highest IQ audience. and then we have twitter people as like the average twitter user has a much higher iq than the average instagram user who has a much higher iq like not a much higher iq like they have like a slightly higher iq i would say than the average youtube user because youtube is like the dumbest of the lot youtube youtube like i, I don't mean to like insult the people listening to this i'm not talking about you guys i mean like on average people on youtube like if you go to youtube you will find channels with like 300 million views and the views are for stuff like 5 minute crafts of people breaking a plate and then putting it in milk and then joining the plate <laughs> and stupid things like that so if you see what stuff is getting the most views on youtube it's the stupidest stuff it's like pranks it's like someone drilling a hole in a sausage and then using it as a straw instead of actually using a normal straw and stupid things so it's like the lowest iq audience is youtube 
this is interesting because I'm actually learning a lot because I have a certain amount of platforms that I'm on, but I've never, you know, I use Instagram for personal sake, but I never used it in terms of growing the Armani Talks brand yet. Maybe down the line, I'll consider it. And TikTok, like that's like foreign territory to me. So as you're breaking it down, I'm starting to understand how different each platform is. I don't know that much about TikTok, but from the people, so it's banned in India currently, so you can't use it. But when it was legal to use, it was the dumbest people I knew who would sit and watch TikTok. So my guess is that it's a platform for complete morons. I don't know how it works. I think it's like video content, but like, but short form video content, like Twitter for videos. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's probably similar to YouTube in the IQ spectrum, like dumb people use it mostly, or like the most watched content is for morons. I know a lot of creators that get on the platform start blowing up quick. I think TikTok's algorithms designed in a certain way where they want you to participate and create content. Interesting. I don't know. I have never used TikTok. I don't even have an account and I've never even seen the interface. Mm -hmm. I'm just basing it off watching other people use it. It's like you said, you know, it's like a foreign territory. It's a foreign territory. And it's, you know, there's so many platforms where down the line, I do want to interact and engage in more of these platforms. And I, you know, I have a lot of these content where I can see someone getting some of my YouTube videos, creating snippets, and maybe posting it on Instagram, TikTok. Uh, but I do want to know a little bit more about these platforms before I engage. Where Instagram thus far is mainly for uh, personal sake. Uh, people do follow me that follow me on Twitter on my personal Instagram account. They see a different side of me. Uh, but other than that, I haven't used it for business reasons yet. Mm, I see what you mean. I think you should use it for business reasons. I think you should use it to grow as much as possible. It's just good diversification. So Arman, do you have any platforms you intend to focus more on in 2022? Possibly. Where I don't want to bite off more than I can chew. Where, you know, next year, if I end up getting this virtual assistant who understands content curation and all that, I do want to take a lot of my blog articles, uh, get it on LinkedIn. And I don't want to speak too much on the matter yet because I'm not certain myself, but I could see that being something. Uh, For the time being, I do want to put more focus on what I've been working on and keep doubling down on that. Uh I know LinkedIn is a pretty lucrative platform. I have a couple of friends who use it and they make very good money with it, especially for freelancing. And I think Mm -hmm. you will do well on LinkedIn because it's used by all the business people and professional networks. So it is right up your alley. Yeah, in 2019, I was writing a few blogs on my LinkedIn profile and I was just writing it just for the sake of it, just to get some practice. And I had two DMs uh, from my LinkedIn followers who were like, dude, your blog came in at the perfect time because I was getting so nervous about my speech coming up and your whole little trick about viewing speech anxiety as speech excitement, it helped me out a lot. And this is like a guy I went to college with. So I thought, huh, it helped you out a lot, you said. Continue, what helped you out about it? And I found out that on LinkedIn, 
there's not too many people talking about like the soft skills that I speak about. So maybe down the line, I'll definitely grow my presence there. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I think you should. I think it's a good idea. I would do LinkedIn too. And there are like very easy ways to automate it. It's just that they want you to have like a real name and I can't put up life math money that I would have to like come up with a real name. So. Mm-hmm. I got kicked out essentially. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a personal account? I mean, you don't have to share the name, of course, but I don't have for yourself. any personal accounts on any social media platform, like not a single one. Really? No Facebook, Instagram, any of that? Nope, nothing. I have zero personal social media accounts. I just use internet for productive reasons. So I have like a rule okay, on the internet. If I'm doing something on the net, it has to be either for one, growing my business and making me more money, or two, helping me learn things and get better at things. And if it doesn't meet any of these criteria, I just don't do it. Do your friends have a social media presence? Like, do they Probably. ever say, harsh, when are you going to get on, man? They don't try convincing you? Oh, my default answer is that I don't believe the privacy trade-offs are worth it. So I just tell them after Edward Snowden, <laughs> I just don't use social media. And people, <laughs> people just buy it. But nowadays, you know, I've noticed that at least things like Facebook, people don't really use. So I deleted my Facebook back in 2015. And like this was like early 2015. And people say for the next two years, 16, 17, like new people you would meet, they would ask you for your Facebook. They would ask you like, so what's your Facebook account? Let me add you as a friend. People have stopped doing that. Like no one talks about Facebook anymore. So my guess is that Facebook is dead. And I know it's kind of dead organic growth wise because the Life Math Money channel on Facebook doesn't grow nearly as fast as Instagram, YouTube or Twitter or anywhere else. So Facebook kind of is dead as far as I'm concerned. Facebook is more so for the older people now. I want to say older people, but like Facebook is like like my parents or like like our parents' generation uses it more. Uh So it's like, they appreciated technology in a way. <laughs> no, no, like th- that's like a very engaged base. Like my mom, like whenever I go home, like she'll take uh, pictures of like me, my brother, like the entire family together. And, you know, her post will be pretty lit. Like a lot of other aunties, uncles engaging with it. So, mm. I mean, that's a, I mean, if I was Facebook, I'd be targeting that market a lot more rather than trying to convert guys like you and me. I don't know. I think that any platform that doesn't have like young people is essentially destined for failure. Because if young people are not coming in, then what do you have? These young people will not sign up later on. So your audience is going to keep, essentially you have like, you're on like an age limit. So say 30 years from now, your audience, half of your audience will die to be frank. And then what? So your platform is going to die at some point. Mm-hmm. So I th- unless a platform can convince new people to keep joining, like new young people, it's like dead at some point. Because that's what happened to even legacy platforms. Okay, If you take, say, writing letters. With email, no one wrote letters, but old people are still writing letters. And now that this generation is going away, the letter business, you know, 
parcel business and all of these businesses are suffering or they're just moving to delivering Amazon stuff. Right. Where okay, so in the US, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I'll speak for a certain subsection of people. They don't really use Facebook too much, but they're not going to delete it either from what I've noticed. Where guys around my age or around your age, they'll still use it, you know, do a little bit of stocking, stay updated, uh, use the messenger feature a lot more. So it's not like they're not using it completely. And it's not like they're super engaged with it. They're in that middle ground territory. So this, I would say, is some good news for Facebook where they can try to make these people more engaged. Where I have seen it nowadays where people my age are kind of going back to Facebook more than they did, I would say, last year or the year before. I don't know what's changed. I think more people want to like, you know, show off the new house they bought or like the new kid that they have. But that's one thing I've noticed. Another thing harsh I've noticed is that is Facebook ads like do people still use that a lot? Like marketers and e-com owners? Yeah, people use Facebook ads. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, I guess that could be like their monetization strategy. Have you heard of MySpace? I have. It's it was like a much older platform, right? Like Orkut. Yeah, so MySpace was the poppin' one before Facebook. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. My cousin was like, Hey, you guys should stop using MySpace. There's this new thing called Facebook coming in. And I think this was around <laughs> 2008, 2009. And I remember we were all just like laughing at that cousin of ours. We're like, You silly girl, you think Facebook is really gonna beat MySpace? Because Facebook at that time was mainly geared for only college. college students. Okay. And I think I was like a senior. So I was about to enter college. So my cousin was like, trust me, you want to make a Facebook account soon. And then around that year, they were opening it up for high school students as well. And she was right, man. I mean, eventually Facebook came in and took MySpace's block. Yeah, it's... So my first social media account was Facebook. So I never, I didn't know anything before that. And I started my account in 2008 as well. And I don't know how old I was back then. So I'm 25 now. So how many years is it? 14. So I was like 11 years old. (laughs) (laughs) So I lied about being 13 and above. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason I made an account was not because I cared about the social media aspect. It was just to play Farmville with my friends. Like it, it, it used to be a clicker game back then and people mm-hmm. would play it in school. Like, you know, you, you would level up your farm and it was a complete waste of time in hindsight. And I remember I used the software to do all the clicking work for me. It was called Grid Clicker or something. Grid Clicker. So yeah, Facebook kind of died as far as I know. So car- currently I have no personal social media accounts and I haven't had them in the past seven, eight years. Like, unless you count my YouTube account to be a social media account, but that just, you know, everyone has a Gmail account. But YouTube, you don't use it for personal reasons. You use it for life math money. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, I also have like a personal YouTube account, which is just for viewing videos. Oh, okay. Okay. But that comes with a Gmail. So, you know, it's, I, I don't count it as social media. I'll be real, dude. I don't think I've heard anyone 
in that 25 year range that says they don't have a personal social media. I'm actually thinking if you're the first person I know that said that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a it's not an insult or anything. It's like it's like a fact. I don't think I know anyone else because I would imagine that there's like this big blind or black hole in your I want to say social life like do you mainly text people or what's how up? do you Telegram, WhatsApp, Signal? Okay, so you used like the group chats a lot. In India, WhatsApp is really popular. Like everyone has WhatsApp, including my maid, my employees. Everyone has WhatsApp. I think in the West, it's not so popular. In the West, it's picking up. Before it was GroupMe, but nowadays WhatsApp is coming in and slowly Telegram is being adopted more. Telegram is superior as an application. I I am more in favor of using it and I've been using it more and more over WhatsApp lately. But WhatsApp is what everyone has. So you essentially have to have WhatsApp because there are people without Telegram who have WhatsApp, but there are no one, there's no one who has only Telegram and no WhatsApp. So you have to have WhatsApp in India. So everyone uses WhatsApp and that's what I use. And personally, I don't think my social life has suffered at all without by not having, you know, an Instagram account or a Facebook account in my personal name. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't like do you think more people are going to delete their personal social medias or you don't see that being a thing? I don't think so. I think they will switch platforms every once in a while like they did with Facebook. But I don't think they will delete it simply because and you know, this is like what we a bit of what we talked about in our last podcast. Like most people are too basic. They just live for entertainment and they don't care about self-improvement or anything that has more long-term value so they just want dopamine hits and those hits have to come from somewhere be it video games or social media or youtube videos or whatever and these guys aren't going to suddenly stop using social media they will continue to do so it's just that maybe they will go from using say facebook to using instagram and girls will start making content on maybe tiktok or whatever and you know i don't see them just deleting deleting their accounts as much as i don't see them stop eating bread and you know unhealthy (laughs) foods out of curiosity did you delete it mainly for privacy reasons or for self-improvement reasons so i deleted it in 2015 and the reason i deleted it back then was that i was i was heavily into self-improvement so that at that age i was how old was i Maybe nine. I don't remember how old it was. Six, seven years. Twenty-one-ish. Eighteen-ish. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was eighteen-ish, and the reason I deleted it was back then I was I was heavily into self-improvement at eighteen. I started the self-improvement thing at sixteen, so at eighteen I was like really into it. And what would happen is that I was like working hard. I was going to the gym. I was reading books and. You know, I was not wasting any of my time. Like I was, but not as much. And I would go to Facebook and I would see all my friends like having fun, basically, you know, going here and there and essentially wasting their time, but also having fun in the process. And Facebook was essentially a big source of FOMO for me. Like, I, you know, it would like, you know, when you're like young, younger, I would say, you're making the right decisions, but watching other people have fun kind of makes you want to have do that as well you know you're like more influenceable 
the younger you are. So I realized that Facebook was a huge source of unhappiness for me. So I just deleted it. And then from Facebook, you deleted the other ones or you never even got those other ones? I have never had any other social media accounts other than Facebook. I did have a Twitter account, but I think I deleted it around the same time. That's insane. Where for you, it's probably, ah, what's the big deal? But a guy like me, when I'm hearing it, I, it's it's definitely something new that I haven't heard before. Where I went to this uh, business networking event, I would say last year before the pandemic hit. And I was talking to this one lady. Hey, you mean I two think, years ago? Yeah. So I was talking to this one lady. Uh, she was in her mid-60s. And I asked her what she was. Like, what did she do for a living? And she's like, I'm a storytelling coach. I was like, you what? are? Uh, yeah, I was like, huh, th- that's unique. I haven't heard that before. And I started talking to her about what she does. And she's helped a bunch of these different leaders uh, hone their message and tell their story. And as we were talking, I was like, uh, it, do you have like a LinkedIn I could follow up with you on? She's like, nope. I was like, Facebook? She's like, nope. And she's like, I have a business card and an email and that is all. And she had like no presence on any social media platforms. And it was funny because when we were in that event, one of my buddies who was hosting the event was like, you know, you two kind of have the same ideal clients. Like I work with a lot of uh, business owners, CEOs, and that's the same thing that she does. But I was thinking, man, she's not going to be able to contact a lot of these people because she has no form of content creation online at all for her business for her mainly it's just word of mouth marketing and that's about it and her physically going to these events so i think that was like the last time i met someone who didn't have much of a social media presence and now you are the second one a person hey, a personal like what that it's is. worth i have the biggest social media presence in a way <laughs> <laughs> I meant personalized, not business, but that is true. Um, would you say that, do any of your close friends know about Life Math Money? Not really, no. I have like some friends who do know about it, but that's from like a long ago. Yeah, like a handful of people who I really trust, but not 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 many people. You know, I will say that on the part of that lady not having social media was a huge mistake because as a business you do want social media it's very useful it's like you want so here's my strategy okay like as i told you it has to either it has to either help me earn or help me learn and i am someone who's just trying to use social media for my benefit i'm not someone who's trying to be used by social media so i think most people just get used by the social media platforms and instead of using the platform It's actually kind of funny that you bring it up because you technically do have the biggest social media presence from most of the people that I know. And I would think that intuitively, when people ask you about your personal social media, they'll probably be like, that's even bigger. But it's crazy because it's such the, like this dynamic that's introduced because you really do have like you have a really large following just stacking up all your platforms combined. I mean, yes, but it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Let's hope. <laughs> Absolutely. 
it's one million it, in 2022 <laughs> <laughs> it'll be it'll be funny if one day one of your close friends is like reading the life math money tweets and it's like telling you yo man you should follow this account <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that would be funny yes that's never happened to you no not yet because I, I already told you where my neighbor was one time telling me to follow Life Math Money. He's like, bro, you got to check out this account. <laughs> I was like, only if this guy knew. <laughs> <laughs> See, but that's, that's, that's interesting because how come he, did, he knew me, but he did, did not know you? When, when, when did this happen? So this was, let me think. This is definitely before we had Unapologetic Truths, even the first episode. So it was before 2020. I know that. Uh, Probably okay, so, 2019. Yeah, back then we weren't doing these podcasts. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure afterwards he's like, "Wait a minute, that other guy's name sounds familiar. Who is this Armani <laughs> Talks guy?" <laughs> yeah, that is really funny. Okay, you mm-hmm. know, there's a guy called Alexander Cortez. Uh huh. I remember seeing one of his tweets. He was saying that he gets recognized in public every week now. And I'm not sure whether I consider that to be a good thing or a bad thing. Well, he has a lot of followers, right? He's like half my size, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many he has. I think it has like 130 or something. I don't remember. Right. But I do like the guy because he inspired me to start a Twitter account. Yeah, you said it was him, uh, Victor Pride, and a few other guys? Yeah, there was a guy called um, Wall Street Playboys, who is now Bowtied Bull, Cernovich from Danger and Play, and Ed Latimer, an illimitable man, who I'm now Mm -hmm. working with for a couple of projects. Wow. So it's crazy because you've interacted with a lot of them. They all follow you. Uh Uh-huh. It's kind of crazy. I never expected this, you know. I remember when I started Twitter, my goal was to get 10,000 followers in three years. And... You shattered that. Yeah, but it kind of... You know, when you were saying don't have specific goals? Right. I was thinking of that moment because sometimes you just underestimate how much you can do. Absolutely. Where you you probably were not even imagining when you were initially starting your Twitter account that it was going to be this big. Yeah, I did not imagine it at all. In fact, even now, I I don't fully, you know, I don't understand why people still listen to me. Like, why do people listen to you? For me, it's like, why do people listen to me? I'm just a guy who is living my life and I'm just sharing what I learn on Twitter and on the internet and on my blog. But the concept where people are actually listening is a bit something that I have not yet absorbed, I would say. So Do that you have is, any idea why? why? Why you think they're listening to you? Uh, I mean, I do know why it's helping them live better lives and it's adding value to them. What I mean to say is that from a more subconscious perspective, Right. I think, well, I'll tell, I'll tell you why I listen to you, where I think you have a good way of turning complex topics into simple topics. And you don't 
a pussy for too much, where you're trying to make it more about you. You know how to get to the heart of the fundamentals. And even behind the scenes, when me and you interact, I do know that you're a very resourceful kind of guy. So I respect the way that you think. So that's why one of the reasons I listen to you. And I think me and you, we started our accounts at the same time. So we've known each other from the very beginning. beginning. You started May 2018. I started June 2018. And where you had like a few people that kind of got you started. My guys were uh, Dr. Ralph. You know, yeah, Napoleon, you know Dr. great guy. Love his content. Yeah, awesome guy. Uh, Fateh Singh. And yeah, I would, great guy as well. Yeah, and uh, I, I know I'm missing a few names, but those two, I, I remember, would get recommended on my newsfeed a lot because my roommate introduced me to this side of the Twitter. And I was thinking, whoa, look at these people using social media in such a powerful way. And they initially got me in it. So when I started it, I saw like you one time interact with one of my tweets. I was like, who is this guy? You know? Uh, and then I think we started interacting from there. And yeah, I respected your thinking process. Hmm. That's interesting to hear. Okay. Fair. And you were one of the first guys that asked me to do a guest blog, which I thought was a pretty socially intelligent move because that's a different way to build uh, social assets where in my YouTube channel, one of the skill sets I talk about is social skills, not just public speaking or writing, but social skills. And I talk about different ways someone can add value. And I thought that was a pretty intelligent move on your end where you're like, do you want to come on my blog and uh, write this post? And since writing that post, there's been a lot of people who discovered me and my account through that post. So you never know mm. when a certain opportunity can lead to more opportunities in the future. You're right. I think I, I agree with you there. I I do think that you're a very good writer. And I think when I was asking you for a guest post, I was just thinking this guy knows about storytelling. So let me have him do an expert piece. So for me, it was like an unconscious decision, maybe. But I agree with you. I think it did help us connect more. Arman, I would love to hear what are the best social skills tips you have for someone who is essentially a noob? Because I this is a question I receive a lot on DM, Twitter, where people, they've been at home for the past year. And social skills are something that if you don't practice, they kind of go down the drain because they're skills. So what are the most important social skills that you think are relevant for people to know? That's a great question. And that's actually going to tie into a blog post that I'm going to publish right after this podcast. And I'll link the blog post in, uh, in the description box as well. But if someone is trying to improve their social skills and they're a complete noob, the first thing I recommend is trying to adopt the one person mindset. Where when you're a noob, your mind is thinking in groups. A part of you is probably feeling social anxiety because you think you have to conquer this large group of people and get them on your side. But instead, charismatic people and socially intelligent people know how to speak to one person at a time. And the more that you can start to speak to one person at a time, the more that you give more full attention and you start to melt the social anxiety. 
So that's one thing that I would recommend. The second thing I would recommend is learn to distinguish between acquaintances and friends. Friends are what I call the nucleus of your social circle, and acquaintances are the valence electrons. Loneliness and social anxiety often happens because people can't distinguish between the two. They think a friend and an acquaintance are the same thing. Not true. You should, I think, have less friends and build a stronger bond with them. And these are the people you could go through the ups and downs with. And try to stack up a lot of acquaintances from a variety of fields. And often you'll notice that your acquaintances don't know each other, which means that you're on the right track. So when your mind starts to think, oh, whoa, there's a difference between a friend and an acquaintance, you have more of a composed manner rather than trying to make everyone your friend where you come off as needy. Mm. So you see what I'm saying, Harsh, where do, do you see the difference that I'm trying to talk about, the difference between a friend and an acquaintance? Agree. One is more about, say, breadth and the other is about depth. Absolutely. And you'll notice that a lot of the times your friends all pretty much know each other or you guys know a lot of the same people. While when you get a new acquaintance, you're pretty much entering a brand new world or a social world for that matter. So adopt the one person mindset and then separate friends from acquaintances. And the third thing is to just practice. And the way that you can practice is by uh, not waiting for life to happen to you, but be the person that makes things happen. Uh, try to uh, organize an event with someone that you already know, right? Rather than thinking you have to start completely over. And the more that you can organize these micro interactions, the more that you can start now going to different clubs, going to different events and socializing there. Where uh, personally for me, like I I'm a Toastmasters kind of guy. Um, I try to view it more as a social skills club first and a public speaking club second. So if you're somewhere where you don't know anyone, go to Toastmasters, uh, download the Meetup app and find local events around your area and just attend those. But you're not going to get better at social skills and how to converse with other people if you don't practice. That's the name of the game, practice. That makes complete sense. I agree with you there, especially about practice. I do think that one of the most valuable things people can do is read, read How to Win Friends and Influence People. That book is really, really good and was kind of life-changing for me. So there are two books which I really like when it comes to social skills. And they're not like, intended. To, one of them is like for social skills, which is How to Win Friends and Influence People. And the other one is The Book of Book which is not meant for social skills per se, but it has some very good content for people who are struggling with social skills. So my recommendation is to go to Book of Book and How to Win Friends and Influence People and read both of these books. In fact, they're available for free. So if you go to bookofbook.com, that's where you will find Book of Book. And if you go to socialskillswisdom.com, on socialskillswisdom.com, you will find um, how to win friends and influence people. Mm -hmm. And having the theory in your arsenal helps a lot when you're going through like these real world situations. You know how to expect things more. True, but you know, in my case, I can like, speak for myself here. 
And in my case, what was happening to me was that there, there were many mistakes I was making regarding social skills, but because I was not taught these things, I just did not know that I was making these mistakes. So I was doing the same wrong thing over and over and over again. And I, I'll give you an example of this, okay? For example, one thing how to win friends and influence people talks about is the fact that everyone thinks they're innocent even though they may be completely guilty. So for example, if someone made a huge transgression, they at have some level already justified it as not being their fault in some or the other way. So for example, if someone was late to a meeting, they from you might think this guy is rude because he was late. But this guy, in his head, he's thinking there was a lot of traffic and that's why I'm late, so it's not my fault. So in almost all situations, people who are at fault, they approach the situation as if they are not at fault. So getting angry with them is like a waste of your time. So you have to have like a better way of, you know, getting to them. And the better way is to emphasize with them, hey, yeah, I know there was a lot of traffic, you got late. And then you can like tell them that, you know, um, this is a better route for getting there. And, you know, people understand this stuff and they will not be late next time, usually. Do you see what I mean to tell you? It's it's these things which you just don't know and you tend to have like a human reaction. But if you know what is a better way, then you can use that. And these books will give you those ways. For yep. example, one other thing is that if people think they have to be a good speaker, you know, they have to learn how to speak, but how do people interpret a good conversation partner? And this is like, I've tested this in my personal life as well. It's when you speak less, people think you're a better conversationalist because people just want to hear themselves talk. And that is something I never realized before reading the book. So now on calls, like say outside of these podcasts where I'm expected to speak, if I'm on a call, I'm just listening. I'm not talking as much. And then people will say, you're like a great conversationalist. And <laughs> it's funny because I just didn't say anything. <laughs> and it's not just for conversations. It's like, let's say you have a consultation practice. A lot of the times you just have to listen. Where I had this one guy who was terrified to speak in front of the camera and a lot of these times, these fears are pretty much psychological, where at first they think, oh, I, I got to get better at speaking from the camera. But a lot of the other times, it's better to just look in. And the more that we were speaking, the more that he was able to find out why he's specifically scared of speaking in front of the camera, but not other places. It's because when he was a little kid, I think he fell off his skateboard and hurt himself and felt a lot of pain. And one of his family friends recorded the entire incident. And subconsciously, what happened was that he associated that pain with the, uh, the video camera. And he's basically reaching these conclusions on himself. And he's like, whoa, that's the reason why I keep getting scared. I think that memory just keeps getting charged anytime I see the recording light. And he's pretty much just solving his own issue. And... He's like, wow, Armani, thanks so much. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> but <laughs> he was pretty much just speaking. Solving his own problem. Just, 
yeah, and I was just listening. And plenty of consultants that are listening to this section right now, they're like, dude, he's literally speaking what I do for my sessions as well. It's just yeah, a agree, thing, man. Agree. It's, Sorry, it's, a, it's learning how to listen. That's one of the most important things because you could do a whole bunch of things wrong, but if you know how to listen, then you're going to be doing a whole bunch of things right. Where I think there's too many people that focus on what they can't control at the moment versus what they can control. And there's so many different ways to give value. Where I know this guy who, in dictionary standards, you can consider a awkward kind of guy. He's very rigid. He doesn't know when someone's telling a joke. He can't tell jokes himself. Uh, stuff like that. However, in the industry that he's in, he can pass referrals to different businesses with ease. So when you're getting referrals from this guy, which are leading to $1,000 paydays or whatever, are you still going to view this guy as socially awkward? Probably not. You're going to view this guy as charming in his own right. So I think more people need to focus on what they can control versus what they can't. Mm. So it's like, you know, if you're poor, then you're just a weirdo. But if you're rich, then you're eccentric. <laughs> you made that up yourself? Or is this a famous quote? I like it. I think it's a famous quote. I don't... Yeah, it's a famous quote. I remember reading this somewhere or the other. It's like I've read so much that I have a lot of stuff in my head, but I can't tell you where it's from because it's all a mishmash. Most people just want to feel important. How you do that is up to you. But if you can keep that intent in your mind, this person that I'm speaking to wants to feel important in some way, shape, or form. I could either do that by giving them referrals, listening to them, giving a targeted compliment, something. But keep that as the intent. Make the other person feel important and then win in the process. Yeah, I think that is a chapter in how to win friends and influence people. Make the other person feel important. And that's why, you know, remembering someone's name is so crucial because it it creates physical sensations in their nervous system. Especially when you say the name right. You'll be surprised by how many people call me Armin or Armand. Like they will put a D at the end. And if you could just keep asking, like, am I saying your name right? Especially when you're speaking to someone that you're not 100% certain, it does, uh, it does profound effects for your likability. It depends, you know. I think you're right. In most cases, it makes sense to remember the name. But there are, I have had situations where it's actually beneficial to pretend to not know their name, even when you do. Why you is that? For example, you meet some, some people are just so self-important. They think that they own you and, you know, they act like they're so much better than you. And say you meet them again and they start like essentially trying to dominate you. And they're like, hey, what's your name? I, I don't remember meeting you. And that really throws them off. Because in their head, they're the king and they own everybody. And when you're like, I don't even know who you are. They're like faking, you know. So there are situations in my experience where it's very it's, it's it it does help very much to not know someone's name or to intentionally missay their name. And this could be say you you you're dealing with like a very bratty girl and then you you just call her with the wrong name just to mess with her. And <laughs> that works. That does work well. 
But other than th- other than that, yes, you should know people's names. It does have a huge psychological impact because it makes them feel relevant and mattered. Well, what you just said is unique because I haven't heard that, but I do see a case for that, and it just shows the importance of being socially dynamic, where you know who you're speaking to, because for some people, that may be the necessary option. Yeah, I think especially nowadays where. you know everyone thinks they're so important and especially like when you're dealing with someone who's like 18 19 and you know they're in that teenage phase where they think they're the center of the universe or the universe itself you have to bring them down a notch without say creating like a sense of enmity and one of the ways to do it is to just forget their name Is there a phrase oh, for it? Is, is that a, are you talking about a neg? Have you no, heard of that? No, I'm not talking about a neg. neg. No, I don't know what that is. I think you know, I I think I do. It's like in insulting someone intentionally. But this is not what I'm talking about. What I mean to say is for example, if you if you're say out with this girl, okay, let's say and she is kind of, you know, giving you too much attitude and you say call her by the wrong name. there's a 90% chance that you you've essentially shown that you're way better than her because you're you know you have more girls and you don't even care about her enough to remember her name and she will start treating you way better immediately or mm-hmm. she will get pissed off but you know in either case you win right i i think this is a neg um where i'm just googling it right now it means to mildly insult someone in order to elicit their romantic interest but your one is talking more about just people in general not just for women yeah just people in general interesting you know sometimes it even happens like for example you have like let's say that you have like an employee who's getting too friendly with you and they're not doing their job well and how do you bring them down without screaming at them you kind of remind them that you are not their friend you're their boss and how do you do that without being angry one way to do that is to start saying their name wrong <laughs> i see a case for it i i think it's this is a dynamite move where if you know the guy very well and you're saying their name wrong out of nowhere they're going to be like yeah not out of nowhere can't be out of nowhere <laughs> it has to be done like before you are like good friends with them like let's say you met someone three four times or like it's it's if it's like you going out with them for the first time it you, you can't do it after you're friends with them it has to be done before like you have to establish a dynamic before absolutely i i think this is what we call like a more intermediate to advanced move so if someone is struggling with social skills at the moment yeah they shouldn't do I think, it <laughs> i think it's best to warm up with with some skills this is a uh, unique is this something that you learned on your own Yeah, this is something I learned on my own. It it was I kind of learned it by accident because it it happened innocently, but I realized how good of an impact it had on people. So I started using it more. It does work. I wonder how like, you don't want to do use that it to on me. good people, by the way. Don't use it on good people because if someone's being nice to you and you're like forgetting their name, then you're just an asshole. But if someone's like being very bratty and they are acting very entitled and like they own you, and you want to bring them down a bit then this is what you what you can do like 
just ask them like or just say their name but like say some other name or like a very wrong name like instead of calling you arman i'll say akash <laughs> i can see a case for that message. yeah i can see a case for that other times i think it's it may add more confusion where you know now you're thinking ah oh, should i remember this guy's name or not let me ask you harsh how are you someone who's naturally good at remembering people's names because this is a a flaw that a lot of people have where they try to but they keep forgetting and it hurts their likability later on hmm so in my case if i try to remember someone's name then i remember it if i don't then it's like a hit or miss so if i may meet someone and i don't care about their name then i might remember it or not but if i make a point to remember it then i will But usually, you know, is, if you forget someone's name, just ask them for their number and ask them to spell out their name. So I will be like, Arman, <laughs> I, I would love to like get in touch with you. You should give me your number. Like I would say, hey, buddy, I would love to get in touch with you. You should, get, you should give me your number and then say, can you spell your name? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say that where I used to be awful at remembering names, especially when you go to these networking events where you're meeting, let's say, 20 plus people. And then you have a conversation, an in-depth conversation at that with one of them. You're like, damn, I forgot their name. But that's when you could do the trick that you just mentioned. Another thing that I have is viewing names sort of like seasoning, where if you get someone's name, make it the intention to use it a few times in the interaction. And mm. you not using it is sort of like you buying salt and pepper and leaving it in your cabinet when you're cooking your dish. So when you could create that mental connection between names and seasonings, it makes you much more likely to use it and understand when you're overusing it as well. Yeah, I think most people don't use the name enough. So the question of overusing is like, you know, a bit out of hand. But for these guys, that's like the last of their worries. Yeah, last of their worries. But people need, for example if someone says you introduce yourself hey my name is arman you say and the next response for from me should be hey arman it's good to meet you so how was it arman so you, i've just said your name two three times already so i'm very likely to remember it so you say my name perfect where it's like arman where in oh, the that's us i'm indian because I, I know to roll the r in the us they will be saying arman no, they don't say Arman. Like I would be okay with that, but they'll Arman, say or, or, no, 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 no. They say Armen, like M E N, and it's not just <laughs> it's not just one guy either. It's multiple guys. Where I, I used to have this one guy who was my public speaking coach, where you know he was a singer beforehand. He was a Broadway guy, and he knows how to use his voice. But our entire eight week session, he could not call me Arman. He just keep calling me Armin, Armin, Arman. <laughs> and here's another thing that I've noticed. Whenever I introduce myself as Arman, it's like 60% chance that a lot of these people are going to forget. Afterwards, they're going to be like, uh, how do you say the name again? But if I say Armani, 99% chance they will never forget. Mm. It's, it's because for a few reasons. Number one, it's, it's familiar to them. And number two, it's unorthodox, where Arman is pretty unorthodox as well, but it's not familiar to them. So they can't use their subconscious mind. 
But if I'm at a networking event and I'm like, oh, it's Armani, they're like, oh, wow, like that's your name? And then they'll try to introduce me to other people like, hey, this is Armani. And it was, <laughs> it was hilarious because initially um, when I first came to the country, I was surprised by how many people's mouth could not just pronounce not only my first name, my last name especially, like Chaudhuri. They can't say Chaudhuri. They say Chaudhuri. So one day, uh, my science teacher, um, she was like in La La Land, and I was raising my hand. And she's like, yes, Armani. And all the other kids start laughing. They're like, ha ha, she calls you Armani, not Arman. And I was like, huh. Uh, she said it so effortlessly, where this was the same teacher who would all struggle to say my name. So later on, like, you know, I just started going by like both nicknames where both works for me. Um, oh, is that it, how Armani Talks came into being? Yeah, well, Armani Talks, like I created that like way later where like at this point, like, you know, I have, you know, friends, a lot of girls call me Armani normally. Um, and then I had like guy friends that will just call me Arman because they could pronounce my name. But then I had guy friends that would be like, yo, Armani was good. So it's kind of like I always went by both names. Um, it's like, let me give you an example. Uh, a lot of my Bengali listeners listening to this, they have a thing called Daknam, where they have a real name and then they have a like a Bengali name. So I have a friend whose name is uh, Shafin, but his American name is Mishkad. <laughs> where, oh, so it's like what the Chinese do. What do the Chinese do? They have something similar? They have a Chinese name and an English name. So their Chinese name could be something like Lee Kuan Yew, and their English name would be something like Arnold. Yes. it's And you notice how different the two names are? Where another uh, one of my friends, his Bengali name is Deepu. His American name is Iqbal. And I'm like, bro, stick with your Bengali name, man. <laughs> his but for me... Bengali uh, name is Hiku. Deepu. D-I-P-U. And his yeah, American name. name, and his American name is Iqbal, I Q B A L. But for Iqbal. me, growing up, I only had one name, which was Arman. So when I started to get called Armani, it was kind of like my Daknam, which is nickname. Mm. You know, so it came very Armani. natural to me. I see what you mean. Do people? Well, I don't think people have difficulty saying your name. Well, oh, everyone says my name wrong on the internet. Do they? they? Say harsh instead of harsh. So my name is so the A is the Indian uh, and the R is rolled, so it's harsh and not harsh. Man, I've been saying it wrong this whole time, man. Hey, it's fine. It's okay. I don't <laughs> care about that, to be honest. Like, it's fine. Like you can call me whatever you like. Do you have a nickname? Like, you don't have to share it, but offline? Yeah, my family calls me by, like, a variation of my name. And is there a certain one that you identify more with, or you like to be addressed as just one thing? Um, lately, it's just harsh that I identify with. And, you know, it's gotten to the point where I just have... Like you know, like there's an internet identity, there's like a personal identity, there's like an identity identity with family. 
and there was this guy who kind of got tired of so many identities and he was like i'm going to merge them all into one and he dogs himself and for me i don't see that at all i for me it's like i'm completely comfortable with having different names everywhere so for me it's fine like i can just go with harsh so when he docks himself, is he someone on Twitter or? Yeah, on he's on Twitter. Platform? His name is Shamin. Oh, I know him. Shamin yeah. Yakub. So he used to go by Momo the Disciple. And I asked him why he docks himself. And I think he said that he was just annoyed of having like a different name everywhere. And for me, I see that as an advantage and not as like a liability. So I, for me, it's like a normal thing. Like it's fine. Because it lets me try new things without, you know, having to think too much. I've noticed a few accounts do that since I first got on the platform where they unveil themselves. Yeah, a lot of people have done that. There are advantages and disadvantages to it, though. Like the main advantage is that it gives you more credibility and it lets you produce more types of content because now you can do video now you can do, say, more face-to-face type of stuff. You can actually do physical meetups and things like that. The disadvantages are the loss of privacy. Now you have to censor yourself because you will have like more of more consequences in the real world and things like that. You know, so it's a trade-off. And the big part of this is that you can always unveil yourself, but you can't go in the reverse direction. That's true. So for me, I see more value in, for now at least, to be pseudonymous. But maybe in the future, I will also do the same thing. It depends. I will see how things go. I forgot which era it was. I think it was either 2019, 2018, where there was some anon bashing going on. Where people were like, oh, well, why should I listen to you? You know, you haven't even shown yourself. Yeah, that's stupid because, you know, it's like you can judge whether someone is saying something correct or not on the basis of what they're saying. And there's like a certain amount of, I would say, jealousy or no, not exactly jealousy. I would say there's, there's a certain amount of bitterness from some people who think that unless you're showing your face, I can't trust you, which is complete nonsense because everyone on mainstream media, okay, everyone on, say, CNN and all these channels, they're always showing their face and they're always lying to your face. So just because someone is showing you their face doesn't mean they're <laughs> being honest. Like all these politicians who are lying all the time, they're, they are on TV and their face, their everything is public, but they're still lying all the time. So just because you see someone's face out there does not, it doesn't even imply basic honesty so why do you have all these other assumptions of integrity it makes no sense i think it's just one of those ad hominem attacks you know i think randomly these movements just get created out of the nowhere and then they just disappear out of nowhere where i never got that kind of bashing from my perspective because a lot of the anonymous accounts that i know i respect them where you know, there's two sides to everything where some anonymous accounts are going to be anonymous just to like, you know, troll and hate, where there's other anonymous accounts that are going to share profound ideas in an unfiltered way. So I never got that. I thought 
let's judge them by their ideas rather than whether they're showing their face or not. There's this thing, Arman, where some people just like to hate. It's like that. Like there is zero value in attacking someone for being anon. Like, what are you going to accomplish? Are all the anons going to delete their accounts because you don't like them? No. So it's just you being outraged for no reason. But I will say that the future is pseudonymous because all the current tech, where is technology headed with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Monero? We are headed towards pseudonymity. We are headed towards more privacy. We are headed towards more control over our own lives. And there will still be a place for people doing the personal brand thing. But I think in the future, we will see more and more and more valuable people producing content anonymously because it allows them to say what they want without being censored. Even now, I do know a couple of anonymous people who are run anonymous accounts that are run by actual billionaires. And even in public, like if you take the hash mask people, a lot of the people, like anyone who owns a hash mask is worth 10 million at least. And these guys are all anon. Like all of them are like pseudonymous or like anonymous or whatever you want to call it. So that is the future we're heading into. And anyone who doesn't get it is stuck in 2017. Like you're NGMI at that point. And I'm not saying there is no value in not being an on like or like having a face out there it's just not where technology and the world is headed there are there will definitely be very successful personal brands but this is not the direction technology is moving and i think it honestly depends on which field they're in as well where if someone's in a field where they're teaching like say public speaking or vocal coaching then yeah show your face if it's something where, you know, they're talking a lot about uh, politics and I'm talking about the very raw stuff where, you know, they want to do it in a private setting, then don't show your face. Uh, one thing that I'm a big fan of is what I call decentralized audiences, where, you know, this podcast is sort of an example where people that are subscribed to my channel, the audience members don't really know each other, which I like a lot. And this is kind of circling back to what we were talking about before, where if I go outside, I'm not going to be recognized too much. And I'm a guy that doesn't want to be famous. And like this podcast, there's a certain sector of people that only come to the Armani Talks YouTube channel to listen to this podcast. And then there's another group who always skip over this podcast, not in terms of disrespect, but they're mainly following the Armani Talks brand for like topics on impromptu speaking, uh, social skills, something like that. So I see more and more people in the future creating decentralized audiences where it's not really just a community, but I think um, it's different platforms where the members don't really know each other. And to just give you an example of what I'm trying to say, uh, let me give you three examples, Harsh, okay? The first two, would you rather get $100 from one person or $1 from 100 people? Is it an effortless thing or like will I have to ask 100 people? Uh, like let's say you're creating a business. Would you want your business to be centered around getting $100 from one person or $1 from 100 people? Can we use bigger numbers? For example, if you scale this to a million dollars, will it be 
say uh, 10,000 people paying me $100 or will you say one person paying you a million dollars? Million dollars. Okay, I don't want to do the big numbers yet because I just want to keep the example no, no, in the forefront. No, no, I'm trying to, because for now it's like, I'm, I'm a little confused whether you're asking okay, about how, the how product about, value or about the audience size. Okay, how, how would I, I do 100 into 100? Yeah, l- let me answer the questions first and then I'll just explain what I'm trying to say regarding this. So if I go to most people and I'm like, hey, would you rather get um, $100 from one person or $1 from 100 people? They're going to say the second one because they'll be like, now what if that one person giving me $100 like hates me out of nowhere or becomes unreliable? Uh, if he dips, then I lose my entire income source. Where if I'm getting $1 from 100 people, then you know if one person dips, I'm still getting $99 from other people. So that's one option. Then I give this guy another option. I say, would you rather get $1 from 100 people who know each other or $1 from 100 people who do not know each other? I don't this know person, each other. Yeah, this person is going to think and they're going to say the people that don't know each other. And I say, why did you choose that? And he's going to say, let's say for some reason, someday someone says something salacious about me, starts accusing me of something. If the 100 people know each other, I'm pretty sure that they may have a group me all together where they communicate with one another. They could hop on that group me and they could start spreading lies about me. And just like that, I lost all my income sources. While if it's 100 people who do not know each other, then you know I'm, it's not as unstable. It's going to be better for me. And that's exactly what I mean by decentralized audiences where... Everyone doesn't always know each other. You're not really creating a community. Uh, you're creating uh, a la carte, I like to say, in terms of content, where people come to you f- for what they're looking for. It's kind of like the Amazon of content. But And isn't that the case the already? Isn't that the case already on YouTube, Twitter, and all the social media platforms? I would say for some, it depends uh, which Uh, content creators we're talking about if someone is highly i would say like a community based where all the people in the community know each other then that's not really what i'm speaking about but if people are coming to your channel for like let's say a certain topic then that's exactly what i'm talking about where i don't think that's like the norm nowadays i think that's going to be the norm in the future but nowadays i think more people are trying to build communities where i have a community in my email list but everything else in the front end is decentralized where most of my audience members don't know each other and i like it like that interesting you know so i think why, one thing go ahead oh no that's why i didn't want to uh, make the numbers like too high because it, this was this was more so an example in terms of just um it's like a thought experiment like what would you do not really a business experiment but in terms of the future like what kind of personality uh, type are you where oh, no, another so, group where i actually I actually asked this question to someone else they're like oh no no i want uh, in the second one where i said would you rather get uh $1 from 100 people who know each other or for uh $1 from 100 people who don't know each other i know a lot of people who said the first one they want their people knowing each other and why they said that i forgot why i think it's i think it's first because they want more recognition but it just also shows the kind of personality type that you are hmm 
Go ahead, Harsh. So, yeah, so initially when you asked me the question, it's like if I ask you, would you, would you rather sell a $100 product to one person or $1 product to 100 people? So depending on like whether you're framing it as like a free giveaway versus a product sale, your answer would differ. So I would rather sell a $100 product to one person because it's less work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't really mean it in terms of products. I, that's why I don't want to talk too much about the business side. I was just talking about more in terms of what kind of audience you're trying to build. And I believe this connects back with what we were saying earlier, where if you're choosing the third option, in some ways, you're not, uh, what do you call it? You're not anonymous, but in some ways, you're not like that hyper-targeted a celebrity like Shah Rukh Khan, for example, he yeah, goes outside. There is outside less correlation between the decisions of one person to the decisions of other people. So it's kind of like if you take, say, a bank, okay? If you default on the loan from one bank, then they put your name in like a central repository and then no other bank will give you a loan. So it's like all banks are essentially acting as one bank where they all share information. So it it's you your failure in one loan will correlate with your acceptance in other loans it's going to be like either all banks are willing to give you a loan or none of them are so essentially there's that risk there which you're trying to neutralize so yeah i mean that was just an option for people who want to have a presence but they don't want too many people following them where you have a decentralized audience Anyways, you have an interesting post that you just found. Ah, yes. This is a tweet by Balaji Srinivasan. And he essentially is posting a picture of what are the top domains for late 2021. And can you guess what the top one would be, if you had to guess? Uh, YouTube? No, in fact, YouTube is number eight. Try again. Instagram? Instagram is not on the top 10. Try again. Like, imagine the websites you visit most frequently. Which one could be the top one? Google. Google is number two. So the top one is actually TikTok. Which is so insane. From the people that are using it? This is uh, by Cloudflare. So it's probably how many people are searching going to that domain. So more more people are typing TikTok.com and pressing enter than there are people typing Google.com and pressing enter. And apparently this includes everything like Maps, Google Translate, Google Photos, Google Flights, Google Books, Google News, etc. And probably also things like Gmail and Google Docs. So TikTok is the most popular website or the most popular domain in 2021. And last year it was a number seven. So it has really done well, like very, very well. Isn't that insane that more people are using TikTok than Google? I still can't believe it. That's how insane it is. That is insane. I think a factor could be that Google and all these other websites are not allowed in China. And China is like a huge country. So TikTok is climbing to the top. 
But isn't TikTok banned in a lot of places too? It's banned in India, but the rest of the world it seems to be just fine. So TikTok is doing really really well. What's your predictions on it? You think it's going to keep rising? I don't know. I have never used TikTok, so I just don't know what it is and what its capabilities are. Same. Where that's one of the platforms I'm not too aware of. I do have it though because I do work with a few clients who are trying to build a video presence and they want to make TikTok videos. So I created a TikTok for that reason. And I do have another friend who is a public speaker and he started just posting motivational stuff on TikTok and apparently his account was blowing up. So I think TikTok has that feature where if you're trying to blow up pretty quick and get some eyes on your content, that's the platform right now. Is it? That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who tried other platforms before too. He has Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube and Twitter. But for those, it wasn't taking off. But once he started to use TikTok, uh, specifically for motivational content, where he'd create these small little clips talking about why you should do something, uh, chase your dreams, etc. That's when the algorithm was showing him a lot of love. Interesting. I wasn't aware of this. Even though his account was growing, he didn't quite know how to monetize it. And he wasn't initially trying to monetize it. He was trying to get more email subs, but he said that he couldn't get too much conversion on that traffic. I don't know what he was doing, but he said he didn't get many subs from it either. I think some platforms are better for monetization than others. For example, YouTube is very difficult to monetize unless you are say doing sponsorships or something. Instagram is again very difficult to monetize because Instagram is made in a way to not send people outside of Instagram. So the only way to share a link on Instagram is to put it in the bio. Link in bio. Yeah, link in bio instead of having a clickable link right there, which is just done intentionally to keep people on Instagram and not have them go anywhere else. On the other hand, Twitter does monetization really well. Like you can just post a link on a tweet and then people can access it directly. So Twitter is doing it right in that direction. Yeah, especially sending traffic to your offer. It's that direct link feature where with Instagram, it's the uh, a lot of people use Linktree, but I normally them see them seeing um link in bio. Yeah, it's link in bio usually. In fact, I remember reading in one of Twitter's blogs, and Twitter has a blog, by the way, it's on blog.twitter.com, I think. And they said that Twitter's growth strategy is to help the influencers on Twitter scale and make money. And they say that the influencers are actually what are bringing people to the platform. Do you hear about TikTok doing anything political where they try to silence a certain party or not really? I don't know. I think when it comes to censorship, they will probably censor criticisms of the Chinese Communist Party, probably. But I don't think they are silencing, say, conservatives in the West or any criticism of foreign foreign governments, basically. So it's like censorship. Has... I'm just guessing here. I don't know. But my guess would be that the censorship would still happen, but it would 
just be censorship for content that's anti-Chinese Communist Party. Or if you're, say, talking about the Tiananmen Square massacre, then they will probably censor you. I'm just guessing. I wonder if that has something to do with their appeal right now, where they're not super strict in terms of uh, censorship. I agree. I think that could be a factor. If it's well, it could a factor. It could it could just be that this is the newest thing and people are going to the newest thing. I wouldn't rule TikTok off so easily because there's been a few times when, you know, your boy's going on TikTok, checking up on his clients, and you know, he's scrolling and scrolling for some time. I'm thinking, man, a lot of these videos are designed in a certain way where it's pretty addicting. I think that's what TikTok is good at doing right now, where it's rewarding a lot of these addicting content. They're all doing that. It's not just TikTok. But I don't think this is intentional. It's just that these algorithms are made to increase the view time or interaction with the platform. And well, they're likely to pick addictive content because that is what ha- what has people interacting the most. So. I well, would say another that thing, is innocent. Go ahead. An, another thing that TikTok does that I've noticed is that there's a whole bunch of challenges where one of the stuff that I saw was where a girlfriend would hit her boyfriend on the face with a, a purse. I don't know if you've seen those challenges. I have not. So, I've so, seen the ice bucket challenge. Yeah. So basically, whenever the girlfriend is trying to grab her purse from the backseat, she'd pull it up in a certain way where it hits her boyfriend's head. So the first time, the boyfriend's like, oh, okay, you did that by accident. Then she do it again as she's putting the, the purse <laughs> back in the back. And he's like, yo, what the hell? Are you doing that on purpose? And different girlfriends were doing this prank on their boyfriends. So this became a trend. Another trend, this one was hilarious. It's when uh, the guys are playing uh, Xbox and they're playing you know, the multiplayer. And a lot of the times they're playing with a girl. And it's an imaginary girl, but these guys' girlfriends don't. What know do you that. mean, imaginary girl? Okay, okay, okay. Oh, so, on Xbox, okay. Yeah, yeah. So let's say I'm playing, uh, or let's say you're playing Xbox and you're pretending to flirt with a girl. Your girlfriend's like, "Wait a minute, harsh. Are you playing with a girl right now?" <laughs> and the guy is basically flirting with the person that he's playing with, and he's recording the reaction of his girlfriend. And this was another TikTok challenge where the girlfriends are fuming. It's like, who are you playing Xbox with? Quit flirting with her. But there's no one else on the other side. He's just like making her Trolling up. her, okay. Yeah, so this challenge was going viral. So I think that's what TikTok is doing towards its advantage. It's not only cre- creating addicting content, but it's these trends as well. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I can see those trends take off because that is something that you can do and, you know, People can do it themselves and it it has this, you know, value where people feel that I've done something and they feel like they've interacted with the platform in a different way than just consume content because they've created something and that feels good. Yeah, and there was another one where it's like the girl would go up to her boyfriend or husband and she'd say, I feel like you could have been nicer to me today. <laughs> just randomly. And the guys are like, Yes. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, what did I do? And this was one of the other trends I saw. Ah, I see. Yeah, I think TikTok, it seems like an interesting platform. 
I have like I've seen some TikToks, but not on TikTok. I've seen them on YouTube. You know, so people post TikTok on YouTube and there's a TikTok logo there. Well, that's what a lot of people do. Where there was this a YouTube account that I was following, Juju and Des. It's like this couple that play pranks on each other, but apparently they were blowing up on YouTube because they initially started off on TikTok, something like that. It's either mm. them or another couple. Interesting. I don't We're know. I in- think it would be interesting to see which platforms catch on in the next few years. I think most mainstream platforms like Instagram and even to an extent Twitter are being too censorship heavy and it's not fun to use them. And it's like anything you say, you have to wonder whether will I will I be banned for this or not. Like I have a friend, like you know, I've gotten strikes not not on the LMM account but on other accounts for tweets that, for example, there was a tweet that it was a quote on Stalin saying that you know we are in power, like we're in the business of controlling the press, or something to that account where he's saying that you know the Soviet party controls the press, so they control everything, and that tweet got deleted, like that tweet, no, sorry, that Instagram post got deleted. Because apparently it promotes uh, hate speech and like offensive symbols and how, what and what world is that hate speech? So it's just too censorship heavy, not fun to use. And I don't know, I, I think a lot of these censorship heavy platforms will eventually die. It's just going to be like a slow death and not a quick death. So who do you see coming out as Victor in the next five to 10 years? So yeah, uh, I don't really know which platform will be the biggest one in five years. I hope, and this is just hope, that it is some decentralized platform where there is no central entity banning people out there. Hmm. Where do you see the role of people creating websites and telegram groups email lists etc i think those things also have you know value but i will tell you the issue with email lists and telegram they don't grow organically so for example if you take telegram you have a thousand people on telegram but how do you get a thousand and first through your other social platforms exactly through your other platforms and not from telegram itself Likewise with email, if you have a thousand people in your email list, how do you get the one thousand and first one? You can't get it from your email list. You have to go somewhere else. But on social media sites like Twitter, you don't have to go anywhere else. You can just get more people on Twitter itself. So that algorithm bringing you new people has real value. Right. Where... For me personally, the way that I look at it is that the social media, all that kind of stuff is not the end game. It's kind of funneling in the traffic to my email list. So yeah, it doesn't grow organically harsh, but Mm -hmm. that's the offer that I'm kind of putting out there in the social media space. We're like, yo, get this free ebook. So you join my list. There was a guy whose name I can't remember who said, Social media is the flyer, but the blog is the show. Thomas Beaven. Thomas Beaven, yes. I'm not sure what happened to him. 
So I, I don't see him on Twitter anymore. So this guy, I used to agree with him back then. I don't agree with him anymore. Mm-hmm. It's because you make most of your money from social media. Moreover, most people don't read. So even if you are writing articles, say you have, say, 10 people on social media, only one of them is going to read. But everyone's reading your social media. So I would say social media is becoming more of the show. And blogs and everything are there for your creative interests at some point. Because... If, to make a good article, you have to spend, say, 12, 13 hours. And in 12, 13 hours, you can write so many tweets and content for social media that will be seen by so many more people. Like If you're just doing it for reach and as a business, having a blog is becoming less and less valuable every day with, versus well, I, having, say, Twitter. But I will say I, that there are people who do SEO really, really well and... For, there are people who do SEO and just a blog as a business and they make a lot of money. So it might just be my own, you know, lack of skill with SEO. And I think it's also like your true fans where people who really mess with life math money, like tweets aren't enough where they're like, yeah, yeah I got the tweet, but I want more. That's when they'll go to your blog. Not everyone, but your true fans will. Yes, I agree with it's- that. Um, I forgot who wrote it. I, uh, there's a book called A Thousand True Fans. Ah, I, I, I've heard of the concept, but go ahead. You know who, what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Let me just see who wrote it so I could give him a shout out. It's by Kevin Kelly. And he says that if you have 1,000 true fans, they'll pretty much buy whatever that you put out. And I'm 1,000 true fans to a few people. I know you're not a big fan of Robert Kiyosaki. But I really enjoy his writing style mm-hmm. where he, he's able to tell stories seamlessly. And some people are like, oh, well, his content, it's kind of basic. That's not necessarily what I'm following him for. I like the way that he's able to you know, speak in normal language and it resonates with me. So thus far, any Robert Kiyosaki book I've bought, I'm technically one of his 1,000 true fans. Mm. But if if I'm just seeing his tweet, for example... I'm like, okay, cool. But me, I actually do some research. I'm like, bro, you got a blog or something? You got a book? Oh, snap, you got a new book out. And I'll follow that. Same with a guy like Dan Kennedy, where I don't even know if he has a Twitter or he does every now and then a YouTube interview. But I read a lot of his books. So I think if you factor in your 1,000 true fans who are actually going to buy from you, then a website, a blog, it's an asset. Definitely. I think I think it's an asset. All I think is that unless you're heavily into SEO, I would say I would focus more on social media than on the blog at first. Yeah, yeah. I think because, you know, you can't necessarily randomly just bring people to the blog. Where for me personally, like these YouTube videos, these podcasts, these tweets... It's bringing awareness to who I am. And then I bring people to my website to, you know, go on my shop, check out my services and check out my other content. So it's not a binary, but it's more so an integrated system. You know, actually, there are people who can just like, for example, there's this guy called Masculine Development. I think his name is John. And 
this guy's entire business is based off SEO. Like he recently released a guide on SEO, which is really good. I, he gave me a copy and his guide is very good. If you're looking for a guide on SEO, you can check that one out. So this guy's SEO course. And he his business is entirely based on social media optimization. So he wasn't even on social media platforms, but he was making great money by essentially writing articles. And then he, he would write like very targeted articles for topics people were searching on on Google. And then he would use that as, and he would use that and monetize them. For example, by recommending products or writing product reviews, etc. Mm-hmm. So it is definitely possible. So there are different strategies that people are doing. I think they're all worth learning, you know, as a businessman, they're all worth learning. I think one of those things, you know, that I do that I don't think many other people do is that I, I regularly do courses either on Coursera or like either computer science related stuff or like, or like random courses on Gumroad. Like I recently finished a course on photography and I think doing random courses from experts really adds value because these are people who are teaching you like this, like everything they've learned over many years for something like stupidly cheap, like $50, $100, $200, $300, $400, which is like so cheap for so much value. So it is good to learn from the best when you can, especially when it's so convenient and cheap. I agree. We were talking about this where we talked about Gumroad. Is there anything else you use? Coursera, you said? I use Coursera, edX, Gumroad, Udemy, and a bunch of these sites like the Skillshare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even YouTube is good. YouTube has like a bit of a scattered content issue though. Right. Some of the creators on YouTube created playlists, which help. But I do see where you're talking about having this formal structure of a course. Yes. Yeah. And I think different people learn different ways too, where I try to get little bits of everything, where if I really need to know a topic, I'll normally try to get a book where I understand the in-depth parts. But if I'm trying to understand in-depth plus surface level, I'll start to use a course where I didn't use courses too much before, but nowadays I'll use it more. Courses are really helpful. Sorry, go ahead. I, I respect the whole grind of people who take the time to create a course where for a while, like, you know, I saw a lot of hate going on towards that. It's like, well, if you know everything, how come you're creating a course? I'm like, well, some people, you don't want to talk them out of it because they're actually sharing a yeah, lot of valuable exactly. information. I, think I don't want to go to school you know, for like, this. People, people just hate anyone who's winning, you know. People hate anyone who's winning. It's just the nature of people. But go ahead. Well, I do see that criticism to a certain extent where let's say someone... Is making writes, money like, by making courses? Well, no, like let's say, well, yeah, that too. But let's say someone writes like one copywriting, like, I don't know, like whatever they write and they get one client and then they make a course on that. Ah. It's like, bro, like you haven't had much skin in the game. How about you have a little bit more skin in the game and then <laughs> you create that. It's like you creating your uh, Twitter course the first month of having a Twitter account. People do like, that uh, nowadays. People do that nowadays. It's so crazy. People will like, people will like have a thousand followers. 
and they will make a twitter course and lately i'm i've noticed this very scammy trend of people making money on twitter by selling a course on how to make money on twitter so it's like a big train you know like people will make a course on how to make money on twitter by selling a course on how to make money on twitter and this guy a student will make money on twitter by also creating a course on how to make money on twitter <laughs> and that guy so it's like it's a scam it's a scam so if you take for example in contrast my twitter guide i wrote my twitter guide when i was making like over 10k on social media on twitter with my different other products not a twitter guide and when i made my twitter guide i had like 120000 followers or something so i was way beyond a beginner i had been doing it for years and i knew what i was talking about but lately i've seen people just make a guide like on day 5 like yesterday i was born today i know everything i people <laughs> that's why i do see a need for the criticism where when someone's pulling something like that then it's like all right man someone has to call it out but the people who are respectable who are sharing like precise knowledge these aren't the people you want to call out you want to find the people that are making a mockery but not the right people yeah i think there is nuance there as you said for example one of my products is called the prolific writer and i call it the holy grail of creative writing where this isn't about making money and all of that kind of stuff yet it's more so about learning the art of content creation where no matter which platform you're in eventually you're going to have to learn the art of turning your ideas into words at one point or another so that's what the prolific writer is geared for but the reason the name shows skin in the game is because i've created a lot since starting armani talks and i wanted to teach how people who are you know doubting themselves can unlock this mode of thinking so this is why i personally created the prolific writer like book overall but then the, i'll see like other like books where what you were kind of mentioning actually where it's like you just did a twitter like you just started the twitter and you're already settling a class on it start to think bigger picture i think anywhere you have lots of success you will have lots of scammers who try to enter the place as well and that is just going to happen okay well i got a dm um this morning from some random guy and is like yo man if you want this a uh, course for 85% off then shoot me like respond back to this dm i'm like bro i don't want to deal anything with you bro cuz you're stealing and you think i'm going to give you anything a credit card information anything like that cuz <laughs> who knows if you're not going to steal from me too so there are some black spots too Yeah, thieves gonna steal, but you know those guys aren't going to get anywhere. Anyway, it's like low integrity kind of sets you up for failure in life. You want to see how common plagiarizing is? Find your most popular tweets, post it in the Twitter search bar. Put your or don't put your name, and just see how many people just directly copy and paste it. Oh, that It's happens hilarious. a lot. So that happens like every single week where. some big account will start posting my content and then people will call him out like this is from life math money and it's like these are like sometimes these are like very interesting people as well like people making content on authenticity and 
this guy's authentic <laughs> account will copy and paste my tweet verbatim. So it's like he's not even changing like a single letter. He just copy and pasted. That's like if you're going to copy and paste words, then you should pick a different name. <laughs> <laughs> or there's another problem where like someone will always say, are you copying me? Are you taking my style? Where you know how sometimes when people will write, it'll kind of sound similar to someone else, but it's not the exact yeah. same. So that yeah. happens too. Yeah, that's, you know, then you're probably in the same niche, I would say. Right. It's like the thing with fashion, where I think you and I talked about it, where we want to get interested more in the science of fashion, but we don't know too much about it yet. But people who know about it, like they take a lot of pride in it. And if you're kind of, there's a phrase for it. It's called swagger jacking them without giving them much credit. You're kind of stealing their drip. They're going to be like, yo, man, are, are you copying from me? <laughs> I don't <laughs> so understand. It's funny because... What, what exactly? So copying what? Like the clothing pattern? Yeah. So see, from our end, we can't see it where there's like these little micro nuances. But people who have a lot of like this depth in their fashion, they understand the micro nuances. So I know like two people like one guy puts this little bandana around his waist. And I think this symbolizes some sort of art. I don't know. And then one of my other buddies who got interested in fashion, he put a bandana on the other side of the waist. And the first guy got mad. He's like, yo, man, why are you doing the bandana thing? This is my thing. And the other guy's like, yo, man, like, who cares? Just lighten up. Uh, I'm not stealing the exact thing. I'm just stealing the concept. <laughs> and I'm just like, wait, what? Like, what's the big deal? Yeah, I don't bandana. understand that. Yeah, but it's like similar to like a writer where someone is copying the theme of what they wrote. A consumer won't really understand. Like, it's like, well, yeah, what's the big deal? It's writers, different words. You know, it's like, unless it's being copied verbatim, it's just you're being flattered, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, there's a difference between copying and counterfeiting. Mm-hmm. And it's not too big of an issue to be copied, but to be counterfeited is like, uh, what are you guys doing? You know, like, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you the difference, okay? If There are some people who got inspired by Life Math Money and they made self-improvement related accounts. And that's fine, okay? There's like lots of accounts who are doing that now. But some people will try to counterfeit me. So they will come up with a name like life health money or mind math money or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that is just an attempt to counterfeit me. That's where you're not trying to even do anything different. You're just trying to copy paste what I'm doing. Do you DM these people or ignore no, them? No, I just block them. Oh, you block them? Yeah, what are you going to do with it? Like, what like, What would DMing them accomplish? So there's no point even interacting with this stuff. Most of them just fail on day five because people aren't that stupid. I had this one guy who was, like, taking my tweets. He posted on his account, but on the next tweet, he tagged my account. Kind of, like, kind of, sort of showing love. Like, yo, man, I got this tweet from you. Then like a couple of weeks passes on by and I noticed that he deleted all the parts where he tagged me. 
So he only has my tweet showing up on his feed. And I think you were the one who actually brought it to my attention one time. Like, this guy is plagiarizing you. So I shot him a DM and I'm like, hey, man, I don't know if you noticed, but you actually deleted my name and you just have my tweet. And he's like, oh, my, like, I didn't even notice that. And then, like, you know, he deleted all those tweets. But that same account in a week or two was blasted by other accounts for plagiarizing. So it's something in their character. It's not just a one-time thing. It's like their character where they just want to steal from other people. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's a lack of integrity and also a lack of creativity. Yeah, man, if you're struggling with creativity, check out Prolific Writer or grab a copy of Idea Machine and exercise creativity into your mind. But don't be stealing. That was a quick little plug. Yep. I would I would have to check your book out. It seems interesting. Yes, absolutely. To, like, to be more creative would be so good. Yeah, so one of the guys... Um, so I'm talking about Idea Machine now. I'll put Prolific Writer. I'll probably bring it up throughout the episode. But Idea Machine is a creative writing journal for adults where there's a lot of creative writing prompts for little children, but not enough for adults. Where right now, this is one of my more popular selling products. And recently, uh, one of my highly introverted, overthinking um, copywriter friends who lives in Tampa uh, bought a copy and he was just writing one prompt a day. And he says that it's helped him so much, not only in terms of structuring his thoughts for creativity, but feeling more calm as a whole. Because on a natural level, people, when they're physically standing still, their mind is running all over the place. So if you have that one part in your day where you are practicing writing, you're given a prompt and you're creating thoughts structured around that prompt, it helps, especially in the information age. So it's the idea machine and you're going to get 333 writing prompts on topics such as personal development, a philosophy, a metaphysics, and much more. That's interesting. So what was your vision for the product? Why did you make it? So initially, I made it because it was supposed to be a cousin of Prolific Writer, where Prolific Writer is a theory behind creative writing, how to do it, uh, what is creative writing, the history, uh, the mindsets you need to have. And then Idea Machine is the practice. Because if you just have the theory and you leave it at that, then you're never going to improve. But with Idea Machine, it was more so in terms of practice. And thus far, it's been used by bloggers, by copywriters, content creators, and much more. And it helps adults understand how to transition into this world uh, of the interconnectedness that we live in. And it's not only with just entrepreneurs, Harsh. Even mm-hmm. if you're in the corporate space, at one point or another, you're going to have to write, whether it's an email or whether you're pinging your coworker. And if you're a stiff writer, then that stiffness is going to be superimposed on your personality. Other people are just going to think that you're a stiff person. So I've noticed a lot of people who bought Idea Machine are corporate workers that are trying to email better, create more engaging procedures, and much more. Interesting. So do you have a bundle of them instead of buying two separate products? Because it seem like they are two sides of the same product. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to probably be thinking about for the upcoming year. 
because Prolific Writer, I currently sell it only on Gumroad, while the uh, Idea Machine is a physical product, so I sell it on Amazon. But I will play around with the idea and see if I could put both on the same platform. Good idea. Interesting. You're an you're an idea machine yourself. <laughs> <laughs> This one was just too obvious. Are you planning on releasing any products or working on anything new? For the next year, I do intend to write more and I've decided to write in such a way that I can compile them into an ebook later. Like not an ebook, I mean like a physical paperback as well. So it's going to be articles but they are going to be more structured so that they can be used f- as a physical book in the future kind of like what rashan meal did with his work mhm and i am working on a on a in a guide for weight loss which might be released next year and i'm working with a product with i am on a product with i am illimitable man and you have a product with i am already too right? yeah we have one product which is an audiobook and the audiobook is about essentially um everything you need to know as a man to live your life to the fullest so it's about masculinity understanding how women are what women want because at the end of the day the most important decision you will ever make is picking the right wife so that product is about how to understand women how to vet a girl how how to know which girl is a great one which one is not and it's also about society how to deal with people how to deal with society in general so it's essentially a complete guide for men but we also want to do a different product that covers more topics more broadly and that is the one that is coming soon is it going to be audiobook it's going to be both audiobook and a pdf got it Yeah for you. I mean if you ever plan to do a paperback consider me a customer. Awesome. That would be really cool. I will send you a free copy though. Now I want to support you man cuz you always support me. Are your paperbacks books just Amazon KDP or did you use like a different publisher for it? So I've used KDP and one thing that I want to do is find a workaround where the paperbacks are available in India as well. Well right now KDP India doesn't carry the paperbacks from my understanding. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I do want to work on because I've noticed a lot of my readers are global where they range from India, Australia, all that place. So I want to make sure that you know they get the paperback option too if they're readers like me. I see. But nowadays a lot of my products are audiobooks as well where that was something that you know beginning of this year if you said yo arman you're going to be turning your books into audiobook i would have looked at you sideways like nah man impossible but midway in the year i started to keep hearing more and more people asking me like yo man like when are you going to get these on audiobook audiobooks so are really it. popular yeah and level of mentality is doing pretty well in audiobook so is speakeasy and the thing is with audiobooks It's a completely different market where it's run by ACX and people who do audiobooks will typically be doing it in the gym for a walk and a long car ride so they consume the content differently than paperback or Kindle. Definitely. So this year I listened to more audiobooks than the number of books I've read. 
Really? See, I wouldn't have expected something like that. So this year, it, this this year was a little different, though. So this year, I did not read that much, mostly because I was very busy with computer science courses. I did like eighteen courses this year, which is a lot. And I still listen to all the audiobooks I would normally listen to because I usually listen to audiobooks when I'm say eating or just out for a walk. And I ended up listening to a ton of audiobooks, but only read a few books, which is how I ended up with this metric where I've heard more audiobooks than read books this year. And I I do see myself giving audiobooks a chance. I personally just haven't tried it out for myself, but I'm open-minded to it. I'll check it out next year. Yeah, check. start with this one. It's very good. Um, The American Kingpin. It's about the Silk Road founder. Okay, I'll check it out. Ross Albrecht or something his name was. Yeah, before, I mean, in terms of just listening, I wasn't a big fan of that. But later on, I started to understand like the need for it. Where when you're having like this long form discussion, let's say you're cleaning a room or something, you could just play it along. And it feels as though that these people are with you. It I'm sure a lot of people on the type of book you're listening to. Because if you're so here's my experience, okay? No not book, podcast. Uh you're talking about audiobooks, correct? No, I was talking about uh podcast right now. Okay, go I ahead. Haven't Sorry. Really, I, I haven't really listened to audiobooks, so I don't want to speak too much on that. But in terms of podcasts, like when I consume it nowadays, I'll consume it when I'm like doing some busy work or if I'm going to the gym. And I found out that a lot of people who listen to this podcast, they're doing it when they're active. And see, this is so different in terms of how I perceived it. Because for some strange reason, I thought when people consume podcasts, they're just sitting down and like listening to it. But, you know, or they're playing it on their stereo or something. But that's completely opposite of how a lot of people consume podcasts. Yeah, I I agree. I think that at least as far as the comments go, people are listening to it in the gym. But I think people who listen to podcasts listen to it all the time, like no matter what they're doing. It's just that our audience is someone who does work out. How do you normally consume it? Podcasts, usually when I'm on a walk or running or something like that. I can't listen to podcasts while lifting weights, though, because I lift heavy weights and it's distracting. You listen to music? No. No Bollywood music? No music, no music. I just listen to silence. Really? Yeah, no music while working out. Is that like, has it always been like that? Yes. Man, I can't imagine just lifting heavy in complete silence. Music just distracts you, you know. What about instrumentals? Can you see can you see a need for that? I don't know. I've never tried. I usually lift in silence, like no music, nothing. I'm just lifting. <laughs> Do you listen to music outside of the gym or not too much? I listen to music sometimes when I'm out for a walk or running or something like that. Okay. It, during some activity. What do you normally listen to? 
normally i listen to things like amon amarth or metallica okay in fact i have this article on not listening to like mainstream soy boy type music which is all about love sex and being a bitch in a way recently i've been listening to songs where i don't understand the lyrics so i listen to reggaeton and Eminem. some bollywood music Eminem, i know the lyrics and his you got to be in the mood for Eminem. he just speaks too fast though mhm but what i'm trying to say is uh like instrumentals bollywood music reggaeton where there either are no lyrics or i don't understand the lyrics the reason why is because it gets me in a deeper zone where i could visualize as well where when i understand the lyrics every now and then i become conscious and i'm listening to what they're saying but when i don't understand the lyrics it's like i let my mind be uh more expansive hmm that has not been my experience so when i listen to say music whose lyrics i don't understand i will try to put lyrics there so i will like try to for example if it's a gangnam style have you heard that song mhm so there were like even though he's speaking korean there are some places where i'm hearing english even though it's not english like random english words words and my mind is kind of even though there's no lyrics there like no english lyrics there i kind of know what like there there i have like an english equivalent stuff he's saying and that does come into my head so my experience is either instrumental something like you know flute music or sarangi music or like that or nothing and my preference is nothing have you heard chill step no what is that so it's a more laid back version of dubstep i don't really like dubstep? dubstep it's like house music where What's you'll see music? certain people okay. i'm already asking yeah, stupid questions no, no. No no, this isn't actually stupid questions. Like people who are into house music, they'll be like, "I'm glad you asked." And they'll speak for like 2-3 hours breaking down what house music is. For me personally, I never got into it. Where in the US, certain people go to these festivals for days on end just to listen to house music. Where chill step is more instrumentals, but it's it's a vibe. It's more low key. I'm probably speaking a foreign language to you now because you don't know what either one is. When people go to say these festivals are they really going for the music or like for the drugs and drinking I don't know for sure I think it's a little bit of both I uh, I know one guy who is obsessed with this uh, like these festivals they go to do each one and he's normally the one organizing it uh in his friend circle and he told me that like he'll do the drugs which allows him to enjoy the music even more I, I think, think they use Molly and all that. There are so from what I understand they're doing these festivals and the music is made to enhance the effect of the drugs like the lights and the music. Mhm. Like they're specifically done to enhance the drugs and not for the music's sake itself. I don't know how true that is though. Is there something I've heard? I could see the case for that but I know a lot of people that actually enjoy the music where they don't even do the drugs they just go there to meet their favorite DJ. Wait, meet their favorite DJ. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, so 
Why so would I you want the to meet a DJ? So I think the people that are in charge of the music aren't actual singers. I think they're like the DJs who organize the music. But don't quote me on this because this is a certain topic that people are hardcore fans about. Like, Armani, you got this all wrong. Let me explain. Uh, but for me personally, I, I've heard these people that go to the festivals a lot saying that they want to meet their favorite DJs. Wait, so what I think, does the DJ do? He just increases and decreases the volume, correct? I'm not sure. Like, I've just seen him like... No, nah, I think he does more. Like, he doesn't sing up an instrument. He just controls the, the you know, the computer's effects. Yeah, but I think he... Org- yeah, yeah, what you just said. Like, he organizes a lot of the stuff. Let me see. I don't even know what the, like I, I heard Steve Aoki like he's one of the guys I hear about a lot. He's an American DJ, record producer, music programmer. Greetings. No, so for example, if you have a singer, he's singing. A guitarist is playing a guitar, but a DJ, he's like the guy who is handling computer stuff for them. I'm not. I I don't really know much about all of this. Yeah, but I think in terms of house music, the DJ has a bigger role than like traditional music. Okay, interesting. Let me listen to some house music. Send me some links later. Yeah, I'll probably not. I probably won't be the best resource for that because uh, I don't really listen to much house music myself. But I'll still do some chill step music. Okay, sounds good. And you'll see what I mean, where it's very relaxing. And sometimes when I'm writing, like I'll try to put some nice chill step on, and it gets me in a nice groove. What do you mean by groove? So, you know, I'm trying to put it in words. Where you mean in the zone? In the zone, yes. It's the same. It's just a figure of speech in the groove, but mm-hmm. it means in the zone, where when you have some nice music, it feels as though you're flowing, especially when you're doing creative writing. Agreed, definitely. Although- do you listen to music when you write? I do not, but I do know a lot of people who do that. So I'm a unique case where I don't listen to music when I work. Harsh, you don't listen to music. You don't have a personal social media. What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) Do your friends ever just crack jokes on you? Like, Harsh, what's wrong with you, man? They don't. Mm -hmm. Most of my friends are like me in the sense that they are very focused and they like I have a couple of audiophile friends. But what friends? Like audiophile, like they are they're really into music and they really care about audio equipment. Uh-huh. But it's like I I've never had anyone like bother me about this. You've never heard of hip hop, right? I have heard of it. I just didn't know what it was. I thought it was like a dance style. It's a lot of the urban style stuff where I think there's a few pillars of hip hop. I know it used to be graffiti. It used to be beatboxing. And Wait, singing. graffiti is the gang stuff, right? No, graffiti is uh, the the painting, the street art. Yeah, but those gang signs from San Andreas. San Andreas. Oh, Yeah. That's what you probably think of first, right? I, I know some uh, people that do graffiti. They're not, you know, in gangs or anything. They just appreciate the artistic side of it. Where if you ever go to New York, you'll see such amazing graffiti drawings where I'm thinking, man, 
And this wall needs to be protected at all costs because this <laughs> art is so beautiful. So, does do they do it like in the dead of the night where no one's looking because it's illegal, or like do you know who the best artists are? Both. So some people do it in terms of rebellion. They'll do it late at night and they'll vandalize public properties. But other people, they'll actually get paid where they'll uh, book a certain wall for this person and then they'll create the whole thing. I think when LeBron James was first coming to Los Angeles, they got Ooh. a popular graffiti. Uh, it's a basketball player, a pretty okay, okay. popular basketball player. Uh, the graffiti guy, basically drew him on this pretty popular wall in Los Angeles. Interesting. But he's a very polarized player. So after the people left, some people vandalized that graffiti drawing. That's interesting. I don't know. I, I think people just care too much about sports, you know. We've talked about this before. Uh, Are we going to be talking about this again? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean to care so much about it to make a painting of it and then a bunch of people Vandalize it. vandalizing it. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't you have something better to do? Like, that's not even fun. Like, I get people enjoying watching the show, but then going and erasing a painting is like, what are you doing? Yeah, if you go on... Um... Google and just type in Los Angeles vandalism LeBron. You'll see that the painting was overall nice, but then someone put three and six, and that's his, that was his finals record at the time, which people were trying to insult him with because he lost six finals. But now it, it's four and six because he won one more ring since then. Wait, I Los don't know if you see it. Angeles vandalism LeBron E B R O N. No, LeBron L E B R O N. LeBron, okay. The King L.A. and this guy's face. Hey, this guy looks jacked as shit. He's huge. Yeah, he, this guy is huge. Like, he's so jacked. See, that's where I think you're missing out, dude, by not watching any sports. Where, I, okay, him politically, he may annoy a lot of people, but he's a generational talent in terms of being an athlete. He's one of the few guys that could play basketball. If he wanted, he could have played football too. Some people say he could be a fighter. Uh, you don't really see this much athletic supremacy in just regular day life. You could see it in terms of like sports, and you could see someone taking their craft seriously. Or Harsh, this guy's been in the league for, I think, like 18, 19 years, Damn. and he's still on the top of the field where... Most people at this age start to like look like they're about to break down, while this guy just takes care of his body. How old is this guy? He's, I think he's 36 now. He got in the league when he was 18 or 17. Let me see mm. how old he is. Interesting. Yeah, he looks good for his age. And he's, look, he's very big and strong, so that's good for him. He's 36 years old. What is the other guy you were telling me about? Kobe something. Kobe. Me, Kobe Bryant. That. Yeah, let me Google him as well. His body type is different. He's not a big guy. He's this more guy looks more like an actor. Lean. LeBron or Kobe? 
Kobe, yeah. You know he won on Oscars before his death? I don't know much about Oscars. All I know is some competition. So Oscars is given to people who made uh it's a filmmaking award. Okay. So it was it was pretty marvelous that like he got an Oscars because that's like one of the top he things died? you could do okay. as a What happened? How did he how, go ahead, sorry. Uh you want me to answer how he died or the Oscars? Or the Oscars first. Yeah, so the Oscars is just pretty much um it's kind of like a championship of filmmaking and he won it for one of his documentaries that he helped create. So so yeah, I mean that was pretty big. So people thought he was going to have a pretty big uh career in media. How did but he, he die? How did he, he die? died? He died in a uh helicopter accident. So he was pretty well known for having a private helicopter because traffic in Los Angeles is brutal. Like you could get stuck for a couple of hours. So he had a private helicopter that he would uh, fly in throughout his career. But on one particular day, uh, I guess it was uh, pretty windy and him, his daughter and a few other people got in the helicopter and unfortunately it ended up crashing into some sort of hill and Damn. all people died immediately. That sucks. This guy is big though. He's like six feet six inch. That's two meters. That's like huge. Like long would be the word, maybe. But damn, mm-hmm. that's big. Like six and a half feet. Yep. Well, you haven't even seen the biggest players. Where, um, like type in Shaquille O'Neal, or just type in Shaq. S H A Q. Shaq. Okay. Shaq O'Neal, okay. This is American professional basketball player. He's seven one. God damn, that's huge. And type in one last one. Yao Ming. I've heard of this one. This one I know. He's a meme. Mm-hmm. Like he's a rage comic face. You know how tall he is? No. Seven six. Damn. That is Tall. That that Member was the unfortunate of part. Chinese People's Political Conservative Conference. Damn, he's in politics now. That was the unfortunate part of his career, Harsh. He was too tall. And when you're that tall, it kind of hurts your limbs going up and down the court that much. Why would it hurt your limbs? There NBA, like National Basketball Association, is hyper competitive. They're doing a lot of bumping and bruising in the game. So when you're too big, it just hurts your limbs. There's a lot of these micro tears that happen, and you have more like knee injuries, ankle injuries, and such. So nowadays, you're not going to see too many big players. But if you do see big players, they move like small players. So the game in itself is evolving. Mm. Um, I don't want to get too de- detailed, though. But honestly, man, I do think... Um, I do think you're not giving athletics too much of a chance, man. I think you just see the entertainment side. But I believe if you use the right paradigm, you could actually see a lot of great lessons for entrepreneurs as well. Not just with basketball, but any kind of sport, if you look at it the right way. Maybe. I just don't have time for this stuff, you know. Just But this guy is like, I'm looking at pictures of this guy. And it's like, there's this girl standing next to him, which are like half his height. Yao Ming. Yao Ming. Yeah, it's this guy is 
at all. It's like being a different species altogether. I like <laughs> the previous two guys, the Kobe Bryant and the LeBron something. This guy is like not jacked. So he's like thin. He's skinny. Mhm. So when you're skinny and you're tall, you look even taller. Yep. He was a big part of making basketball like big in the Chinese area. Probably because it says like on his um Wikipedia page it says that he's in the Chinese party now like member of the Chinese People's Political Conservative Conference PCC. It's supposedly a central part of the Chinese Communist Party's um something united front system i don't know what that is but interesting mhm do your friends are is cricket big in india cricket is What's the that? most popular sport in india followed by football mhm so no one watches basketball here like no one never heard of anyone doing that So I do know that NBA is trying to invest more into India nowadays. They haven't thus far, which is pretty surprising to me because of India's big market, but nowadays they're trying to. I think there are certain network effects which happen with these sports, you know, because how do people get into cricket? It's usually from their friends and families. And if no one's watching basketball, then no one is inclined to watch basketball. You know what I mean? Mhm. So there is a certain network effect there which they will have to figure out how to break. Right. When there's a cricket game, is it a social event as well? Like do different people get gathered in people's houses and watch it? Yeah, it's a huge social event. People will do that and there will people will coordinate meeting up right before the match and then watching the match together. So back in 2012 I remember going out the night India won a world cup and this was like at 12 it was at midnight and the streets were full of people <laughs> <laughs> like people were out there on the streets celebrating and buying ice cream and things like that and I was mind blown I couldn't so back then this was like 12 years ago right 10 years ago so I was 15 years old and i just couldn't comprehend why do these people why are they out on the street celebrating like they haven't done anything but you know <laughs> be a fan i don't know i just don't i i get it you know i understand why they're doing it it just the more productivity side of me is a little disgusted by it Absolutely. I I mean, you're talking about the super fans where this is kind of straying away from what we were just talking about, but you brought it up earlier like, well, why do people get so excited when a new player is coming in? So there's two articles you should check out. It's called LeBron's effect on an economy and um so let me just read a little bit of this article. While in Cleveland, James brought 200 million in spending to the downtown district nice. according to according to a 2010 report from cleveland.com in 2015 cleveland.com reported that downtown businesses expected to lose a combined 48 million dollars when lebron moved out 
West. So when he went to Los Angeles. So when certain athletes come, it could change a lot of businesses. Where nowadays, Tom Brady came to like the Tampa Bay, where you know Tampa Bay Buccaneers weren't like that good for a long time. And this is our American football team. But with Tom Brady and him winning the Super Bowl last year, it affects a lot of different businesses as well. And same with our hockey team. I believe we just won a championship recently as well. So that's why people in the town get excited because it actually becomes a social event as well to watch these people. And if your team is good, your business can boom as well. I know this one guy who owns a bar and you know he was struggling for some time, but he was placed right next to the football stadium. So when you know Bucks were killing it last year, his business started to take off. So that's why I was asking about um, a cricket in terms of India. I, I guess it is a social event. India, I don't, you know, it's like when people are, here's how, here's how I'll put it, okay? When people like cricket here, it's because people play cricket here. So people are going out and they're going down and they're playing cricket or they're playing football. But as far as I'm aware, there aren't enough basketball or any other game courts out here. So people never got a chance to play them. So for them, watching basketball would be like really weird. Do you, do you get me? Mm-hmm. Which is why no, I think no. this sport is going to have a difficult time in India. I think, Harsh, this is where we're going to have to disagree. I, I think in seven to ten years, I think basketball is going to be pretty big in India. Maybe I don't know. I do. I, I have like you're you're speaking to the wrong guy about this. Yeah, I was this gonna like say talking to me well, about makeup. Like it's just like okay. I, I, I was like, wait till unapologetic truths episode four hundred and seventy eight. We'll revisit this topic. <laughs> this too funny. Good. Where will we live that long? Four hundred seventy eight. Arman. So the reason I say that will we live so long is when you say a number of months. I, I, I will ask you a question next and I want you to give me a quick answer. So don't think about it too much and just give me a quick answer, whatever comes to your head, okay? Mm-hmm. How many days will we live? How many days is the average human life? Days or years? Yeah, days, days. Days is the average human life. Man, I don't even know, man. Like 20,000, 15,000? It's 30,000. And that is really short, isn't it? It is. And how many months would that be? That would be like divided by 30. I know it starts with six something. A thousand, no, 30,000 by 30 would be a thousand. So a thousand months. Oh, yeah, I think. Uh-huh. So 450 would be like half of our lives. See, Harsh, this is where you and me are 
different in a good way. Where when I say like a number like I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. You were just like no. you, you were just saying it's like a big number, like much in the future. But well, I'm just calculating how far would that actually be if it was happening. No, no, no. The, the reason I bring it up, it's actually something that I think is unique because there's been a few times when I'll bring up an, an arbitrary number, but your mind kind of thinks in a way where it gets very specific, and I think it just shows how you and I are different. And I think it's a lot because your like background is accounting, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And have you ever seen one of those posts before where it's, um, and I'm sure you have, where someone will write a tweet like, if you sell, let's say you have a $10 product, you sell this much amount in a day. And if you sell this much amount in a, a year, you'll make six figures a year. And these tweets will normally go viral. And then there'll be a certain people that attack the tweet. It's like, well, what about taxes? Well, what about, you know, like all these other stuff? Yeah. And whenever I look at these tweets and people who make it go viral by liking it and the people who are attacking it, I see two different modes of thinking where I think that's what allows our dynamic to work. We have that different mode of thinking. I agree. Although in the case of those tweets, I would say they're just being haters, you know, like that's like nitpicking. Because what this guy was trying to convey in his initial tweet, vis-a-vis what the comments are saying, are like two completely different things, you know? So I agree with you there, but... I think, you know, I, I at least personally, when someone says like a big number, my mind, the first thing my mind does is calculate it. <laughs> so what is the ch- what are the chances of this happening? And then you can have like a proper number to that answer yeah and for me sometimes like i'll just drop a certain number as a placeholder to convey a concept yeah i know i know i know i know what you're doing i know what i I get what you're trying to do but isn't it fun in a way to try to come up with what the actual number would be it is where where I have wordplay a lot, I, I like to play around with words. I think you like to play a lot with numbers and try to see what the story that is trying to say. You know, with when it comes to numbers lately, I think the whole pandemic thing is a game of numbers. What do you mean? It's... Have you read a book? It's called uh, How to Lie with Statistics, Standard Deviations and How to Lie with Numbers. I haven't read that before. So essentially, I can present the same numbers to you in two different ways and that will bring you to different conclusions. Oh, so you're talking about like lying with numbers by presenting certain context of the numbers. Yes. So, for example, I can say 60% of people who are underpaid are women. And that's going to make you think that, you know, women are like not being paid enough and they are, you know, being discriminated against. Or I could say 40% of men work overtime. 
and it creates a different narrative it creates a different narrative and that's a lot of what is being done by journalists media even governments now they're just trying to create na- different narratives with different numbers and i think with covid it's a lot like that okay so for example if there are say 500 covid cases and the next day it's 600 and you know you could, i could say like 100 more covid cases than yesterday which is not going to impact anyone at all like people and people don't care or i could say 20% more cases and then it's like a big deal mhm so i think the same data can be the same numbers can be presented in different ways to give people different emotions that's a crazy insight because that's something that you could argue that the mainstream media has been doing since does. forever yeah is that what intrigued you about numbers or you've just always been like this i've almost i've been good with numbers since forever like ever since i can imagine like all the way back in elementary school i was very good with numbers of course when it comes to our podcast i'm usually like being a little bratty for like extra entertainment <laughs> that's what makes this podcast work because normally when i see different podcasts i notice that the people have some little differences in their personalities where you and i we're not the same even though we have a lot of similar philosophies but there's some entertaining differences that we have as well agree i think that makes the podcast more interesting yeah and it comes down to respect at the end of the day like can you disagree with someone without creating an enemy where i don't know about for you harsh but i do know like people and i think i may have been like this in the past where like when i would disagree i probably could have altered my delivery more and i think everyone goes through that phase for a certain while but the more that you mature you should be able to disagree without i don't know like name calling or feeling like it's an attack asking for a safe space that sort of stuff agree i think people take their opinions too personally and any kind of disagreement is seen as an attack that's why i see the benefits of just doing some form of content creation because it allows you not to take things as personally you start to understand what it means to put the idea in front of yourself where when you and i were speaking it's not like i'm just speaking to harsh or life mad money a lot of the times i'm speaking to your ideas as well which allows me not to personalize it as much and i think this is a skill that people should have and i think it helps if they do some form of content creation i agree there <laughs> i think i think content creation has value even beyond what people tend to assume for example like when i'm writing an article sometimes it helps me connect ideas that i hadn't connected before and i think anyone who writes non fiction probably goes through the same thing where in the process of writing you connect different things and you come up with new ideas and you've learned something like you've literally learned something new just by writing out your ideas yeah and teaching someone something as well 
where I'm sure a lot of the times when you got a DM, you're like, huh, I didn't even think about it like that, but I can't answer it. I just didn't think about it like that before. Hmm. Where th- that's, that's happened to me a few times where someone will ask me a certain question in a certain way. And I'm like, huh, that's a new way to think about it. But yeah, it'll work. Like if you can speak publicly, like if you learn public speaking, a lot of your charisma and social skills uh, get taken care of. And it's like these two different worlds are connecting. And if you know how to write, then you know how to create a speech. Because speech is pretty much just structured thoughts. And that's what writing is. So that's when you start to connect these different worlds and you start to actually understand the topic rather than just writing about it. Do you ever plan to write a sort of like a fiction book? Not at the moment, maybe in the future. Do you write, do you intend to write a fiction book in the future? I do. I actually have the perfect idea as well. Uh, I kind of wanted it to, I'm trying to think, and I'm thinking out loud. It wasn't going to be like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but it was going to be something similar in terms of concept where there's a dialogue that's going. And it's going to be a book that helps people develop their social skills, but it's predominantly through storytelling. So I'm not over here lecturing them, talking about do this, this, this to be charismatic. I'm trying to create this character who's learning the journey of social skills and the reader is learning uh, the nuances of social skills without being lectured. So Have it's going to be a social... Book, um, the Richest Man in Babylon? Yep, the Richest I have. Man in Babylon. Do you mean something similar to that? Something very similar to that where he's not really lecturing us. He's kind of sprinkling in the lessons, but we're having a story as well. Interesting. Yeah, I think that would make a good book. I would like to read it when you make it. Yeah, I'm open-minded to it, where I've had a lot of people who are on my newsletter who are like, bro, you should actually think about writing like a fiction book down the line. And it's something that I've always wanted to do, but I don't think I have like the ability to do it yet. I think if I keep writing for another five to six more years, I believe I'll have the ability to do it then. Yeah, I think writing good fiction takes more skill than writing good nonfiction. Which I doesn't, agree with that. It seems very counterintuitive, but you need a lot more life experience to write good fiction. Like quality fiction takes more work. Mm hmm. Because with nonfiction, you can directly state out what you're trying to convey. But with fiction, you have to create a world and you have to create different characters. And it's just harder to do. It's harder to do. It requires patience and it requires a bunch of creativity as well. Agree. There's a lot of fiction books which kind of seem... Like which which kind of blow your mind with how good they are. Like if you take The Lord of the Rings, I'm not a huge fan of that book, but it is so incredibly detailed. It has its own language and has songs and poems and it must have taken the author so much work and experience to have made something like that. He pretty much created his own universe. Yep. 
Same with Harry Potter. Have you read Harry Potter? I have read Harry Potter when I was in, you know, high school. Very All of good them? Book. All of them. I've read Same. them multiple times, to be honest. It's how yeah, I learned English. Nowadays, J.K. Rowling is getting a lot of, you know, criticism for her comments. on. You know, sorry to interrupt you, but J.K. Rowling is... J.K. Rowling has the same thing in common with, say, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, okay? They write really good books, but I just wish I hadn't come across them on Twitter. Why? They say some really crazy shit. Okay, because I don't follow either one on Twitter, so I'm not too, like, sure of why, like, people are criticizing them. I mean, I kind of know about with J.K. Rowling, but what I was trying to say was... um. It's very difficult to cancel her because you can't necessarily kill Harry Potter. It's like conscious in its own right. But there's movies on it. There's a culture around Harry Potter. So she's going to be making money like forever. And it's not like you could just kill that income stream. Did, didn't did one of her events get canceled though? Did it? Yes. Yeah, well, I don't mean... I, I don't some mean, event got like, canceled. I don't mean in terms of like the micro, like I'm pretty sure she's going to like lose speaking engagements and a lot of that, but I'm pretty sure like the money that she's going to make from Harry Potter for the rest of her life is going to make her pretty comfortable. And Taleb, he wrote what, like the Black Swan, Anti-Fragile, et cetera, mm-hmm. where those books have a life of their own. Agree. His books are really good. I think... I agree with you about Harry Potter. I think it's like a franchise that's not going to die anytime soon. Although, I think J.K. Rowling is likely to keep milking it forever by trying to make more products about it. I don't know what she's doing, but even I think there will at some point be an eighth book, a ninth book, a tenth book, or like extra movies maybe. Because it just, she could milk this for a while. Bro, if I were her, I'd write the entire series from Voldemort's pr- perspective. That would change up the game. Mm. Like, you know who Voldemort is, right? He who yeah, must yeah, not I be know. named. I know, I know. I know who Voldemort is. <laughs> I'm just thinking of what the book could be like. Like, what could the story be? Because in the books, he's presented as like absolute evil who's like an orphan and he hates everyone. And then he's like on a murdering spree since day one. Yeah, and me as the reader, I want to know what caused that. Like, who were you before? You know, this is the type of stuff which, you know, what is the difference between like an adult fiction and a children's fiction? Like a children's fiction will have like an absolute good and an absolute evil. Okay, like there's a Red Riding Hood and the, you know, the wolf is absolute evil. The Red Riding Hood is like absolute good and or there's like a witch who's absolute evil and there's absolute innocence. But in an adult fiction work, you don't see these absolutes. You see more nuance. Like everyone's like both evil and good and they're both fighting for their own side. So one book that does this well is like Game of Thrones or like this, A Song of Ice and Fire where everyone's like, there are no good people or bad people just everyone just trying to maximize their own utilities do you get what i'm telling you yeah you're basically saying when we're kids we can easily be like that's good that's bad as an adult it becomes more gray 
Yeah, it becomes more gray where there's no there's no one who's absolutely evil and there's no one who's absolutely good and everyone's just say somewhere in the middle or somewhere on the spectrum but they're just trying to maximize their own objectives instead of say destroy the world and save the world type situations. So mm-hmm. that is how I see the difference between say a a book made for children and teenagers vis-a-vis a book made for adults. Yeah, and as an adult, a lot of the times you could see yourself rooting for the villain. It happens. Yeah, it becomes a little ambiguous who the villain actually is. Like if there is one protagonist, then people tend to say the the person who's not the protagonist is the villain, but if you make like a show, like if you take something like Game of Thrones, like you can have it from like everyone's perspective. So you you can't really tell who the villain is. Mhm. There's another show called Sons of Anarchy. I don't want to ruin the show for anyone that wants to watch it, but let me just say that the main character, like as the series progresses, you're like, "Huh, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy?" I really can't tell. And I would say one of the most famous shows of all time, Breaking Bad. You may have heard about it before. I've watched uh, some episodes. So I did end up watching a bit of Breaking Bad and a couple of seasons of Game of Thrones mostly because back in my consulting days I had like a couple of clients who were really into it and you know I just had to watch it because I couldn't communicate with them properly. But go ahead. Yeah, and with Breaking Bad, it's one of those situations where you're kind of understanding why he's a villain, but other times you're like, oh, "Man, I get where he's coming from." Man, he's so deep in like what would I do in this scenario? I see what he's doing and it makes you question like who you are as a person as well. I don't know if Breaking Bad is the best example, but there's a lot where you really can't tell if the villain is actually a villain or if he's just a guy that's been treated unfairly so much that he's finally standing up for himself. I recommend you check out Batman at uh, the Dark Knight where it's one of those movies that kind of gets you thinking differently as well. You know, have you ever read one of those books which were written from the villain's perspective? Like I would recommend reading The Accountant's Story. It's by Roberto Escobar, which is Pablo Escobar's brother. And Pablo Escobar was this huge drug lord from Colombia. and you know it's like when you read the book from his brother's perspective then when you're reading it you will think that this guy is the hero and the governments who are coming after him are the villains so it really depends on whose perspective the book is based on because if the government wrote a book about say their efforts in catching uh, Pablo Escobar then you will say Pablo Escobar is the villain and the government is the protagonist or like the hero so it's kind of like robin hood robin hood or robin hood yeah or robin hood uh, steals from the rich and gives it to gives the poor gives it to the poor okay Yeah, where the poor people are like, well, yeah, all the rich people don't need all that stuff anyways. Robin Hood's a hero, while from the rich person's perspective, like get that thief. He he's a jerk. Yeah, it depends that's, on the perspective, yes. That's why I really think if I was JK Rowling and I want to make another billion, 
I would rewrite Harry Potter from Voldemort's perspective. Hey, JK, if you ever end up doing that, uh, cut me a check, all right? Mm. <laughs> Do you joking. know what would be interesting? I think a book from the perspective of Draco Malfoy's father, like at least like a portion of it. He's he wasn't like that big of a character though. He was. So I don't a, know if you could write a series. No, that. but he had like an interesting story, from what I can tell. So he used to be like, he wasn't someone who was interested in being a Death Eater, but he ended up becoming one. I think just to like save himself from Voldemort, and in the end, he kind of defected from Voldemort's army, where he just ran away. Away. Well, well, I just got a better idea. Yo, J.K., if you're listening to this, listen up. So instead of just doing Voldemort. You could maybe write one book on that, one book on Draco's dad, one book on Hagrid from different oh, no. perspectives. People won't, people won't read that stuff. People won't. I read would it. read it. I would read it. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Oh, is it? Interesting. I think she would be best off doing like 50 years ago before Voldemort and then setting like a new story in the same universe. I could see that as well. I mean, honestly, the only limitation right now is either J.K. Rowling's desire to write more or her imagination. But I'm sure that she'll have a bunch of readers. Or, you know, maybe she's just making so much cash she doesn't care, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean... That's a possibility. In fact, I remember... Has, read, go ahead, sorry. No, she has fuck you money. Yeah, I remember reading that at at a point where say you make your income is like five percent of your five or seven percent of your net worth, uh, that's the point where your motivation goes to like zero. I think it was a bowtie bull newsletter or somewhere else. Hmm. So if like you know if your if your net worth is like five hundred thousand dollars, like half a million dollars, and your income is if your income from working is like fifty thousand dollars, then your motivation to work will be very low because you can make more money by just investing and gotcha that still holds I, i'm pretty sure it's a bowtie bull substack newsletter i don't I don't know for sure though so if you're making like say if you have if your net worth is say 10 million dollars and your income from working is like half a million then you will not want to work because then you can make more money by just investing and you know a whole year's worth of work is not that pleasant so you will just not want to do it. Let me see what J.K. Rowling is up to, but go ahead. You were saying something. Well, yeah, I mean, it honestly comes down to the desire and the imagination because there's always going to be readers for like this kind of content. Like, I don't really care how she does it. If she wants to write more books as like Harry as an adult, I'll read it, you know, especially if there's one book coming out a year. And I'm sure there's at least a thousand to 10,000 people around the planet who will do the same. J.K. Rowling has a bunch of books. She has like 40 books, I think. Does she? Uh, yeah, she has a ton of books. So Harry Potter and the whole wizarding world is like just a portion of what she has created. And apparently there's another book called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which I didn't even know existed. And Tales of Beetle the Bard, Quidditch Through the Ages. 
So she's been working hard, like fantastic beasts and where to find them. But there's apparently someone called Robert Galbraith. And this is one of the, it's a pseudonym, pseudonym that J.K. Rowling used. So she, after Harry Potter, the author chose crime fiction for her next book. And she used the pseudonym. So she wrote like a bunch of books with like this fake name, Robert Galbraith. You know she, how we were talking about super fans and before? I don't even need like, I don't even mean like two, three books. I mean, like she's wrote like five books here. And then she has like four or four, four other books that are unrelated. Like, yeah, Very Good I pulled Life it up right now. Christmas Pig. That is insane. I didn't even know that. I thought she just said Harry Potter. Yeah, but I think most people know her for Harry Potter. So that's where, let me ask you something. Would you consider yourself a super fan of J.K. Rowling? No. Okay, what about a super fan of Harry Potter? No. I didn't even know okay. this eighth book was out already. We're discussing, we were giving her ideas and she's already written the book. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Okay, yes, it probably... Uh, now, I still consider myself a super fan because if I was aware of all of this stuff, I wouldn't say I'm a super fan of J.K. Rowling. But I'm a super fan of Harry Potter. But so I'll read the books. If you I'll, were a super fan, then you would have known. It wouldn't, it, wouldn't that be by definition? It would be by definition. But here's my thing. If the Harry Potter world... Um, okay, you may have a point where I'm probably not a super <laughs> fan. But a mega fan. I wouldn't say, but I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say I'm a regular fan either. Where like, if I actually knew about it, where unfortunately, you know, I kind of got out of the loop, I would have checked it out. Same with, like, if there's a Harry Potter movie. But I'm not a, actually, yeah, I won't take the credit of a super fan because I know people that listen to, like, Harry Potter podcasts and all that. I wouldn't consider myself like, there's a podcast? that into it. Probably. I'm pretty sure <laughs> probably. there are. <laughs> I'm, probably, I'm pretty sure there are many Harry Potter podcasts. Probably. I think Harry Potter is, like, a huge franchise. They've done really, really well when it comes to marketing it. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, like I've tried to get into. I, I believe I got to give it more of a chance now as an adult. I don't know. I've I've watched the movies like when I was in school, high school. I I tried reading the reading the book, but it's just too slow moving. If you want to read more fiction, that's you know in a fantasy land, check out Aragon. That was the first novel I read. Aragon? Aragon. This okay, guy called Chris Chopper Paolini. So this book kind of got me into reading novels. Otherwise, I would have never thought I could read like a huge book. But this is the first one that I read. And I actually realized that these huge books are books I can actually finish reading. Because if you never okay. read a novel, then these huge books are just too intimidating, you know? Is that the one with the blue dragon in the front? Yeah, that one. Okay. But I wouldn't really recommend it now at this point because I think when the author wrote it, he was like 13 years old or something. Let me check. So He wrote that the, book when he was 13? Yeah, it's a great book. It's just my... It's just not philosophically sound like 
Lord of the Rings is. Mm-hmm. Because the author just lacked the experience while writing it. I've heard about this book before, but I never read it. Like this book was, I don't know. I I I think he wrote it when he was thirteen. Let me check. Thirteen years old. Aragorn, thirteen years old. Okay, so he started writing it at the age of 14 as a hobby, not 13. That's insane to me, though. So young. Yeah, that I'm is I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check it out. I give respect to people that write fiction. It's something that I stopped taking seriously for some time. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, man, this is for little kids. But as an adult revisiting fiction, I'm thinking, how is it that you guys even had the ideas to create this fantasy land like that? You know, lately I've had a lot of people recommend me two books that I'm going to read. So one is called Foundation and the other one is called Dune. And I've had like at least a dozen or so people, like at least like 15, 20 people recommend them. And about 10 of them are like legitimate founders and billionaires. So I'm going to pick it up. Well, Dune, I've heard of a a lot. And there is just made the movie recently too. I haven't watched the movie, but that movie is the reason why they've been recommending it. Like it just became like a talking point. Like, did you watch Dude? And I'm like, no, I don't watch movies. You should read the book. <laughs> you probably have to explain that to a lot of people. Uh, I just give them like Not a too much. non-answer. Like, I don't watch movies because I don't like sitting for so long. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't go into the explanation part because that's like a waste of time. Like, yeah, if I go into explaining my decision, then that means I respect you. And that's only a very a f- small amount of people. Uh, other than like productivity, it, you mentioned like you lift for fun. Is there anything else you do for fun? I lift, I read, I write, I go out and, you know, have a social life. People. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I travel, I hike, I like exploring new places. So I'm a more, you know, in the real world for entertainment type person and not someone who would say sit and play or sit and watch a movie or something. Like I, I used to do that when I was much younger, like when I was like 16 and I would really enjoy video games back then, but I can't see myself doing that now. When's the last time you touched a video game? The last time was actually, so I think the last time was in March for a couple of days when I was really, really sick. And I, I had like, somewhere between diarrhea and food poisoning like it was it was like a mess okay and i hated it so much and i was just trying to get let you know time had to pass quicker and video games are a way to do that but before that i would say maybe when i was like 19 okay so it's been a couple of years yeah it's been like five six years i do play chess all the time though online or online online 
my friends don't play that good. Sorry. <laughs> I heard chess gets intense online. Chess. So offline, you know, you can start winning pretty easily, but online, as you win, they pitch you with you know better players. So online, it's like you will find players in your category. And those algorithms are very good at that. So if you lose, you lose ranking and you win, you gain ranking. And you will find people who are just as good as you are. So your games are fun. It's not like you're winning effortlessly or losing immediately. Got it. Yeah, I see you more as like a board game kind of guy where I'm more into board games. Have you ever played Ludo? As a kid, yes. Not anymore? That game's awesome. (laughs) I don't typically play luck-based games because it's like a waste of time, to be honest. There's some strategy in there too. Some strategy, yes, but I don't know. It's like Ludo requires like a lot of people in real life playing, while chess is like you just need one person and you can even like, do it online for fun. So yeah, Ludo is a game that like I'll play with my family when I go home, and it's an atmosphere kind of thing. I can't imagine playing that game online, for example. Yeah, I, I've usually played Ludo when I'm like, you know, in my hometown and playing with the kids because it's like an easy game and all the kids know how to play it because it doesn't require skill or strategy, to be honest. So anyone can play it and it's like fun to do it with family. It's kind of like playing housey if you've played it. Like anyone can play it. Play what? House? Housey. No, I don't know what that is. Like they give you a chit with numbers on it and then random numbers are call out, called out. And if your shit has the numbers which are called out, you get a prize. Okay. Now I haven't heard of it. Yeah, it's a super simple game though. Like people play it in like huge groups because it doesn't require any pre-existing knowledge or there's no skill aspect to it. It's just luck game. Yeah, well, with Ludo, there's... Like there is some luck involved, like you getting the six, you getting the right numbers, but you using the pieces strategically is important where you don't want to, for example, to get all your pieces in one location at one time, unless you're like in a later part in the game where you're trying to prevent someone else from reaching their house. So I wouldn't say it's something that like you just blindly do, but I do see what you're saying. It doesn't require as much strategy as chess, but I don't think it's like pure luck. I think it's more so in the middle ground territory, which allows it to be a fun activity for like social skills. You know, Ludo is one of those games where I've been too lucky to a point where it's a negative. So the rule is that if you get a six, you you can roll again, okay? And if you get a six again, then it's a 12, but then you have to roll again. But if you get a six three times, then it's a zero. Then it's like your turn is wasted. Mm-hmm. So the best you can do is six six five because six 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 is zero. Okay, and what are the chances of getting a six six six? It's like one six into one six into one six. So like one in two hundred sixteen, and I would get that all the time. Like I would get three sixes in a row. <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot. Yeah, that happens a lot to me. And the chances of that ha- the chance of that happening is like 1 in 216. So I was lucky to the point that it was like unlucky. 
I wouldn't call that luck by any means. That's actually very unlucky. But that's what makes the fun part of it happen. Where I'm sure when you got three sixes, everyone started laughing at you, right? Yeah, I, but you know what? Lately, I've noticed. So, like the last time I went to my hometown, all the kids and you know, like people who are like twelve, thirteen, fourteen teenagers. They don't want to play board games anymore. They just want to play like a game on the phone. Because mm. everyone has these touchscreen Android phones now. And internet is very cheap because of Reliance Geo. So pe- kids just want to play games on their phones and they don't even want to play they don't want to play any physical games anymore. And I know I sound like very old like you know like an old person saying this like go out of the house and play but they just you don't even have to go out the house. Just have a board game. Put the phone down. Yeah, put the phone down, man. Like, what are you guys doing? There's another game, Garam Board. Oh, I love that game. That game is fun. You have that, that one. You have more control. Yeah, that 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 is a skill based game. There's Monopoly. There's a few games that are fun, like board games. Like for me personally, I've never played like games on my phone like that if i'm like bored and someone else is playing it i'll watch along with them but i don't really like looking at my phone playing games it hurts my head i used to enjoy it as a kid so i get the fun part but i think it's just bad for children's health to be like sitting all the time you should knock the phone out of their hands and Put you know a what happens? That, face. No, that doesn't work. So unless the kid wants to do something, they're not going to do it. And parents will usually give them a phone because they're just so tired of the kid. They just wanted to shut up and <laughs> you know not bother them. And that's why all the kids have phones, because if you give the kid a phone, the kid will stop bothering you. Yeah. Did you ever have a Game Boy before? Yeah, I had a Game Boy Advance SP. Oh, okay. Did you have a Game Boy? I had. I used to have it. And that was like my first encounter with games. I I think I already told you my story with games where I just don't like it nowadays. Like, I don't like playing it like that at all. And this is where I'm super old school. And if I'm going to be playing a game, I'd rather play like a sport or a board game. If it's digital, uh, count me out. Which games did you play on your Game Boy? Pokemon? Yeah, it was probably Pokemon. And there was this other shooting game that I used to play. I forgot the name of it. I think it's like Wolfram. It had the word Wolf in it. Was it Wolfram Alpha? Because that's like a mathematics thing. No, no. (laughs) I know what you're talking about now. It wasn't that. I do use Wolfram Alpha. I used to use it in um, uh, College of Engineering. Oh, did you pay for it? Or were you using the free edition? I was using it for free. You know, I got trolled into paying for it because I was trying to solve something. And it said that if I paid for it, it would show me steps, okay? And the steps were like, there were only two steps, the problem and the answer. So it was like, I paid for what? <laughs> The game that I'm talking about, I may not have the phrase wolf in it, but it was a shooting game. That's what I used to play. Wolfenstein 3D. Was it that one? There we go. I think it's Wolfenstein. Let me just double check. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, yeah, it was Wolfenstein 3D. Yeah, that was a good game. That game game was lit. That game was so fun. There used to be something called Visual Boy Advance. And you could play like Game Boy games on your computer. So that's what I would do because my family just could not afford a Game Boy for I had to beg for many years to get that Game Boy. And by the time I got it, I wished I had gotten a PSP or something instead. (laughs) (laughs) It was so late in the game. Because by the time... your friends have it? My friends had it. My friends were like loaded compared to me back then. What did you do then before the Game Boy? Play outside? Play outside. You played hide and seek before? Yeah, but I was never good at that game. I hated <laughs> that particular game. It's because you were fat for a while, right? They could see you sticking out behind the curtains. No, it wasn't that. It's just, you know, the way we played in India is that you have to be at a place and you have to like find everyone. And if you go to find and when when you're like in the process of finding everyone, someone comes to the place and hits the wall or something, then you have to start again. Mm-hmm. So it's not just finding everyone, it's just finding everyone before someone gets to the wall. And people would come and get to the wall before like I had fi- done finding everyone. And I would just I was I was like constantly seeking and never doing the hiding. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hide and seek. You ever played tag before? Or freeze tag? What is that? So freeze tag, it's man, I played this like when I was five. It's like if, man, I can't even explain it. It's like when there's a certain period where you have to like chase someone and someone will say freeze. When, man, I can't even explain it, bro. I, I remember the game, but I forgot the rules. So I don't know <laughs> enough to explain. I probably shouldn't have brought that one up. What about have Duck you, Duck Goose? No, I might have played these games. So you'll have to explain the rules because we had different names. Okay, so Duck Duck Goose, this one I can explain. You're in a circle. One guy gets up and he's basically tapping the other people's heads like duck, duck, duck. And eventually he'll pick someone that's goose. And the person who gets chosen as goose needs to get up and chase the person that tapped him on the head before the person who taps them in the head sits down on that person's seat. So it's like duck, duck, duck. And then I hit goose. And then I start running around in a circle trying to get to the spot before I get tagged. Does that game sound familiar? Is it like... No, that doesn't. But it kind of reminds me of another game called... Uh, where there's music playing and you have to sit in that seat. So that's like one seat. Musical chairs. Musical chairs, yeah. Is it like that? No, it's, no, it's not. not like that. It's I know what you're talking about with musical chairs. That game was lit. And you saw people's true colors in that game. Yeah, that like, was a good game. Some people will tr- struggle to get that chair. You ever play tug of war? Oh, no, we haven't played that one. No. You know what that is, right? Yeah, I know what that is. That's an, that's an insane game. I was watching squid games and they bought, I know you haven't seen it on, it's a show. I know. Yeah. yeah, On Netflix and they bought in tug of war and it was just nostalgia. I was like, ah, man, this reminds me of back in the days. Um, Interesting. You can't ever expect a person to like be good in tug of war. Like you think that like these muscular guys are going to be good, but a lot of the times it's these stumpy fat guys that you want in your team. 
Yeah, because they're because heavy. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> they know how to like squat in a way where they're very difficult to pull. Mm, like they have like a a very good center of gravity, you know. <laughs> they were built for tug of war. <laughs> I don't know how does the tug of war team work. Are you like able to choose as many people as you want, or like do you have like a weight limit? Where like only one thousand <laughs> kilos are allowed, like you can split that up in as many people as you like. I never did it by weight limit. We used to do it by like members. So I think both sides would have eight. And if you have a huge squad and the rope is huge, then you could have more members. One time we had class versus class, so there were probably like forty people on each side. So tug of war seems like an Olympic game. That's so crazy. Is it is it something that's played professionally? Yeah, so I'm on Wikipedia and they they have like national teams and part of the summer olympic program from 1900 to 1920. And they have like European championships and it's so insane. You know speaking of the Olympics, I think they're going to remove weightlifting from the Olympics. Any idea why? I don't know why. Let me check. All kinds of weightlifting? Because isn't there like a few different styles? I know there's powerlifting and a few other ones. You watch Olympics a lot? I do not. But it's just interesting because weightlifting is popular because it's in the Olympics. Like the lifts are even called Olympic lifts. So having them removed from the Olympics is just so comical because they've been in the Olympics for a while. Okay, so this is an article from The Guardian that I'm looking at and it says, boxing and weightlifting risk being dropped from the Olympics after scandals. Boxing too? Probably because of, you know, PEDs or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I think steroids and peds should be legal i don't think they should you know ban them because when they're banning them they're essentially they're not stopping it they're just making people do things that are harder to detect i'm surprised they don't have a better system to check when someone uses peds because it's like impossible to check so what happens is arman if you take a ped until it's in your system, then you can check. But once it's out of your system, then you how will you know? So if you inject some, oh. say, some type of steroid, it's going to be in your system for, say, like, let's, I don't know for sure, but let's say for a month. And then at the end of the month, then how will anyone know whether you took it or not? Because it's out of your system. So why don't they have some more routine checkups? They do. They do in Western countries, but in, say, countries like, china which are which don't care or you know athletes find a way because it's for them it's their livelihood and then it becomes unfair because if you're being honest then you can't win because you know your opponent is taking something that you're not taking so if you're honest you can't win so that forces even honest people to find a way to take peds while not being caught so it becomes like a complex cat and mouse game. And the solution, in my opinion, is to just legal, like let them let people take what they want. 
I think that depends on the sport because if it's boxing, I mean, people could die. Let them die. I don't know about that, man. I, I believe that there should be some sort of system. I mean, is that something that's because I don't know much about PEDs? Is that something no, ridiculous to happen? That the, in, the incentives for doing this are so high. Okay, let's say that if you take boxing, for example, Arman, if taking a PED means that I'm going to win, win, then I'm going to take that PED because this is not someone who is doing boxing casually. Like he's not a programmer who does boxing as a hobby. This is a guy whose livelihood depends on boxing. Winning that boxing match is going to ensure his income, food for his family. He's going to get famous. So it's very important for him to win this match. And if taking up PED is going to let him do that, he's going to do that. So you're not going to stop him from taking a PED. It's just you're going to make him do riskier PEDs, which are harder to detect. Or you're going to say... If a government is incentivized to have him win, which a lot of these governments like China are, because for them it's like a thing of national pride, then the government might invent new PEDs just for these guys. Mm, okay, see. Yeah, I don't know much about PEDs, so I don't know I'm learning either. from just, you right now. I did, I did a bit of research on it to figure out what is going on. And this is my conclusion, like, it's a cat and mouse game and you're not going to catch them because for the incentives for them cheating are just so high. And this makes it impossible for honest players to compete. So everyone's forced to be dishonest, but they're all doing it in like a hidden way because there's no one who is not taking PEDs. So making PEDs legal is not going to change anything much. It's just going to make things safer and fairer for everyone. And that's so annoying, especially if you're someone who does it the clean way, because it's a few bad apples ruining it for everyone. I would say it's like 90% bad apples and like 10% not bad apples. And like 95% the, bad apples. See, if that's the situation, then I can understand why they're trying to get rid of boxing, because I do not trust people that are doing PEDs in the boxing ring. But because this is one of the sports the where people die a lot. Sport. It's not. It's not just boxing. I. I would say no, that. But, but boxing, you're getting hit on the head. Like you could actually like legitimately kill someone. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can. But outside of boxing too, they're all using PEDs. All of them. Like even swimming, I would say they're using PEDs because if it allows you to generate more power, then you can swim faster. And if you can swim faster, you can win. For boxing in particular, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe getting punched can kill you, but I bet the guys and this level of athleticism, they're already at the pinnacle and adding some extra power should not make too big of a difference. I don't know for sure though, because these guys are already on PEDs, Arman. The boxers or just the Olympians? In all general? of them, all of them. Like even boxers too, probably they're all on PEDs because it's just what the incentives suggest. What advantage would he have by not taking PEDs? I can't think of any. What advantage would he have by PEDs, taking PEDs, assuming he can find a way to do it without getting caught? He's going to win. So they're all taking PEDs. Hmm. Yeah, see, I'm very much of a novice in this field. Because if I do watch Olympics, I just kind of watch it as a consumer. But I don't know the behind the scenes of what's going on. So when there was this Olympics where like the pools color changed and everything, 
I was looking into how it actually works. What is the business model and why do these guys take drugs, etc. And that's when I discovered all of this. And it's is something that's happening recently or it's been happening for a long time? It's been happening for a long time because, you know, what they do now is that if you are, say, competing, they take a sample of your urine and they freeze it and they keep it. Because in the future, when better testing methods become available, they will test that urine sample. And if they find PEDs, then whatever medals you have won will be taken away. So they have taken away medals by people who won a game like many years ago. Let me check. Wait, let me give you like an exact number. Isn't that what happened with Lance Armstrong, the bicycle guy? Yeah, I think there was a bicycle guy whose urine was tested and they found like it had drugs much, much later. Which goes to say, which is like what I'm telling you, it's like everyone's on PEDs anyway. It's just they're forced to take stuff which you can't detect so far. Insane. Yeah, I recall Lance Armstrong going through that scandal a couple of years back. I don't blame these guys, though. For them, it's like, this is what they do for a living. And if doing a PED is going to help them, then that's what they're going to do, especially when they know that everyone else is doing it. Because if everyone else is doing it and they're not doing it, then they're going to lose for sure. Like they will lose by default because then they're they're not even in the same league. So just make them completely legal and you know, like let it happen. Yeah, I don't know about the whole legal part, but I do see your logic for it. And it's ironic because this is very similar to what was happening with YouTube pranking. Where, you know, initially I'm sure it started off like real pranks, but as it started to scale, more and more people were starting to fake their pranks. And then there were like these pockets of people who were doing real pranks and they were just like, Yo, what the hell? So many people are hiring actors while we're doing the real thing. And those people were getting way more views than the real ones. Hmm. Yeah, it's. It's just how things happen, you know, like things just keep escalating in a direction. And if you don't follow, then even though you're being like honest, you're just going to get destroyed by the market. That's what happens. But eventually the bubble does pop where a lot of those people in what 2012 that were killing it with the fake pranks. Nowadays, they just fell off. Hey, Arman, so are you familiar with the prisoner's dilemma problem? It sounds familiar. They made a movie on this, didn't they? Or a documentary? I don't know about that, but... So what, what we're talking about is essentially a classic prisoner's dilemma problem. And here what happens is that... I'll, I'll, I'll set the stage for you, okay? The police catches two people, like two criminals. And there are... Like, well, the situation is such that the police has evidence for both of them committing like a minor crime, but they don't have enough evidence for them committing like a big crime. So now these two people are kept in separate rooms and both of these are, the police has approached them and they've said that if you tell us the 
you know, what this other guy, can if you provide evidence on this other guy, if you snitch, then we will give you a lighter sentence. And both of them have been presented with this situation. So the the diagram looks like this, okay? If both of them, say, don't talk to each other, like if both of them don't present any evidence on each other, like if they both don't snitch, then they each stay in prison for like one year. Wait, l- let me send you the image so that you can visualize it better. Wait. If both of them don't snitch on each other, okay, if both of them stay silent, this, this both of them stay in prison for one year, okay? If one guy snitches, then that guy doesn't go to prison at all, but the other guy goes to prison for three years. But if they both snitch, then they both go to prison for two years. Are you following me so far? Yep. So I'll just repeat that for the audience. It's that these are two people. They are in different rooms. They can't communicate. And they've been called by the police. And the police has evidence, enough evidence on them to send them to prison for one year for a minor crime. But they don't have enough evidence for like the major crime. So they've approached them individually. And they've said that if you cooperate with us and you could, like snitch on the other guy, then we'll let you go free. And the other guy will get like a big sentence. So the situation is that if they both don't cooperate with the police, if they both just stay silent, then they both will have to serve the minor sentence, which will be like one year, one year for both of them. If one guy betrays the other guy, if one guy defects and kind of gives police the evidence they need, then the guy who gave the evidence and cooperated doesn't get to doesn't go to the prison. And the guy who get, gets betrayed, he stays in prison. He gets to go to prison for three years. But if they both defect on each other, then they both are, you know, they both provide evidence on each other for the major crime, but they've also cooperated. So they both get prison for two years each. Okay. So ideally, you would say that they should both stay silent because collectively, then they serve the least prison sentence, which is two years. Yeah. So ideally, they would both cooperate. But if you look at the individual incentives, if pers- if one person knows the other person is going to cooperate, then he should ideally defect because if he defects and he cooperates with the police, then he goes free. Do you get what I'm telling you? Right. You're talking about the general and then the specific. Yeah. So the general is that they should both stay silent, but assuming that the other, you think the other person is going to stay silent and you there's no way to communicate this stuff between these two so if you think the other person is going to stay silent then you should defect because then you don't go to, you don't go to prison but if the other person has the same thought and you both defect then you both serve 2 years and you're much worse off like collectively both of you are serving 4 years in prison instead of 2 which you would have done if you had said if you had just stayed silent so there's something called a Nash equilibrium and a pair to equilibrium. I won't get into all of that. But this stuff is what we're talking about. Like this doping thing is a lot like that. So ideally they would both not dope. Ideally they would not both not do PEDs. But under the assumption, if they think that the other person is going to do a PED, not going to do a PED, then they should do a PED because then they will win. And if they think the other person is going to do a PED, then again, they should do a PED because otherwise he will lose. 
so even though the collective collectively they they, they would they would think they would not to be eds individually they are going to do peds because doing peds wins in both situations so when they think the opponent will not do peds then you should definitely do peds because then you will win the show because you will be much stronger and when you think the opponent is going to do peds then you have to do peds because then you won't be able to compete mm-hmm. you get what i'm telling you it's like the guys are bound to do peds just out of incentives yeah you're basically applying the prisoner's dilemma on what's happening in the olympics right now yeah it's either that you are guaranteed a victory by doing peds or at least you get a fair chance yeah i mean if we're talking about those guys like i completely get it from like the individual incentives wise that's why initially i was just saying man you as the olympics you guys don't have any workarounds or anything for that and if you're saying like nah man like they tried and they still can't do it in terms of an organizational level then i mean cuz cuz i completely get what you're trying to say with the whole uh, they tried to do the peds like they tried to block it but bad people got a hold of it anyways it's not bad so, people it's just no not people. bad people but I, i'm talking about like people um like they got hold of it anyways that's like that's something like with guns like people who want to like ban guns completely it's like yeah but if you try to ban guns um criminals will still get access to it so banning it is not quite the solution and if that's the case then i kind of get it but if the olympics can find more strict like these tests or what not then i would try to go for that route but if we're talking individually yeah i see the incentives for like their path i mean individually i get it i'm really surprised they don't have like some sort of like way to measure this stuff yet sorry what metrics i'm really surprised they don't have a way to have like measurements of like did you dope or not I, I thought that would be something that was fairly straightforward. Oh no, especially it's something like the Olympics. Really complex because the PE whatever drugs you're putting in, they're not going to stay in your body forever. So they're going to get out of your body at some point of time. So these things have a half-life and the quantity of the drug in your body keeps reducing and reducing and reducing to the point it's undetectable. So But but okay, so how long is that like period it depends like it depends days? so that's what i'm telling you so there are drugs which will last for like much longer but if you know you're going to be drug tested every month then you would take something that will be out of your system by the time you're doing a drug test so what about like drug test every 4 days leading up to a big competition yeah but that would not help because people are doing the drugs like way before the big competition the peds oh, kind of make you stronger forever in a way Okay. That's pretty shocking though that it's because I wasn't aware of the changes going on in the Olympics, but I get it more now like as we're speaking about the whole PED issue. But I, I if you're like going that. to cut away sports because of PEDs, then at that point you will have like zero sports left because they're all doing it. Not all sports like is swimming like I I mean it is what it is with swimming, but Probably. boxing dude boxing where it's a combat sport i could see a case for that but see when you're coming from a situation where you're saying when you're thinking that these guys are not already doing peds 
and then doing peds is going to make them like killer strong and kill people but now think that they're already doing peds mhm yeah i mean me? I, no i would still have the same opinion because if you're still doing peds get rid of it even quicker if you guys can't like monitor it because if you if you ever google like boxing deaths you'll see a lot where like people may not die immediately on the ring but they get such a strong blood clot in their brain that they start dying over time and that's one of the reasons why i see nfl like national football league you know having some questions to answer in the near future uh, with all the cte cases that's going on where you got to find a way to control that kind of stuff otherwise i mean there's going to be there's going to be a lot of like physical issues in the future i don't know i think the guys at that level they know what they're doing you know it's not like they're they're not like the average gym bro injecting random shit in their body like they know what they're doing like i just sent you a link and this kind of goes to show what i'm telling you it's that all of the sports have a doping issue all of them because there's just so much at stake so if you take this is a link from cnbc which is another one of those fake news channels but we'll just trust them here so olympic medalist ryan murphy there is not enough being done to fight doping in swimming and this was published 6 months ago 5 months ago oh, okay i i i see the article so does he does he propose any solutions i don't know i haven't read it i'm just like giving an example that even swimming like you mentioned swimming will not have doping so like it does No 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 I, I didn't say that I I I said if swimming does have doping it's not one of those sports where like say someone could die like cuz it's a it's not a combat sport so hypothetically if that's one of those doping ones I'm not saying I'm okay with it but I'm more okay with it than like boxing or like I don't know like some sort of combat sports You see what I'm saying Hmm I get what you trying to tell me. I just feel like this these guys are already on you know these drugs and if they aren't dead yet let's see how long it is until they start dying. <laughs> see, I don't know much about PEDs, man. I mean, I hear a lot of horror stories afterwards of people who used to take them like you can't smash girls, you can't get it up, you have mood swings. I hear about all that, but this is not a field that I'm well versed in. Yeah, I'm not an expert either. Just it was like an interesting topic to study. Yeah, and it happens in bodybuilding a lot too, doesn't it? I think you know, if if PEDs were like a ball, then bodybuilding would be like football. Oh, it like happens the most there. Bodybuilding is all about anabolic steroids at this point. It's like it's so if you go back in time it used to be about actually looking good and being good looking. It was about aesthetics, but now bodybuilding is all about huge size and how big your neck is and how big your thighs are and all the bodybuilders all of them like 100% of them are on anabolic steroids. Of course, like Of course. Mm-hmm. That's like the most obvious one. Yeah, body when you normally is... when you normally lift is that I want to say the modern bodybuilding, like the old school aesthetics bodybuilding, is that what you're going for? 
I mean, like maybe an era before all of these drugs were invented. Or even if you take, say, from the era of Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he did have steroids, but it was still concerned with appearance to an extent. But now it's just pure size. Like, who is the biggest, baby? <laughs> like, if you take Ronnie Coleman, the guy is like a really nice guy. Okay, like, he comes off as like a very likable dude, but. He's just so big. He doesn't even look human at this point. Like, he would not look at Ronnie Coleman's body and be like, I want to be this big. Right. I'm looking at an old school Arnold pick, and I'm like, yeah, that I could see. Yeah, it's just, it, it just about size now and not, not about aesthetics anymore. And you got to dedicate your life to it. Where... I don't know the business side of this. Like, does he get sponsorships for being that big? If you win the competition, you become more popular, which allows you to say, you can use the popularity to charge more to your clients or like get better clients to train because a lot of bodybuilders are also trainers on the side. You can use it to launch, say, a supplement brand or sell products or, you know, even grow your social media now and you get in the social media business. So winning the competition is very important. Very important. Got it. Because, you know, for us, you know, like, like think from their perspective, okay? From our perspective, it's like this guy is bodybuilding. But from his perspective, he's not bodybuilding. This is his career, his livelihood. This is how he feeds his children. He has to win. Because if he doesn't oh, yeah. win, then it's going to affect his lifestyle which school his kids go to, how much he's getting paid, and things like that. Yeah, incentives-wise, I get it, absolutely. Because people are trying to progress in their lives. So if we're talking about individual stance, absolutely. Yeah. I think these guys are like on a different level, though. Like The bodybuilding guys do so much drugs that it literally shortens their lives. Because they're carrying so much muscle and the heart. So it's like, do you know that the taller you are, the shorter you live? I've heard about that. That's because your heart is working extra hard to pump up blood all the way. And then it dies quicker. And that's what's happening to a lot of these bodybuilders. They're just so big that their heart is like working so hard that it just doesn't last as long. Ugh. it shortens their life even testosterone kind of shortens your life like testosterone damages in your nervous system i don't know it does it does damage your body to some extent which is why women live longer than men like in like in an environment where there's enough nutrition women will live much longer than men and which is why almost all of the people who are like over 100 years old are women woman let me check have you ever thought about doing any kind of bodybuilding before i am into lifting yeah but like you know make it like become a lot bigger like these one of these guys you you mean like doing drugs like steroids not doing drugs okay let me see if i could find some don't they have a competition just for like natural bodybuilders 
or am probably, I probably probably I remember there was a guy named Lane Norton where he said he would compete for like a different competition I, my brother was into him so he would just tell me I don't know much about that I don't know I'm pretty big already I'm like 93 kg right now although I'm going to cut a little more and you know reduce the fat but I'm not small by any means I'm like 6 feet 92 kg 93 kg and I and used to be 205 pounds yeah that's yeah, 205 used to be pounds I think a couple of podcasts ago I told you I was 100 and I've lost like 7 kg so far 6 feet's pretty tall like for traditional Indians isn't it Yeah pretty tall Indians are very short comparatively I remember when a bunch of the Bollywood actors came to Tampa for the IFA awards a lot of them when i used to see them in like movies i'm thinking that they're like these big big guys like 6465 6, and then when i would see them a lot of them are like 59 510 some more like 56 i'm like man you guys got some good camera angles over there in bollywood <laughs> i don't know i don't watch bollywood but i can see what you mean yeah i think the That's... average indian height is not that tall yeah i'm 6 foot as well and average bengalis aren't like that tall either hey bengal is like a part of india we are yet to just, we just have to conquer it again <laughs> i i think with bengalis and indians most of it like the average i forgot where i read it read it it's like 57 or 58 or something like that is it yeah it's it's pretty short in fact i think the average indian male is like 55 kg or something like some absurdly low number So so here's this thing that I learned about recently. I actually wanted to bring it up earlier, but I wanted to see if you knew about it. You ever heard of a phrase called heightist? No, what is it? So I didn't know about it, uh, but there was like a guy uh, who's uh, like 5-9 and he says he gets uh, he gets heightist a lot, which basically means that girls will turn him down on dates because he's not six foot tall. Five and at first, not that short, man. Uh, no, it's not. That it's short? not that short. It's not that short. But you know, like the thing, like oh, you gotta be six foot plus. Like some people have that mindset. Ah. Uh, so he, he's pretty tall in his family, but when he's telling me the story, like I'm busting out laughing, thinking he's trying to tell me like some sort of joke. But he's like, "Nah, man, this isn't this isn't right. Like I'm actually getting discriminated against." And he gave me the serious face. I'm like, "Ah, damn, dude!" Like. It must have hurt your feelings, huh? <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, man, like I actually like legit get discriminated against. Like people who never met me, like, oh, you're not six foot, uh, bye, you're too short." And then I put myself in his perspective. I'm like, "Dude, that's kind of tough because you can't really control your height." Exactly. And he's getting discriminated. It's called heightist. Yeah, I think I think women women are like very concerned about height. You know, they really care. They're like very hypergamous about this stuff. Like, so I let had me just go. an old girlfriend of mine, and she rejected a guy for marriage simply because that guy was shorter than her. So this is like a this is like a great guy. I saw his bio data, and this guy was like, she he he was a great guy. Like he looked good, and he was making good money. He had a great educational background, but she didn't even meet him. because he was shorter than her <laughs> that is like bro there's so, a there's another one where like a guy i know is taller than the girl but she dumped him because she's taller than him with her heels on i don't know i think some girls just 
like are you if you're going to reject great people because of something like this and you end up being single forever then you bought it upon yourself you know so a hideous the definition is a person who embraces hideism discrimination against people on out of range heights out of range heights i get it like out of range heights would be like a dwarf for like like you know someone who's like the guys you told me like six and a half feet i get it that's like abnormally tall that's just weird you know it's like dating someone with like a hand missing well the other one is beardist i don't know if that's a formal phrase but <laughs> this is when like you can't grow a beard or you have a beard so they reject you and i think it's just personal preferences and these guys are just being bitter about it yeah like the beardest one i kind of get but like the hideous part like i can't speak too much cuz i'm 6 foot but there was a period when i was only 5 foot 3 and it was you know i i sometimes wonder like what if do i was you mean? still there was a period where you were 5 foot 3 dude so in 10th grade i was 5 foot 3 and all my buddies at this point had gotten like tall and i was the shortest kid in class and different people would be like oh you're going to be short forever like this is just your height and <laughs> this this is this is actually a reason why i like short women cuz personally mentally i always thought like i was going to be 5-3 so i'm like man let me look out for these 5-1 girls because i wanted to be taller but here's what happened my dad and my grandpa were like you will get taller if you start playing more basketball and younger me at that time i think it was like 14 15 i took that to be a fact i didn't know anything about jeans or like whatever i thought if i played a lot of basketball did a lot of jumping then i would get taller from 10th grade to 11th grade i grew from 53 to 6 foot nice so i understand that perspective man where I actually thought I was going to be 5 foot 3 for like my entire life and then suddenly when I was 6 foot tall I was like whoa this is like a brand new world because you get more attention than you were not getting before you know I get it you know a girl's desire to find someone who's taller because this stuff is genetic like would you want your children to be short no like who does it's like It's like me rejecting girls for being not intelligent and I have done that a lot of times where I've just stopped dating someone just because they were like not intelligent enough for me and in the background it's just because you know I don't see a long term future with this girl because she's not that intelligent and I don't want to have stupid children so I get girls rejecting guys for being short it's it's like a genetic thing like you don't want well, like sh- shitty short children The opposite is also true too where like a lot of guys will ditch girls for being way taller than them. I forgot which show it was. I think it was like a reality is TV that true? show. Okay. Yeah, where the guy would not go on with the girl cuz she was like 6-3. That's pretty tall for a girl and he was like 5-11. And when she wore heels, she dwarfed him. So I think that's why he ended it with her. I know that that's a stupid reason for a guy because you know if he's taller then that's a good thing you know you have like your children will be taller and <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I the way I look at marriage is a lot like in practical terms and not how people typically think of a marriage 
I sometimes I feel like I'm too traditional in a way because this is how my grandma used to say things like why do you marry so that like you know like she would say things like it's so that you have like someone to cook and clean and you know take care of the house and you can focus on work and that is something that is not traditionally people don't think of marriage in those terms anymore but really marriage is like just an institution that is supposed to provide a good environment for children to be raised and everything else is like a fringe benefit in a way so it's it's about children so you would want like the best genetic material and someone who's intelligent someone who's tall someone who's fit and jacked and doesn't have stupid things like allergies is a good candidate candidate right so you're thinking about it from the lens of your kids yeah i'm thinking about it from a more long term generational perspective and of course other things other things also matter of course like her personality her family background education etc but these things do matter which people do not care about anymore like people just ignore it or i think guys ignore it girls don't ignore it girls girls will like reject guys for being short like you said but guys will not reject girls for being short but in here like they will so like i remember i was like seeing a girl who was like who was short and my mother asked me not to see her because she's too short really yeah because but girls... you're pretty tall so it's your balance out if i could have four wives then i would be like <laughs> happy to have one short one how tall are you expecting like 55 or 58 I don't know. I would say I don't like, think Indian women get that tall, do they? Like some five, of eight? them. Some of them. Uh, no, because I think that's the average height for a guy there, isn't it? Some of them are taller. It's not not all of them are short, but most of them are short. It's just weird, you know. Like it's just very weird. Like if a girl is like just like below your shoulders, that's like too short. Like ideally, you would want to re- her to reach up till your ears at least. So I'm googling it. They say that the average height for women in India is five foot, and for men is five point eight feet. Yeah, the average Indian is really short. Five point eight is going to be like not that tall. You better switch your preference to five foot two, my friend. Hey, I only had to find one. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> just find that one outlier. <laughs> okay so 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 you normally okay so you had to end it with that girl because she was too short but yeah, do you but normally like short women I normally like narrow women like not short women particularly but you know women who are not like you know how some women are like broad bodied and not a huge fan of that I don't hate it but I don't like it either I like narrower women Mhm Yeah, I think a lot of it does come down to preferences. That's why like with my friend, um you know, from his perspective, I could see why he said heightist where like it's a discrimination to a certain Against extent. <laughs> yeah, but cuz I don't think most people like mm, I'm trying to I haven't really thought this topic too much on Isn't this that much. the worst type of discrimination when it happens against you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> See, 
all discrimination isn't bad. Like if you're discriminating <laughs> someone based on something they can control, like let's say they're like you know, super even lazy. When they can't control it, it doesn't mean it's bad necessarily. You know, like I don't think all people are equal. If you have, like, let's say you have two cows, Arman, and one cow gives you like milk and one cow doesn't. It's not like the cow that can't give you milk is like, it has any control over it, but it's just not as good as a cow that's giving you milk. So Yeah, I mean, I, I think you got to focus on what you can control more. Or like for me, I can't really grow a beard like that where I, I know like there's like these foam and stuff where you can grow it if you really want it. I don't really give a damn. I'm like, man, if this person doesn't like me because I can't grow a beard like that, but I think it you can absolutely is. grow a beard. Like you just don't have to shave. Yeah, but it's not like the clean beard. You know what it I'm comes, saying? It comes eventually. Like, you know, all the patches will eventually fill up. It's just like, you'll have like an awkward phrase where it's not like, where it's looking shabby. And if you can tolerate yeah. that, then you can grow a beard. I think you will look I, good I, in a beard. But you, you no, have a pretty good about. jawline, as you said last time. Right. I, I think like I've actually tried like the beard to a point where it's growing i guess i wasn't patient enough for it to grow more i just don't like it too much where i don't know i look entirely different i like the clean shaven or like a midnight shadow the most but if that's something where someone's like oh no he doesn't have that a dumbledore looking beard then (laughs) uh, i can't be with him i'm not gonna sweat that i'm gonna be like all right whatever so with this guy i'm like bro you gotta focus on what you can control you know, I think beards have like a range where it's great to have and then it becomes like a hassle. So a Dumbledore, a Dumbledore level beard, you would have to like constantly keep shampooing it to keep it clean. And clean shaven requires you to also shave every day. So you want like a beard that doesn't require much maintenance. That's like a short beard, like one or two centimeters maybe. Google five o'clock shadow. That's what I'm talking about. Let me check. Five o'clock shadow. Does this mean like a beard you've grown in the same day? Yeah, it's not like a real beard. It's just like a shadow. You see what I'm saying? Mm, Yeah, this looks good. Have you ever had, have you ever had someone be like, oh, no, no, like this part of you I don't like? Oh, yeah, I've had. A lot of girls complain about my beard. It's usually because of practical reasons, because it rubs on their face. Uh, and how big is your beard? Is it like the five o'clock shadow? No, it's much bigger. Let me let me see how big is my beard. Does beard have a scale? I think there's different types of beard. I don't know. Some A lot of people do like it, but some people don't like it. And it depends, you know. But I get the perspective where it's like rubbing your face. So it's like, okay. Is your beard like Drake? You know, Drake? Who's Drake? Just type in Drake beard. Drake is like a dragon, no? Like a a baby dragon is called Drake. Nah, dude. He's one of the most popular uh, rappers right now. Okay. Oh, yeah. I like this guy's beard. Okay. It looks like that. Yeah. It looks like that. Yes. Okay, yeah, see, I don't know if I could grow it like that. Even if I'm patient, I don't know if it grows. I'm looking at the one where he grew it out, not where it's just, like, clean on his face. 
Yeah, this guy's beard looks good. I have like a very similar beard, like same length, I would say. Mm-hmm. And it it does look it looks good. At least I like it, and guys tend to like it, and even many girls do. It's just some people. Sometimes it's like you know, it's like a practical reason, you know, like it's it's getting in their way. How long does it take you to maintain that? I what do you do to I maintain just, it? Nothing. I just like wash it with soap when I'm bathing, and that's it. Okay. And every two weeks, I'll just go to the barber and have him like sharpen it a bit. So I'll tell you how I keep my beards. Okay, when I'm like on a lower body fat, and I'm like say when I'm cutting. So right now I'm like in the middle of a cut, but say when I'm like at eighty five kg, that's when I will have like a much shorter beard because then my you know neckline and everything is going to be much sharper, jawline and it look much better. But when I'm say at the end of a big bulk when I was like at 102 kg then I would have like a longer beard to just cover everything up and it looks better when you have a broader face you know mhm so when I'm like on lower body fats I will have like shorter beards and when I'm like on higher body fats I will have them much longer so you're pretty much slimming it down now yeah currently I th- I'm doing about half a kg of fat per week and I intend to keep doing that until I hit like 84 83 maybe and then I will go back to 100 slowly 84 kg yeah I'm using the calculator okay so that's 185 yeah that's that's roughly where uh, th- that's a nice like range Cuz before like people were talking about being like too big. Like let's say you're not trying to be a bodybuilder, you're just trying to be big because like I don't know, it's just you want to be big. <laughs> I mean, for what reason? Like does it to give you more stronger. energy? Yeah, it, it makes yeah. It, the heavier you are, the more you can lift. Heavier weights you can lift. It's just, you know, being big. I'll tell you what, okay? The bigger, you know, people think being big impresses women, women, but it doesn't. Being big impresses men. being you know ripped and having low body fat is what impresses women i don't think either i i think being in the middle ground is the good part cuz if yeah. i'm cuz i used to be what you were talking about i used to be 225 or let me let me put it in the i used to be like 102 yeah. yeah and you know i was big i was getting all these people were like oh man like you're such a big guy but you know it was kind of like a ego thing where i'm like yeah man i'm a big kind of guy but i didn't feel any better i didn't feel like you know i felt stronger but like i think in terms of my body and this isn't like advice for anyone by any means it's just from what i've noticed through experimentation 175 to 185 pounds i have so much energy throughout the day where i don't get tired i don't need that much coffee i just feel good i don't know i think i'm productive across all body weights it's just that when you're big when you're like 100 kg you will unless you're like extremely muscular you will start to look a little fat and for people who are not into lifting they will interpret it as you know just you not left like you just like let go so in the process it kind of like makes you look bad like physically like you will have like a tummy and everything how much like at 100 105 for most people 
there was this one time, like when I was 105, I was actually graduating from college then. And this was the biggest I've ever been. And I still remember it. After graduation, I go out with a bunch of my friends. And this one girl just kind of comes and pats on my stomach. It's like, someone hasn't been going to the gym, have they? I look at her like, who are you talking to? I've been going to the gym nonstop. She's like, oh. <laughs> it's yep. kind of like you go up to a girl and you're like, oh, so when's the baby due? She's like, wait, what? I'm not pregnant. <laughs> Oh man, that is so funny. <laughs> I was like, man, what are you talking about? And uh, that's when I like, uh, nowadays I look back on those pictures and my face is round. I'm big. I'm filling up my shirt, but I don't know what I was really going for. I think I just wanted to prove like, hey guys, I'm a big guy. And that was like the core why. Yeah, being big is a good thing, but... If you can do it with being aesthetic, that's the best. Because otherwise, you just look fat to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's not great, you know, like you don't want to look fat. You want to look fit and strong. And girls, especially girls, don't get it. Like girls think if you, if you have like a tummy and you're like really big and strong, there are many girls who will just think you're fat. Especially right. with a round face, at that point you should start cutting. Like if you have a round face, then that's like you you bulk too much. And the opposite, when you're like super ripped to a point where guys think you don't even work out. Yeah, I think that is like much worse because to get very ripped, you have to sacrifice a lot of strength. And I don't know how it is in the West, but here in India, you're always wearing a shirt. You're not like going out shirtless. And when you get too small, like people who get ripped and shredded, when they wear a shirt, they just look like a regular dude. I think I was tweeting about this earlier. Like your your goal should not be to get ripped and shredded. Your goal should be to get big so that when you're wearing a shirt, people can tell you left. Right. And I think it's a spectrum kind of thing where like you don't want to be so small to a point where you don't look like you lift. But you don't want to be so big to a point where your face is chubby and you kind of look you kind of look fat and there's no aesthetic. You kind of want to be in that middle ground territory where I've noticed when you get really big, that's when you want to kind of dial it down. Where rather than being small, just trying, eh, I don't want to even give that advice because it depends on the body. But I'm more about most guys who do get too like who get ripped and shredded like they're just so small that when you when you wear a shirt, they just look like a skinny guy. Like you know, Rithik Roshan. He's an actor. I have heard of him. Yeah, hold on, let me. Like his body type, like with the clothes on, like or shirt on, he doesn't look like that big of a guy. Where I actually stood next to him in the IFA Awards. And he looks huge in movies. But when I stood next to him, I'm like, man, I'm almost bigger than this guy. But that kind of body, I would probably want. I think, you know, with these actors, their bodies are like so edited on pictures that you can't tell. Like you can't, you can't tell what they actually look like until you say meet them. Because the pictures are like short with the right angle, the right lighting. Right, but if you pull him up, like you'll probably see like he's not huge, but he's not 
skinny. Hmm, okay, then it's like a good mix. Usually, I think the best aesthetic that's like not doesn't require so you know like if you take this what these guys are doing to be shredded and ripped you have to you know essentially sacrifice a big part of lifestyle you know you have to be careful of everything you're eating and then you you it's, it becomes an obsession like you can't eat out anymore you can only eat x foods you can't eat y foods and things like that like it's not worth it because at the end of the day you're going to wear a shirt and even if you're sleeping around by the time someone a girl is seeing you shirtless she's already in your bed so it's not worth it in my opinion i think the best would be say 15 to 20% body fat and try to maximize as much size as you can in that body fat percentage of course you will have to bulk a lot and cut a lot just to gain the size but i think 15 and 20% is like a good range and then you can you know increase your muscle mass accordingly mhm where do you factor in energy in this in my experience energy doesn't have much to do with the you know weight and has more to do with your diet so if you're eating say enough calories so if you're like on a big deficit then you will feel drained but if you're eating say at maintenance or like a small surplus then you will feel energetic and do you do any do you do any yoga no i don't in like or do you do any sort of stretching with your weightlifting i do do stretching i do stretch i can touch my toes and i do basic stretching not like some extreme stretching okay you know i've been doing um like i still lift but you know like a little bit of a yoga practice it, it just turns your body from like these individual parts to a integrated system and i've noticed energy peaks skyrocketing since doing that interesting but i wouldn't say eliminate weightlifting or anything like that i believe if you add yoga in weightlifting it it'll even amplify it more like you'll feel more stronger like better I don't know maybe I haven't tried it Yoga overall like isn't the Indians found it right hatha yoga or did they discover it from somewhere else Oh no or you don't know This is like an Indian origin thing like yoga was mm-hmm. entirely Indian Mhm Interesting so you're basically at that point where you're slimming down right now you're going to get bigger and just kind of toggle around that area Yeah so currently right now I'm eating like 2000 calories and my system is what about I get like about 180 to 200 grams of protein about 50 60 70 grams of fat and the rest of it is carbs so I'm losing like half a kg per week and I don't do any cardio I just do my strength training 3 4 times a week and my goal is to continue doing that until I'm say at 83 and then i will repeat the whole bulk again but at a much slower pace so last year i read mark repetto's book and essentially went crazy i was eating like 5000 4000 calories per day <laughs> i think this time i'll do like 2800 3000 or something something reasonable <laughs> i'm so surprised that you're able to get that much protein in without eating meat 
I have four scoops of whey per day and there's something called paneer which has good amount of protein. It's just you need to make it from like skimmed milk otherwise you end up with a lot of fat. And you're vegetarian, not vegan, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of milk and dairy products. Okay. And I have eggs, so eggs are like a lot of protein, right? Yeah. And I'm assuming that makes up most of your diet. Most of my diet is So I'll tell you what, in my 2000 calorie diet, I get about 3 4 400 3 or 400 calories from like eggs. I'll have to check my calorie. I think it's like 357 calories from eggs and 400 calories from whey protein. And uh, so I would say that eggs and whey are like 40% of my diet. And do you keep cooking them differently or you eat it the same exact way each time? I usually have bhurji and or sunny side up eggs or egg whites. Okay. You have to like have some variation or you will go insane. any cheat meals my cheat so my cheat meals are like not exact they're like cheat meals but they're like cheat meals in calories and not in food quality you know what i mean not really so for example in a cheat meal i won't have like something like pizza but i might have like a huge subway sandwich or something which has like a ton of calories but it isn't necessarily completely unhealthy oh okay i see what you mean then so, so you don't just ever just eat a uh, like a pizza or pasta or something like that no i don't i don't do some i don't eat things that are like completely unhealthy like if i'm cheating it's like semi healthy or otherwise if i'm like not eating something semi healthy then it's like something chocolate related because i like chocolate what's your favorite candy No candies. I like chocolate cake. A chocolate cake. Okay. Like I've been really into um, Reese's, the Reese's cups. You ever had that before? No. Okay. It's like chocolate with peanut butter inside, and that's been my go-to recently. Peanut so you eat chocolate cake? Just... Do you eat chocolate cake for your, what do you call it, like the cheat meals, or you just eat it whenever you feel like it? I have chocolate cake like once every few months not like something not it's not a regular cheat meal it's just something i like to eat that is like completely unhealthy but i will eat it every once like in a couple of months but usually my cheat meals are like a mix of healthy and unhealthy like stuff with unnecessary amounts of seasoning or something like pani puri have you have you had pani puri yeah the it's, it's like the circle or cracker looking things Yeah 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 it's good. I love that. I stuff. love it. It's just that like a plate of pani puri will have like 300 calories and it's not going to fill you up at all. Yeah, I mean personally for me when I was a little kid like when my mom would make bangla food I was like ah oh, no not this again. I want macaroni and cheese and uh American food. Nowadays as I get older like I really crave uh like desi style foods like Uh, kichuri uh biryani all, all that so yeah pani puri is de- <laughs> pani puri is definitely one of them you know pani puri is like a good index of how expensive a place is in the in, what i mean to say is that for example if in your city the average plate of pani puri is like six plates six pieces of pani puri for like 30 rupees 
that's like five rupees per pani puri so it's like average expensive but if you if you're like living in a place where six pieces of pani puri will cost 15 rupees and that's like a good metric to know that the city costs half as much and there will be like part of the city where it's going to cost you let's say 60 rupees for a pani puri for six pieces so that's twice as expensive so pani puri is like a good way to index how expensive <laughs> that particular location is you guys have a lot of street food in india right yeah it's india has a lot of street food it's very good too like in taste not not for health but for taste there's this youtube channel called food ranger where he goes around different places trying their food and he had a couple of episodes of him traveling india and he, he tried a lot of the street foods and it looked good yeah it's it tastes good it's just usually it's very bad for health because they're cooking in like shitty oils and you just don't know what's in there like it, it's not it's not great for health all the foods that are on the street usually have like crappy oil in it or some other bullshit yeah it's more for just delicacy or if you're visiting you want something quick then boom it's yeah. like like new you know, york you know it's one of those things okay like if you're someone who is not from india and you're visiting india my recommendation would be to not eat too much of the street food because you don't want to get sick and you're not like used to the food here so probably best for you to stick to hygienic stuff that's what happens when people from us go to another country they start eating the food the first couple of weeks or days at least they'll have diarrhea where their body's trying to adjust yeah so if you're here for like a week then don't do it like have like some you can have like street food from a restaurant like the same dish but in like a different place where the you know cleanliness standards would be higher than say on the street in new york have you ever like seen new york or been there i have friends who are from new york i haven't been there yet yeah so for new york like whenever i visit there it's like the first thing i need to have is the the lamb and rice plate and like i don't want the lamb and rice in the restaurant i got to get it from the carts the lamb and, and rice the lamb like yeah like lamb meat and oh, me, the okay, rice okay. yeah and it's so freaking good man see with florida it's designed in a certain way where there's not too many like street foods around you actually have to go to the restaurants but in new york it's like everywhere you go there's like street food areas i've heard like in the us they have like hot dogs yep have you tried one before oh no no you can't eat it they have uh, vegetable vegetarian dogs. versions of hot dogs and i don't know how close they are to the actual ones uh not really the same thing but you at least got so- somewhat of an experience okay Dude, what meat it? does a hot dog have so it's different i mean they have chicken hot dogs they have beef hot dogs uh some are pork hot dogs so are not like dog hot dogs as well or is it like just me thinking not i doubt it bro that would be disgusting Okay. But I mean, like that's what the name suggests. So. Well, that's what I used to think too. I'm like, hot dog? No, no, no. I like dogs, but nah. <laughs> uh, 
but it's not just one meat. Sometimes it consists of like a few meats, where it's like a collection of beef and pork. Hold on, let me see if I could. So it's see, like, like looking... leftovers, and they've just assembled and assembled it into a dish. Yeah, if you ever go on YouTube and see how hot dogs are made, which I don't recommend if you like hot dogs because you may not be able to eat it again. But it's not a pleasant process. In what way? Can you describe it? Can you describe it? It's just the way that they make it. It doesn't look like high quality meat, especially if you're someone that's going on a diet. If you eat hot dogs a lot, it's like, I believe it's called leftover meat. So I'm pulling up one of the... Oh, um, it's literally leftover. I was just guessing. Okay. So it's like, I'm looking at the ingredients for one of them and it writes mechanically separated chicken. Now, I don't know what the hell that is, but that doesn't sound like something natural. So this is something that you'll see a lot. But then there's other places that have really high quality hot dogs that they'll make right in front of you. It's pure, it's natural. Some restaurants in America have that. They have a thing called gator dogs as well, where it's made out of alligator meat. How does that taste? Um, I haven't tried it out before, but people who have tried it, they're like, dude, this tastes really good. And they'll sell it in like these five-star restaurants too. They sell frog legs. Have you ever heard of that? I, I've seen videos of that where you put like salt on it and the legs are moving. That is disgusting. Mm-hmm. I don't know how people eat that shit. Th- they eat it in Louisiana a lot. Well, they'll fry it and they'll kind of eat it like chicken wings. That is disgusting. Like eating a frog is disgusting as shit. And have you ever heard of escargot? No. Those are snails. Damn, that is... Tell me this is some stuff happening in, say, China or somewhere. And not... Well, I think escargot is a French dish. Goddamn, these Frenches, they eat weird crap, okay? Like, I was looking into something called foie gras, and what they do is they force feed these ducks and eat their liver. So they give the duck fatty liver disease, and then they eat the liver. Uh, that is damn. gross, like... Like I eating a, a snail is just gross. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It's just so gross. Like it's like it's a snail. I don't know. I, especially seafood has like the craziest stuff. Okay, like eating prawns is like it's like a cockroach. Oh, yeah, you've never had shrimp before, have you? I'm a vegetarian. I haven't had any of. Oh these. yeah, yeah. I keep forgetting. Like I, I've so seen in- shrimp. It looks like cockroaches, if you ask me. Even this kind of shrimp? Hold on, let me see if I could send this. And I don't know crabs if... are also like spiders. and I don't understand how people eat it. I know it's like, you know, them... You know how people judge the Chinese for eating things that people like us don't normally eat? It's like me doing the same thing, but to these guys. But for these guys, it's like completely normal. What, shrimp? I'm eating these weird creatures from the sea. Yeah, like escargot, frogs, I can't see. But shrimp is uh, pretty normal at this point. Where if you go up to someone and you're like, yo, I'm eating a snail, they'll be like, yo, what the hell? But if you tell someone, yo, I'm eating shrimp fried rice, they'll be like, oh, okay. I think a lot of it comes down to presentation. Like, how do you present the food? Like, so I was like posting about this on Twitter earlier. Like, how can someone eat a squid? 
and I had put a picture of squid and someone put a picture of a squid dish and the squid dish didn't look so bad at all. Like it looked like edible, like I wouldn't eat it, but it wasn't something that was like making me feel disgusted. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can find it. It was by some guy called the Führer or something. Wait. Yeah, squid, calamari. I mean, you could make it in a curry. You could make it fried. So, you know, it comes in different ways. I don't know. This this looks gross to me. And it's because, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian all my life. So, for me, this is like the same as eating dogs. Squid is the same. Oh, okay, so you're, you really don't like that. Yeah, see, this looks normal to me. Yeah, so this picture, like a... This is a tweet by a guy called Bhavan Chad. Bhavan Chad, B-H-A-V-A-N-C-H-A-D. And he's replying to my tweet that's essentially calling all seafood eaters weird and, you know, that they're eating cockroaches. So he's posted a picture of a squid, but the dish looks nice. It doesn't look disgusting. So it's like, it depends on how the food is presented. Yeah, because the pictures of shrimp that you posted on that tweet, yeah, if you see it like that, it'll look disgusting. But if you just pull up like shrimp curry, it doesn't look like as bad. So in that thread, you see the second tweet I posted? I have no idea how people eat that crap. That is too insane. Yeah, I don't think, uh, that's frog legs. But I don't think they cook it like that. You, you're posting the raw version. Even though that does look nasty regardless. The What's other the one, I don't image? even know. I don't know what that is. Especially with your mindset, because you actually have never tried meat before. So you can't even distinguish like this is good versus this is bad. Where, ironically harsh, um, people who have eaten meat a lot, like if you tell them like you only eat vegetables, they'll kind of look at you like, wait, how do you do that? Like, you know, they'll have so much questions as well. I think vegetarianism is becoming more popular nowadays, you know. It's not a good thing in all cases, but it is catching on. Mm -hmm. Personally, if you ask me, if someone eats meat, it's not like, it's it's pretty good for their health. Because being vegetarian requires you to do a lot of research into what you're eating so that you get like proper nutrition. So I have to have like four scoops of whey per day to get enough protein. And unless these supplements, if these supplements were not a thing, then I would be nutritionally deficient. So vegetarianism is not a natural diet. It's not, we were not meant to be vegetarians. It's just something that we are for like, say I am for like religious reasons or whatever. And unless these supplements existed, unless we had figured out how to isolate away from milk and then, turn it into a powder and remove all the fat and other crap from it. I would not have access to proper nutrition. So I'm not are looking pe- down on meat eaters at all. I think it's a natural diet to eat. And are people for the most part following vegetarianism over in India? Not most of us, but a good portion. Is there options for meat in local places? Yeah, there's always an option for meat, but it's not going to be like pork or beef. It's going to be chicken. Okay. I actually went to this um, 
what is it, Gujarati wedding recently. And it was all Gujaratis veggies. Gujaratis are vegetarians. Gujaratis are vegetarians. They don't eat anything. Yeah, so I was like, I was like, yo, Sunny, like Sunny Patel. I was like, yo, man, where's the, where's the uh, lamb and stuff? I was just joking. And then he's like, nah, man, this is a Gujarati wedding. Everything's vegetarian. And at first, I was thinking, oh, okay, so I guess I'm not going to like the food too much. But once <laughs> I tried it. The food is good. Once I tried it, the way that they made the curry, it was good. I had some paneer. I had some uh, okra wait, wait. curry. Arman, paneer. 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 And paneer. And what's the green one called? Uh, okra curry? I don't know what that is. I'm sure you know what okra is, but you probably have a different definition for it. Maybe. Let me let me send it to you. We've been talking about food. <laughs> it's making me hungry again. <laughs> Does this look familiar to you? Wait, let me check. Ah, bhindi. Yeah, I love this stuff. Ladyfinger. Mm. Ladyfinger, is that what you said? Yeah, you guys call it okra? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's called ladyfinger. Ladyfinger, okay. In English and bhindi in Hindi. I love this stuff. This is like one of my favorite foods. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. And what do you say it? How do you say it in Hindi again? Bhindi. Bhindi, okay. I love this stuff. This tastes really good. Yeah, so that was my night of being a vegetarian for the day. Because I went to a morning event and a night event, and it was vegetarian for both. Yeah, you must have noticed the lack of protein in the diet, no? Yeah, I I mean, when I'm going out to eat like that, I'm not really factoring in protein, that kind of stuff too much. But now that you bring it up, yeah, I would say there wasn't protein like that. But they did what they could. My main surprising part was that the food tasted good. Where as a guy that hasn't tried vegetarian for like more than like a day, when I think vegetarian, <laughs> I'm like, oh man, like these poor guys, like they're not having like good food that they can wake up to. But that day I was like, oh no, no they actually vegetarian they know how to cook it. Tastes really good, especially the way they cook it in India, because India is like the king of spices. We have like so many spices that our food tastes really, really good. If you take food that's in the West, it's like really bland. It doesn't have enough taste. You know what I mean? It's like people can, eating Can you stuff. eat spicy? I love spicy. Can you eat really, really spicy though? I can eat really, really spicy, yes. So there's this uh, place in Tampa where they have these competitions for like spicy wing oh, eating. Not, not that stuff, okay? Like if it's like, you know, they've intentionally made it spicy... <laughs> not to make it tastier but just to make it spicy then no because that's going to mess you up like it messes with the stomach it, no it's nuclear and it's so freaking spicy i don't really eat it like that but i've seen people who compete i'm like man um have it's you ever like heard of the have you ever heard of the have you heard the saying like play stupid games win stupid prizes this reminds mm-hmm. me of that but go ahead but you know certain people get paid for like food eating competitions yes i know of that have you ever heard of a Coney Island hot dog eating competition? Not that particular island, but I have heard of hot dog eating competitions from like Archie Comics. Mm-hmm. Like there's this guy called Jughead and he's into like eating hot dogs. 
Yeah, so every Fourth of July, they have a hot dog eating competition where a bunch of people get together and they eat Nathan's hot dogs. And I don't know what it was, Harsh. I would say in eleventh grade, I saw a documentary on it, and I got so curious about professional eating. There was a guy specifically. His name was Takeru Kobayashi. Have you ever heard of him? I have not. Okay, let me show you this guy real quick. This guy was on top of the world. I think in like two thousand five. Does he look like a professional eater to you? Let me check. Wait, I'm opening the photograph you sent me. No, he does not. He looks ripped. He's a ripped dude, like uh, Asian guy, and people were stunned because when they were thinking professional eating, they were picturing these fat guys. Fat guys. And here was this ripped Asian guy that was blowing everyone out of the waters, and he just got me so curious about like the art and science of professional eating. Um, there was one time he went up against a bear. What? So. Who do you think would win between a professional eater versus a bear in eating hot dogs? A bear. Okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> man, I thought because a lot of people are like, "Oh no, man, I think the bear's too stupid. He's probably gonna like get distracted uh, while Takori <laughs> is gonna be targeted." I, I thought though, when you, you when you were posing the question, I thought this guy would win, like the professional eater. But I wanted you to get the pleasure of doing the punchline. So I said the bear. <laughs> I wasn't I expecting. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Takeru. I was gonna be like, "No, bro, the bear beat." No, nah, it's all good. <laughs> uh, it... Have you heard of water poisoning? Mm-hmm. It's when you drink too much water. Yeah. So what happens when with these eating competitions is that they do a warm up by drinking water, and some of these guys will drink so much water that they die. I can see that. Yeah, it usually happens when people drink too much water right before you know a competition. These guys like they don't only eat hot dogs though. Like sometimes they'll eat pizzas. They go around and they participate. But yeah, I think two thousand five to two thousand six ish, he was on top of the world. What happened then? Like, did he just stop eating as much, or did like better competition show up? So, if you're like a food eating guy, like Nathan's hot dog eating competition is where you're going to get a lot of eyeballs on you. But I think there was one year where him and Nathan's got in a feud, and they banned him, so they wouldn't allow him anymore. And he just kind of fell off after that. And afterwards, there was another guy named Joey Chestnut who came, and he was like a freak. Like he was blowing out even Takeru Kobayashi. And he's kind of like probably the best in that at the moment. So mix of all that eventually made Takeru irrelevant. I think he still does it, but he's not as like known for it. Interesting. I've seen videos of a slapping competition on YouTube. (laughs) I've been seeing that too recently. That is so crazy. This is guy who's like injecting oil in his arms and he can't slap anyone. Eh? This guy who's like professionally slapping people. People come up with all sorts of weird competitions, you know. Oh, it's called the Slap Fight Championship. That's the name of the channel. You know what's a good championship? Like the Robo Wars. That is like something that's cool to watch. Oh, is it like fighting robots or something? Yeah, it's fighting robots. 
Ooh, this looks interesting. We've talked about so many different things where, you know, adding in the timestamps and the resources section is definitely going to be a blast. I hope your VA enjoys the process. <laughs> I was like, did you include uh, the part where we talked about food? We talked about a lot of food, and I think that was actually a pretty important thing to talk about because different cultures perceive food differently, but food plays a huge role in a culture in the first place. Definitely agree with you there. All I'm saying is that don't eat bats because it's fucking the rest of us up. Ugh, that's so nasty. Yeah, just stop, stop the bat eating and crazy ass shit so that we can like live normal lives. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I'm just so tired of the whole COVID and lockdown situation. I just wanted to end. Mm-hmm. How is it over there? Like, do you have to wear masks a lot of places? You have to mask. You have to wear a mask, yes. And it's it's not fun to wear a mask because you can't breathe so well. And moreover, it's messing with your my worldview, you know. So I was looking at this movie poster that's stuck on the wall, and in the poster, like the the actors and they were not wearing masks. And for me, it it just looked a little weird. Like you know, like I'm so used to seeing people wear masks that seeing a poster of people having no masks at all just seemed weird to me. So these masks are like kind of, my brain is starting to accept it as a normal clothing wear and I don't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. I just want this whole thing to be behind me now. That's why a lot of people have actually been recently moving to Florida because they're not as strict where they'll let you in even if you don't have a mask on, where certain other places, they don't even let you in. Oh, no. Every business place will let you in, mask or no mask, because the businesses don't care. Businesses just want to make money. They don't give a shit about masks. It's just, you know, on the street. And for example, if you want to go to like a public place, like a park, then you will you might have to wear a mask. Or at least you... You, you know, it's not considered socially right to keep your mask in your pocket. Like you, you might have to like wear it on your neck just to show people that I have a mask, even though I'm not wearing it. You know what I mean? Right. So, it is. It is annoying. Plus, it's making traveling difficult, and there's this huge uncertainty it adds, where you never know when there's a new lockdown. Should I? Should for example, if you have a business. How much stock should I buy? Will there be a supply disruption or not? And all of this bullshit you never had to do before, but you have to do now. I, I know you don't do drop shipping, but do you know if drop shipping took a hit since all of this has been happening? I would bet, like I would bet drop shipping would be like down in the dumps. But what is actually happening? Please tell me. No, I actually don't know because I remember I used to hear a lot about drop shipping. But I haven't heard too many people mention it recently. So I'm kind of curious how the business is going. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I, I do know some dropshippers. Used to be like, everyone used to talk about dropshipping back in 2018, but I don't know what happened to them. Did you ever do it before? No. 
I've seen people do it, and like it made sense. The only thing I didn't like was how you had to wait a, a long time before like getting your package. I think there's workarounds nowadays, though. Of what type? Where like before, like if I had to, if I had to order something from like a drop shipping store, I had to wait like two to three weeks for it to get shipped to my place. But I think nowadays they introduced some sort of like warehouses. Shopify did, where the waiting times got cut down by a lot. Interesting. So it's becoming more efficient in a way. Mm-hmm. I used to do an Amazon like white label shop, and that one was different, where you could get like a lot of the products from China, get it mm-hmm. to a warehouse in Amazon, and then you'd basically drive people to that listing and get it sold. So you used to do this? I used to do this, correct. I had a business partner too. Interesting. So what type of product were you guys into? So the first time <laughs> we thought we knew the market very well, we sold uh, superhero cell phone cases, um, which is not a good product to sell, by the way. Um, that was our first product. It didn't do too well. Then we sold uh, Bluetooth beanies, which sold well, but predominantly when it was cold. During summer, it stopped selling. And then eventually, we started to sell 20-ounce and 30-ounce tumblers, which will either keep your drink cold or hot, depending on which drink you're drinking. And we were making decent money from there. But back then, Harsh, there wasn't much courses or like education on how to run it. So we didn't really build like a brand, like build an email list or anything like that. We kind of just relied on Amazon's algorithm where they'll kind of hook you up. If you're on the front page for the keyword 30-ounce Tumblr, then you're probably going to get some passive sales. But later on, a lot of people were coming in uh, selling for like half the price. Hmm. At this point, if you don't have like a brand or something like that, or back then, Yeti was like that big brand, Y-E-T-I, then you're, you're going to be just competing for like who makes the least amount of profits. So it's good, but back then it was the wild, wild west where Amazon can just take down your listing out of the blue moon. And it was just random. Like I I didn't like it too much, but it gave me exposure to how to do business online. It actually made me my first couple of dollars online. And I knew that at this point, digital money wasn't, it's just this fantasy. It was something that could be reality. If anyone is into dropshipping and listening to us, here is a product that I would pay big money for. A mask that looks like a mask, but doesn't act like a mask. So the mask has to be like 100% breathable, but otherwise it looks like a normal mask. So if you can figure out this deck, I would love to buy it. Just putting it out there in the world. <laughs> There's big Make demand sure. for it too, because if you Google to like one ply mask, you will find a lot of people searching for it, but you can't actually find it anywhere. So like a mask that is like very breathable and looks like a regular mask. So people don't bother you. Oh, it just looks like you're not talking. No, it just 
I mean, like a normal, like it, it looks like you're wearing a regular mask, like a regular cloth mask or something. But unlike a real mask, which restricts your breathing, this one is just designed to, you know, be compliant without actually stopping you from breathing. I would buy something like that. Oh, okay. This, initially, when you were mentioning it, I thought you were mentioning something like this. Let me show you. Where there's like a smiley face on the mask. So it actually looks like a part of the person's face. No, not not like this. I mean, like a mask that no one can tell is actually a completely breathable mask. So there's holes in it? I don't know. Figure it out. <laughs> well, that's the challenge for you, folks. And be sure to give Harsh a uh, cut as well. Hey, I would be happy to pay full price for a mask like that. <laughs> Every now and then in these episodes, you should just give like random business ideas because who knows who's going to run with it. I, I do come up with a lot of random business ideas. So I'd be happy to do so. I would be very, very happy to do, happy to do so. Here's another one that comes down to like our food thing. Have you heard of pasteurized egg whites? Mm-hmm. It's the easiest way to get a lot of protein in without having to resort to weigh your meat. And what pasteurized egg whites are, like they take egg whites and they just pasteurize it to kill the bacteria and then you can like drink it out of a bottle. You know what eggnog is? Mm-hmm. No, 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 forget eggnog, but the, the, in the Tetra pack, it's just egg whites, but you can't get like salmonella or something from it. And you want them to sell it in a bundle? I want them to sell it in like one liter packets. Okay. So it's like it's like an ultra easy way to get like two, three hundred grams of protein per day. It's just hard to have, find though. Let me send you a link. All right, folks, make sure you're taking notes. Yeah, I think th- this is a good idea. I think this is something that I might do in the future. Do you drink coffee? I do drink coffee sometimes. Like, do you drink it black or do you drink it with flavor? I drink it black. It just I wonder how many calories otherwise. Like, I don't like drinking my calories. I just sent you a link about pasteurized egg whites. Like, it already exists. I just want to, like, have it. So if it already exists, what are you trying to do with it? Like, have it measured? No, it just... It's only available in like certain parts of the world and I'm unfortunately not in that part. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, like with coffee, like I like it, but sometimes I feel lazy to make it. And I know there's a thing called like a coffee maker, but I wonder if someone could play around with that idea. Wait, isn't coffee like just boiled water and put coffee in it? Like what do you mean make it? It's like, um, I'm trying to see where... Ah, let's actually ignore that idea. I don't I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now. Where with coffee, like sometimes I'm like in the mood to drink it. Other times, you know, I'm not in, I'm in the mood to drink it, but I don't even want to make it like boil water or like heat it up. So I wonder if there's a way like I could kind of put it in the fridge where Marriage. it tastes good. Huh? Get a wife. Get a wife and have her make the coffee. Coffee, yes. Do they have caffeine pills? Where you're from? 
probably i've never looked into it yeah i mean for a while i actually stopped drinking coffee because i don't know i i just heard a lot of like stuff regarding it where they're saying it's not good for like taking too much i don't really drink that much but i stopped it for a while but nowadays i just drink one cup and that's it yeah i don't think it's going to hurt your health too much to drink coffee it just messes with my sleep cycle so when i'm trying to like wake up earlier i usually don't have coffee because then i can't sleep because i don't have coffee so frequently so every time i have coffee then it messes with my sleep cycle when you drink coffee regularly you build up a tolerance to the caffeine yeah and that's what i was kind of saying with that idea like if there's like some pre-made coffee where like you could you could get it but you don't have to keep making it from scratch each time but there is like you get them from nestle yeah so there's probably it's probably not a good business idea in terms of it all right guys you guys got two business ideas from harsh go on and follow that <laughs> and miss jk rowling you got a business idea from me right harry potter from voldemort's lens now and send me the check S- send me uh i'll just take five percent of the you. bitcoin i have the bitcoin <laughs> yes. yeah send me some bitcoin and i don't ask for too much more than that you'll find arman's bitcoin address in the description of this video <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone ever send you uh, money from our first episode? Remember we included your one of your wallets. So I used I gave you the same address I put in other places so I don't I can't really tell whether a donation was maybe from that address or a different one. Okay. <laughs> It'd be funny if you did get some money from that. It's one of those things that people with bitcoin are like not willing to part with bitcoin. and that's like one of the biggest flaws with bitcoin it's that the amount of bitcoin are always decreasing because it has limited total supply and bitcoin are lost every day so people know the value of bitcoin is going to keep going up so no one wants to like spend any bitcoin which kind of makes it like a bad currency oh okay so you're finding some holes in it recently no, it's it's not a hole it's just a design flaw in my opinion it's that if It's like if you know the value of something is going to keep keep going up then you are unwilling to actually give it away right so but so then then it's like not a currency anymore like if you want it to be a currency then you you're both not encouraged to spend it and you're also calling it a currency so it's it's not like a bad thing per se it's more of like a store of wealth than electronic cash even though originally it was intended to be electronic cash and not like a store of wealth per se it's, it's kind of like gold right now yes and no where gold like people don't spend too much either but you see a difference gold well the properties are different it's kind of like gold you could say but yes and no you know because there are more technologies coming up which allow you to build on bitcoin but gold is not something you can like do anything else with you know what i mean yeah in infrastructure wise i know exactly what you mean all right so arman i need to get going it's just really really late here in india it's 2 and 2:30 a.m. and we've been going on for like 6 hours maybe so i need to get some sleep because for sure man except a 7 a.m. challenge from from a friend of mine so i need to wake up earlier and we said in the beginning of uh, this episode that this was going to be our longest and we hit that threshold 
So good stuff, man. Yeah, Move. it's it's been it's a long episode. I hope you guys enjoy watching it. Yep, you've definitely earned that sleep. And thank you guys very much for joining the Unapologetic Truths series, episode twelve. Have a safe and happy New Year, and we will catch you next year. Have a good New Year. What is it? Happy Christmas and. See you in 2022. Have a great day. Take care.